Church. Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. Here I continued my research undisturbed by the myriad distractions of modern civilization and far from the groves of Akadim. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian runes, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. It deals with demons, demon resurrection, and those forces which roam the forest and dark bowers of man's domain. The first few pages warn that these enduring creatures may lie dormant but are never truly dead. They may be recalled to active life through the incantations presented in this book. It is through recitation of these passages that the demons are given license to possess the living. Tatra amistrobin hazarta. Tatir mano mansizon hazan sobar. Saman la robza. Dar his hiker dans de roza. Ganda. Shut it off. Ganda. Shut it off. Ganda. This episode of the podcast Under the Stairs is brought to you in conjunction with Legion Podcast Network. Check out the podcast Under the Stairs and many other shows over at legionpodcast.com. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is a monumentous episode. This is the end of year assessment for Baz v Horror. Baz is at Horror High. He's done a full year. We liked him. He got good grades. Well done, sir. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but oh, this is the promised show. This is Baz v the Evil Dead. Joining me on this show will be four fantastic guest hosts from four fantastic podcasts, but the star of the show, as always, is the man, the myth, the legend, the Baz. Join us, sexy little deadite bitches. <laughs> How you doing, sir? Oh, I'm rip-roaring ready to go, sir. This is going to be fantastic. This is like this has been months and months, nay, almost a year in the making. And a long time coming. And we are going to sit down on this show and we are going to cover the four movies that comprise the Evil Dead franchise. The original- we are going to come hard. <laughs> we're going to cut me off to say come. How dare you, sir? <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to cover the first three movies of the original trilogy. We're going to follow that up with the Evil Dead remake closing out this show. Uh, joining us on this show will be four fantastic guest hosts. Uh, for the Evil Dead, we have John Rhodes from Graveshift Radio. From Evil for Evil Dead Two, we have Bo Ransdell from Duncan and Bo. Come correct on the Short and the Gaming uh, podcast. On the third one, the Army of Darkness, we have Danny Trioxin from the Midnight Horror Show. And then rounding us out is Andy Blockley, sexy, sexy Blockley um, from the Big Horror Little Podcast. And doing the nasty for the remake. 
Baz, this is going yes. to be the quickest of intros ever because we have a massive task ahead of us for this one show, four movies. Are you ready, sir? I am ready to go, sir. I have girded my loins and oiled myself up. So let's get this shit done. And um, in classic Baz v horror fashion, can we expect some surprises throughout this show? There'll be laughs, there'll be tears, there'll be everything, Duncan. It's all coming, <laughs> sir. Hope you're I, ready. I, 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 I was I was born ready. I'm, my involvement in this show is very little, actually. <laughs> this is mostly I've, padded, I've done the smart thing and padded it off to other people. Uh, but yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is crucial. Baz needs to pass overall two parts of grades. He needs to pass the grades given to him by the guests on the show and then ultimately at the end of the show I need to pass him for him to continue to year two of Barra Bazzi's Horror High are you ready? I am ready before starting I would just like to say to the ladies out there I hope you're wearing reinforced bras because I'm about to blow your tits off <laughs> with that shocking statement we're about to take our first break of the show you're going to hear promos for shows that I love you're going to hear the opening statement by John Rhodes from Graveshift Radio, the trailer for the movie When We Return. We're looking at The Evil Dead from 1981. Myself and the Baz coming right back right after this. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities? Then you've got the wrong show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com Alright, this is John Rhodes from Grave Shift Radio, and I'm here with you, Baz, to teach you, to educate you, to fucking tutor you in the Evil Dead. And why you would like the Evil Dead? What the... Why the hell wouldn't you like the Evil Dead? I mean, it is the fucking Evil Dead. I mean, with your country alone in its history, Jesus, that speaks volumes. But you know what? Speaking of history, let me give you a little bit of a history lesson with myself. Alright, I've been a huge horror fan my entire life. I used to seek out the worst of the worst horror films... Because I wanted that scare. I was always seeking it like a fucking kid looking for the scariest roller coaster. Well, I read all up on Evil Dead, and it was hard to find. But I found it. I bought it, brought it home, ripped it right apart, and the first thing I did was pop that bad boy in, and I watched it. My viewing experience was amazing. And you want to know what the end result was? Trauma. I was fucking terrified of this film. This film destroyed me as a child. Scared the shit out of me. But you know what? It never fucking left me. Not once. This was the kind of thing that I would tell my friends about. Now allow me to teach you how you can get there. Baz, first and foremost, I know you're not really a fan of the older horror films. So I suggest you watch it on Blu-ray. Watch the enhanced version. It's, you know, a little bit wider cleaned up. I really think you'll like it better. Secondly, I have a challenge for you, Baz. I really want you to try this while watching this movie. 
Just immerse yourself in it. Really allow yourself to get sucked into the film, okay? Try and fight off the little things that want to pull you out. Just set back, relax, and let it wash over you. Allow yourself to be part of this world and just watch. This is the best way to go about this. When we actually set back and try and pick a film apart, when we try and do anything but really experience it, when we're sitting there and we're nitpicking little bullshit things, you're not getting the full experience of the film. And that right there is the flaw. Don't fucking nitpick. Set back, relax, and just get sucked into the madness. Allow it to happen, Baz. Just, just allow it. Okay. Why you should like the Evil Dead. The fucking story of the Evil Dead is great. It takes the simple kids going to a fucking cabin presence and just flips it on its head. It involves the occult and demons and bodily dismemberment. How can you go wrong with that? How? 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 I ask you. But. What happens when these kids get fucking possessed? And that's shit that we didn't see back then, and we rarely fucking see now. I mean, think about it. How often do you see possession presented the way it is here? Alright? Think about that situation. About the kids in this cabin. How one by one, they get possessed. And it's not just possessed Reagan, you know, lick my pussy kind of possessed. No, 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 no. This is possessed, trying to fucking kill you, tormenting you, using every little piece of knowledge they have about you against you. It's fucking dark. It's twisted. And you know what? The movie just keeps going from there because it does a great job of building tension and it just continues to ramp it up now if you allow yourself to get sucked in you're not going to be laughing at parts you shouldn't be and you're going to be fully immersed in you're going to be sucked in and you're going to be placing yourself in that situation what would i be thinking how would i be dealing with this and then the tension's going to keep going it's just going to keep ramping up as and it don't get any better because guess what there's fucking deadites and the deadites are amazing because once these kids are possessed they begin to decompose. Their human bodies can't handle or support the evil that's inside them. And we can see this with the characters as they gradually change into these almost unrecognizable versions of themselves. Or how when they're fucking injured, their hands chopped off or something like that, not only are they spewing or spraying blood, but also pus. Fucking pus is coming out. That's fucking gross. Also... My favorite death in any horror movie is in this one. Once a book is damaged, the Kandarian demons can't be contained in the human bodies anymore, and they fucking burst out. We get the arms coming out, and the intestines spilling out, and the fucking bodies just break down. They can't handle it, and it's a rapid decomposition from there. It is amazing death. Fucking love it. So absolutely amazing. I can't just wrap my head around how fucking good it is. Amazing. And the character, the character you need to follow throughout this, Baz, is Ash. And the reason I say that is because he goes from a meek character who's unable to even help his friend 
to being tormented to the point that he's losing his fucking mind. And then he ends up in a situation where he has no other option but to dismember his own possessed friends. Imagine that. Imagine being put in this situation, Baz, where you watch your friends decompose, say some of the most vile fucking shit, try and kill you, hurt you, hurt themselves, and your only option is to chop them up, to chop them up into little fucking bits. That's fucked up, dude. That's fucked up. Now, let me point this out. The acting may not be Oscar-worthy. I still appreciate it. The special effects, yes, they have their flaws. But the camera work is absolutely fantastic in this. I mean, let's think of some of the shots when they're looking for the bridge, how distorted it is, and that throws your perception of what's going on in the film off, right? Or how some of the shots just linger so beautifully. The direction in this film is absolutely great. Absolutely. How some of the shit's just going on and the evil is so intense it's actually affecting the house? Or is that actually Bruce losing his fucking shit? I mean, think about it. The pipes spewing blood, the, the fucking projector with the blood dripping on it, the light bulb filling up with the blood. Is that really happening? Is Ash losing his shit? I mean, that, that is fucking insane. Ash puts his hand through a fucking mirror because he's losing his shit. He's literally pushed that far in this film. All of this, all of this, and so, so much more, Baz, is why you should like The Evil Dead. It's why The Evil Dead is a good film. Yes, you have to allow yourself to be immersed. Yes, you have to actually, actually experience the film for what it is. Set back and let it just take you to some of the darkest fucking places and really put yourself in that situation. Put yourself in that situation. Because... If you can honestly do that, if you can honestly experience this film and then say it's not good, well, I don't know what to fucking say. Girlfriend, you take care of her.
welcome back. So, it's time to kick this into first gear, because uh, apparently we're doing nothing but automotive analogies for the entire 2016. Thanks for that, Baz. Thanks for, for kicking that off. Um, but yeah, it's time to kick it into first gear here. We're doing our very first movie of Baz versus the Evil Dead. Oh, this has been a long time in the planning and I can guarantee that Baz will meet his match and four fantastic guests that we have lined up for him to take him through the franchise. But, as you just heard in the opening statement there just before we came back, um, our first guest is a, a very formidable and passionate fan of the Evil Dead. He is one of my co-hosts over on Grey Shift Radio and is about ready to launch his new show, Drive-In Radio, um, which is not genre-specific, but sounds like it's going to be a blast. And they're talking about a lot of comic book stuff. That make Baz happy. Baz likes the, the old comic book stuff. Um, I, do, I do like a comic book. You do indeed, <laughs> sir. Um, as, of course, the incomparable John Rhodes. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm glad to actually finally be here. And, you know, I wouldn't have it anyway other than this my first appearance evil dead yeah i I was gonna say actually of everyone that's coming on to do these mentor moments on on the show um you're the only one that has chased us up (laughs) i also may be the only one with a what would bruce campbell do tattoo so yeah (laughs) i would say that you are um, unless Bo has one in a place that no one should look. Um, well, who knows? I wouldn't who put knows? it past him. I wouldn't put it past him either. So, yeah, so the plan of this is basically, as you heard an opening statement, um, John is here to kind of keep Baz on course uh, with his review of The Evil Dead. Now, Baz. Duncan. We have four movies to discuss, and it is your fault that this became the end of year assessment because uh, yes. you famously watched this movie about six months ago. Um, if not poten- more. Yep. Yes, potential more, and said, This movie is shit. Yes, I think Gash was the term I used. Gash, that's right, yep. Gash, which uh, for our American listeners uh, kind of been shit. So it's right. a demographic uh, term. It's fair to say. It's a term. term. Yeah, and. Um, you you angered some people. You dumbfounded some people. You confused the fuck out of me. Um, and this is what it's led to. So I hope you're happy with yourself. <laughs> I feel suitably <laughs> chastised, Duncan. Right. And not in a uh, kinky way. Do you know what I mean? Not, not in the way you like. No. Um, we'll the guilt the shame is all too real. <laughs> we'll get the chips and the wains. That they're, uh, uh, chips and... I can't even speak now. We'll get the whips and chains. Not the chips. I'm starving. Uh, anyone else watch it? Uh, right, so The Evil Dead from 1981, directed and written by Sam Raimi. This movie stars Bruce Campbell, Ellen Sandwis, um, Richard somebody, uh, Betsy Baker, <laughs> Teresa Tilly, other folks, can't be bothered. Um, let's jump into the synopsis here. Five friends travel to a cabin in the woods where they unknowingly release flesh-possessing demons. Now, Baz. Yes. This is the bit that I'm going to drop out, and I'm going to leave you in the, the the very safe, reliable, and strong hands of Mr. John Rhodes here. Now, well, okay. Duncan, before you even go, allow me to point out you are actually wrong. 
Evil Dead was actually made in 1979. However, it didn't get its release until 82. Oh, right, Baz, we're not going to be able to bluff anything with this guy. Nah, you've just made a fool of the whole experience here now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn you. Right, all I was going to say it's is... It's on fucking the- Wikipedia, Dalton. You only had to read Wikipedia and you would have known that. I don't read Wikipedia, Baz. God, sort your shit out. I don't read... I go to IMDb. The Internet Movie Database, Baz. It's all in the name. It's all in the name. Uh, I, I believe that's under the trivia section, but I didn't read that bit either. Um, so, Baz, all I'm going to say before I turn you over to John here is remember that all our mentors here are from the Americas. Right? Mm-hmm. I would stress is remember international relations here. Try try and keep it clean. I know it's difficult. Try and keep it clean. <laughs> Can you make me that promise? I will endeavour my very best, don't you? Have you just crossed your fingers when you said that? No. Right. <laughs> oh my god. Right, Baz. Uh, lead the charge. The Evil Dead. Go for it. Evil Dead, here we go. Yep, as, as you say, Duncan, I did watch this film uh, a while ago. Um, so, rather oddly, it's probably the first time we've ever covered a film in Baz V Horror or one of my segments. Uh, There's a film that I have already seen. Um, but I did watch it after having begun my kind of journey into horror with yourself, so to speak. Um, the first thing I have to say, John, I have to thank you, sir, for what is one of the most impassioned fucking pieces I've ever had the pleasure of listening to, sir. If anybody was going to turn me on to this film, it was you in that 10 minute <laughs> tirade uh, in support of this film. Um, your passion and love for this film is very evident, sir. And for that, we must salute you. Oh, thank you um, very much. I uh, I meant to keep it at five. However, it turned out a little bit longer, even when I edited it down, so. <laughs> And also, kudos on you for the for use of the term whimsy. I don't think we've ever used the word whimsy on this podcast ever. So again, hats off to you, big man. <laughs> <laughs> right, Evil Dead, here we go. Here we go. Uh, yes, yeah, so I sat down to watch this the other night, having listened to John's uh, preamble to the film. And I've got to say, I, I was kind of G'd up. I kind of, I feel like I want to like this film. Um, and maybe I just missed something the, the first time round. I know everybody does rave about it. And as I say, John's preamble to it did G me up and get me very interested in checking it out again. So I settled down. Um, I don't intend spending a huge amount of time on the, the actual plot, describing what happens in the film. To be honest, a lot of it's quite similar. Um, it's not as if there's huge subplots going on here that I could make out anyway. Uh, and that's not an insult to the film. It, it's all of its time and stuff like that. Uh, as Duncan said, there basically starts off five kids um, kind of driving up to this cabin in the woods that they appear to have rented. Probably from a homeless fucking person, judging by the state of the, the cabin by the time they get there. Um, there is... Ash, who is who is the main, the main protagonist in all these films, played by the wonderful Bruce Campbell. And there are four other assorted, there's one other guy, and there are three other girl female characters. And I think it goes that one is Ash's sister, one's his girlfriend, and one is the girlfriend of the other dude who's there. Um, they arrive at this dilapidated looking cabin, um, 
and straight away it appears that even the porch swing is fucking possessed in this place, which isn't a good, you know, not even made it out of the car in, and it's fucking, it's, it's tapping out satanic messages in Morse code. Um, that, that should really have been enough to put most people off staying the weekend, but not the intrepid Ash and his friends. Um, so they, they go in, they kind of settle down. Um, we learn fairly early on that the other guy's a bit of an arse. As, as most of the male characters are in these types of films, I suppose. You, you don't endear yourself to him particularly. Ash does come across initially as quite a good guy, quite a wholesome kind of character. Um, yeah, and, and, and very quickly they, they, they discover there's a, a kind of cellar area and um, they're, they're rummaging about and they come across various uh, occult artefacts and a an old-fashioned kind of real real tape recorder type thing. Again, I had probably left at this point, just throwing that out there kind of thing. There, there, there's, it's not as if there was mints on the pillow or anything like that. I mean, there's, a, there's to be a book made of human skin here and a fucking enormous dagger thing. Anybody for staying? Anyway, unperturbed, our, hero, our heroes continue on. They start checking out these artefacts and they listen back to this... Um, this tape recording, uh, which is basically this kind of history professor slash archaeologist slash shite Indiana Jones type character who has discovered this book, the Necronomicon, I think it's called, um, yep. and the wonderfully named Ruins of Kandar, which I don't know, it sounds like something a fucking He-Man to me, but I'm going to go with it. Um, and it's a book of the dead. It, it, it teaches you how to raise and control the demons of Kandar or something else. I'm sure John will correct my, my factual details on this later on. Um, and he, this professor character recorded himself um, speaking some of these incantations. Now, he sounds fairly invested in the whole idea of this, this professor guy. So you would think that reading these thing aloud, reading these passages aloud onto a tape recorder, maybe wasn't the greatest fucking idea. If he, you know, if he already kind of knows what's involved. Anyway, it appears that he's unleashed this kind of demon. The heartless Ash plays the tapes back, which, of course, unleashes these demons in the woods. Um, and, and shit really starts to go down the toilet from there fairly quickly. Now, I've got to say, that this is about maybe five, ten minutes tops into the movie when they've played this tape recording and, and things start to go from, from bad to worse for them. Um, the rest of the film is basically a series of sort of possession scenes. One by one, the, the people in the cabin kind of become possessed by these demons through various kind of mishaps and attacks and sort of spooky goings on. Um, I didn't... In fairness to John, one thing I should have said right at the start, John, in your preamble, you had said that you would have advised me to have watched the Blu-ray version of the film. Yeah. And I'm kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. Unfortunately, I had already purchased the DVD trilogy of this, and I am not Duncan McLeish, and if my wife found out that I had bought a second <laughs> copy of the same films on Blu-ray, she would have handed me my balls. Um, so I've not, I didn't get to see the Blu-ray, John, but I've watched the DVD copies of it. Um, <laughs> well, right off there, allow, allow me to point out why I suggested that. Uh, the uh -huh. Blu-ray version has actually been cleaned up. A lot of the special effects 
are more blended. Uh, just just little details have been just modified throughout the film. So, like when you're watching it, and you can see the clear box around the moon that they just posted on because you know you're gonna watch this at a drive-in. They never expected high def. Uh, yeah. That's been smoothed out. Um, the arm that flings the trap door open has been removed. Just little tiny details like that. And that's why I actually I suggested that one because those little details would probably have made it more enjoyable for you. Yeah, more palatable. Which is fair enough. Which is absolutely fair enough. And as I say, unfortunately, I couldn't do that. But um, I can I put myself easy to think, well, if I was watching this back in the day, I would have been seeing it on VHS and stuff like that. But as you possibly say, high def maybe identifies more of the kind of visual flaws in it. So. Yeah. We've, we've gone but anyway, I can't even remember why I went down this road anyway, so let's just crash on fucking regardless. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so they gradually get possessed, um, and there, there are various convenient places. One of them, I think it's Ash's sister, she gets dragged off. Oh no, I know why I'm into this. That's what I was going to say. The other thing that John stressed was that I was to fully immerse myself in the film, just kind of put everything aside get involved and just go with the flow and I felt that was very good advice because I think to be honest in my first viewing I was quite cynical of it and I thought right it is from late 70s early 80s this film we're not talking fucking Lucasfilm level uh, you know special effects and all that it's been made in a shoestring let's just cast off all my spellations and just involve so my notes are sketchy to the point that well there weren't any Really. So um, I don't have a specific sort of timeline of events that happened and so on in it. But with good reason, because I didn't want to detract myself from the film. Um, I think the first one to get taken out is Ash's sister. She kind of gets dragged off into the woods and then there's quite an unpleasant tree raping scene, which uh, was weird and off-putting and quite uncomfortable in equal measure. Um, well, she's actually, she's actually lured out into the woods by... Uh, the, the the voice saying join us yeah and she assumes it's the same person that was in their basement so she's just trying to investigate yeah now on that john and here's a, i'm going to ask you a direct question here so we're going to deviate slightly that term join us i believe may have been sampled and played in reverse at the start of slayer's hello eights album can anybody confirm that for me I believe you are correct. I'm not 100% on that, but I want to say you are correct. It wouldn't surprise me. The guys in Slayer are big fans of this movie, so... Right, because Hello Waits was the first heavy metal album I listened to outside the kind of sphere of the likes of Iron Maiden and Kissing These Bands. It was the first kind of extreme metal album I ever listened to. And I remember listening to it with my friend Grant, and at the start there's this kind of weird kind of voice thing and of course we were about 14 15 at the time like play it backwards i bet it says something <laughs> you know so we had a final so we're sitting winding it backwards and after about four attempts like is he saying join us are they saying join they are saying join us and of course this had no reference to this film for me but in hearing this in the film i thought i think this is what slayer did so there we go that's a wee deviation anyway uh, the sister gets gang banged essentially by the woods um, she gets back into the house. She's then possessed, so she starts attacking them. One of the girls, she uh, gets stabbed. Sorry, Baz, you, you missed the part. Uh-huh. You missed the part where they uh, 
attempted to take her back to town and realized they are now isolated, that the bridge oh, yeah. connecting yeah, of course. has been destroyed. Yeah, the bridge is out, so this is... which Because it does kind of beg the question, like, oh, why the fuck haven't you just left? And obviously, as you say, Ash does attempt to take her into town to try and calm her down. The, the rickety bridge, which, to be quite fucking frank, I wouldn't have driven over in the first place to get there. <laughs> it's fairly fucking shonky work. Um, and as you say, it's been completely destroyed by this point, cutting off their only hope of escape, because apparently there's no other fucking way in and out of this abandoned cabin in the woods thing. Um, yeah, so she ends up kind of turning, if you like, into one of these creatures um, and attacking the rest. The, the other girl, I think it's Ash's girlfriend, she gets stabbed in the leg with a pencil yeah. or something like that. Um, and th- through various events, they all get kind of possessed, with the exception of Ash. And they all kind of essentially have to turn on each other in order to survive. There doesn't attempt to be any way to control or placate these people once they've been possessed. Um, and they have sort of, you know, supernatural kind of strength and stuff like that. Um, they're also fairly impervious to, to attack you have to get fairly fucking serious on them before they stop attacking you kind of thing. Um, she gets chained up down in the cellar, I think, at one point. So we have her cackling away in the background for a good 20 minutes, banging away at this fucking trapdoor thing. Um, and get to see gradually, one by one, they all, they all start to turn. Um, as they attack, it seems to be, decapitation seems to be the kind of go-to fucking method of calming them down essentially um and it's in this what the effect the effects are fucking god awful and i don't think anybody even a lover of the film would say nelson it's a very old film it was done i'm assuming on a very small budget so as i say you can kind of be forgiven for that the things that started to annoy me and then by about i would say half an hour into the film I was fairly convinced that my original attitude towards the film wasn't going to change an awful lot. And it's primarily, it's things like when they start burying them and all this kind of stuff, their powers of recovery from having butchered their friends, sisters and or slash lovers is fucking superhuman to be quite honest, do you know what I mean? Particularly young Ash there. Hardly bats a fucking eyelid, you know what I mean? Takes out his own girlfriend without a care in the world. But he's out a mark of respect and he's straight back in the fucking game again, do you know what I mean? Without even a run in his mascara kind of thing. Um, I think... The film basically goes on, Ash slaughters them all and he's the only one left at the end. You see him stoting about in the woods at the end, kind of wild-eyed and manic. And then... One of the effects they use for the demons is the camera flying through the woods and, and at people kind of thing, you know, as if you're looking through the eyes of the demon, if you like, that's attacking them. Um, and, and at the very end, we see that this flying towards Ash. So you think he's kind of got away. It's daylight by this point, which seems to mean they're able to escape. I'm assuming because they can maybe hike out rather than use the bridge. And we see the rushing through the woods and Ash turns around and this, the camera just kind of flies at him. And that's how the film ends kind of thing. Now, I know I've skated over reams and reams of, of the main part of the film there, but it's essentially them getting possessed one by one and the survivors having to kill them to survive 
and therefore become an infected. Apart from Ash, who manages to stay safe, kind of thing, and, and kill them all. I think my main problems with the film, I think the acting is really, really fucking bad. Even Bruce Campbell's, and I'll come on to talk about Bruce Campbell more so, I think, in the in the later films. But in this film, I think even his acting's honking. Uh, there is, there, there's zero kind of character development. And I know that's true in a lot of these films, but I just felt you needed something to endear you to some of the characters. I, I didn't even feel a connection with Ash's character, to be honest, in this film. And I think it's doing, there's just there's zero character development. As I say, within about five minutes, you've been given the basis of the story. You know, the, the professor's found this book of the dead in these ruins, and it, it can raise these demons. He's recorded at the play, and it raises the demons who attack them. And after that, it, it's just this kind of, you know, another 70 minutes or so of them fighting off these demons. The ash, the, the effects are shite but to be honest I, I could look by that a lot of the films I've seen in the past couple of years particularly the, the Nightmare on Elm Street when some of the effects in them were fucking shite as well and, and I can live with the bad effects you know because it's just part of the time so I, I wouldn't ever criticise a film solely on that um, you can't expect too much of it come back to Ash though and I was actually thinking about this this morning as, as I was sitting down to watch the second movie and I was kind of running through the first one in my head, and I came to a realisation about Ash. Ash is a prick. <laughs> he's not a nice fucking guy. No, he's, um, he's actually get, not. Yeah, and, I, and I'll cut again, I think I'll probably speak about that facet more in, when we talk about the second film. But yeah, his lack of fucking emotion at butchering his sister, his girlfriend... And his best friend is fucking pathological, bordering on kind of concentration camp guard levels. <laughs> <laughs> you know, disattachment to the fucking situation he's in. Um, so yeah, uh, so really for a film that is obviously working in limited constraints... Um, to have essentially your, your primary heroic character be a bit of an arse, it doesn't bode well. Now, I think in summing up, I think my overriding kind of feeling about Evil Dead is, and, and we've talked about this a lot over the years, particularly in Baz V Horror, um, in fact, it, it was the whole premise of Baz V Horror. Could somebody my age... So I'm on a, roughly on a, the par with a lot of people that watch these films the first time round. Could somebody of a similar age watch these films now, having never seen them before, and appreciate them? And I have maintained through a lot of them, with, with a few notable exceptions, I have maintained through a lot of them that a lot of these films, it is now just the nostalgic fondness that people have for them from having watched them, you know, the first time round. And, you know, there are plenty of films I love, you know, from, from that time as well, you know, non-horror films that are the same that you, you just go back to just because you love them and it brings back memories of your childhood kind of thing. I think this is 
a it's almost like the pinnacle of the examples of that in my in my mind. I I I genuinely think that the Evil Dead only retains this status due to the fondness people still have for it from their childhood. What do you say to that, Joe? Okay. All right. <laughs> well, uh, I freely admit I have a great deal of fondness for this. As I said, I watched this at a young age, and it, it traumatized me when I first watched it. As I what already said. What can age um, about, John, just out of interest? What kind of age would you be talking about? Uh, I want to say I want to say it was between eight and ten. Right. Okay. Right. Right. And uh, it has actually became a tradition because for the longest time I was trying to seek out films to watch on Halloween that would actually scare me, and most wouldn't do the bill. But I remember being traumatized by this, and this has become at least a yearly tradition that I watch it on Halloween. Uh. Past this previous Halloween, the last time I'd actually seen this was at a drive-in. And I have to say, it's probably the perfect location to see this. It's actually where it's intended to be viewed. Um, I, I kind of want to go back to, to Ash as well. Uh -huh. Because you were talking about how cold he was. And it, it's in the beginning, it, it's clear that Ash is kind of more the meek character. You know, he's, he's yeah. more just interested in getting away and having fun with his girlfriend. Whatever kind of weird 70s fun that entailed, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we can see that. And then when shit starts to hit the fan, he freezes. And I, I really think the reason that he comes off as cold is because he's that guy that freezes up when that happens at first he 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 can't deal with it he just kind of shuts down and that's why when uh cheryl freaks out it, it's scotty that has to hit her into the basement or when scotty has to chop up his girlfriend that's almost killing him ash just completely freezes he cannot act and I really think that's where a lot of it comes from is he is just so traumatized and shuts down that he's almost on autopilot for a lot of this. And, and like I said in uh, my tutoring, that whole segment where the house is bleeding and freaking out, we're never told whether that really happened or not. We don't know if that's a mental breakdown on Ash's part or if that's actually happening. And I like that that's kind of left up in the air. I like how the camera is moving kind of differently with that. We're getting different shots that's kind of showing how off-kilter things are at that point in time. I mean, even when the camera's moving with Ash while he's having that freak out, we're getting movements of boards, just things to kind of throw you off to to let you know that it's not normal right now. Uh, I really think that's a lot of why he comes off that way in this film. However, we do kind of see that he, he is a screw-up. That's quite obvious throughout the film series, and he is kind of a selfish bastard. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that this kind of weakness in his persona, and I had kind of forgotten about that, and you're, you're absolutely right there, Johnny. He does kind of cower a lot through the the first kind of half of the film, certainly, um, and it's that Scotty guy that kind of 
leads the, the fight back, as it were, I suppose. So, yeah, I do take your point in that. You're right on that. I mean, I think, just to interject, I think, Baz, you're not necessarily wrong in saying and pointing out all the, the bad points about the movie. I mean, the movie kind of really was shot for... Like Penny says, not uh, this is not an expensive movie, and the effects that you're talking about are kind of extensions of almost how like Italian horror movies were shot in the in the seventies, like sound effects and things. I mean, Evil Dead is probably most famous in the UK because it was a video nasty. It was banned, um, and there are plenty of scenes that could have banned it I, I believe it's probably the tree rape that did it um, which is a, yeah, which is quite a I mean it's quite a graphic scene to see in 1981 I mean you know what I mean that's like over here especially it was kind of mind blowing um, but the movie itself owes a lot to kind of splatter horror which is deliberately you know effects that are unrealistic and over the top um, and splatter horror, uh, you know, dates back to the early sixties, and it was this idea of you shock the audience by making things so repulsive, uh, very similar to how kind of torture porn um, in the in the two thousands went out its way to give you the most graphic and over the top kills in order to shock the audience. None of these movies are scary; they're just disgusting. Um, where the Evil Dead, I think, kind of lands on its feet more is the fact that you see what they did with so little money and the you're talking about the the camera effect yeah. of you following the the deadites so to speak um that's mind blowing uh-huh. but you know th- that's actually the uh, evil force yeah you'd never seen anything like that in cinema before no one was doing things like that so Raimi was developing techniques which have been replicated and repeated by god knows how many people that i think you you you're right as a there's a reason that Raimi comes back and does this movie again because evil dead 2 mm. is for all intents purposes a remake um but with a different spin and a different angle um but it's the same premise i mean you, you I, I mean you'll even admit yourself john it's very difficult to believe that ash would escape all that and then go back up to another cabin with another girlfriend uh would would you like me to explain that now? Yes, please, because Bo will be on later on to to discuss why he likes it. So, uh, the the whole reason for that it's actually supposed to be a direct continuation. However, this was at a time where they always had that segment in the very beginning to kind of catch you up on what took place. However, the films were distributed by different companies, so they couldn't directly reference things that happened in the original because they did have a Scotty cast they did have a Shelly cast they had that but the legal aspect held them back from that so they had to just change up that beginning story a little bit in all actuality part two actually begins at the moment the force hits Ash the rest is just to catch us up with what took place in part one right it's just Uh... legal reasons Oh, right. I, d- I didn't know that. Nah, yeah, that's quite interesting. Ah, see, I did not know that. That's quite interesting. Now, uh, one other thing, actually, which I forgot to mention during my, but I think what this film might have not necessarily ben- benefited from, but I think what might have turned me on a bit more to the film would have been a 
a level of humour involved in it that having now seen certainly part two, you know, it, it's fairly devoid of that. But the, you know, the kills and what's happening has a, a level of ridiculousness to it that I think <laughs> would have benefited from a little kind of humorous twist on it. Whereas they don't, they try to play it fairly straight with these ridiculous kind of situations and effects and stuff like that. And I think I struggled a bit there. I think if it had been done a little more tongue-in-cheek, I think I might have warmed a bit more to the film. Yeah, this was made at a time where, as Duncan said, splatter films, they were really trying to go in the straight horror route because the the people that were financing, that was backing them, no, not the dentist, the people that are actually going to distribute the film, were saying... We need blood running down the screen. This is what people want. So they, in their mind, were making a film that would have a run around the country on the fucking drive-in screens and then would die and disappear and no one would hear about it again. <laughs> but what they were hoping is they turned enough of a profit that they could go and make their next film. They had no intention of creating a horror franchise. So they were just taking the advice that they were given and tried to turn out a horrific horror film, which, in my opinion, they did. The, yeah, of the time period as well, there's a lot of movies that, you like, this is in the wake of, like, Roger Corman and stuff, where movies would be released under one title and do the kind of grindhouse circuit, and then maybe they would change, like, one or two scenes in the movie, and then re-release it under another name to cash in and make even more money. And certain movies played about five or six times in Grindhouse runs, identically the same movie, but the name was different each time because it maybe didn't get enough money the first time round. So they just remarket it under a different name, under a different campaign, uh, to try and make the money back again. Which, I mean, it really shows... I mean, there's a reason that these movies are classed as kind of exploitation horror movies. It's... They're exploitative in the way that they deal with their characters, but at the same time they're exploitative in the way that the movies are made, which is cheap, nasty, get them out there, get the money in, finance the next project, and keep doing that. And this is this is one of the, I would say, one of the... Like Evil Dead's probably one of the most popular movies to come out of that. I mean, this, made, this movie has made a ridiculous amount of money, um, considering, like John said, it was supposed to do... Like a quick, a quick run and then disappear into obscurity. So um, yeah, it was actually quite interesting. John was talking about the drive-in movie idea and this film almost being made for that environment, and, and that's quite interesting. Drive-in movies is not a phenomenon we have, or to the best of my knowledge, I've ever had in this country. Um, so weather, Baz. So weather. Well, ah, well, it doesn't lend itself to it, Duncan. That is true, sir. That is absolutely one hundred percent true, um, and. I can see how, particularly maybe back at that time, that this film would have benefited from that. You know, you are in an outdoor area, I'd imagine there's trees around you, these things, you know, and being in that almost kind of vulnerable situation, watching something like this. And I'm assuming most folk hadn't seen anything like this when it first came out. Um, so yeah, I, I could certainly see the effect and it's interesting John saying it was almost aimed at that audience, it was almost developed for that kind of thing. That's never something I think that somebody like me is going to be able to experience nowadays. You know, I'm sitting in the safety of my fucking living room thinking the guy that melted at the end of fucking Indiana Jones is better than this, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, you can even see the big influences on this film are uh, the the Hills Have Eyes. There's the ripped poster in it, yeah. and then the Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre because of how the shed looks. That is a direct homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Those were the two biggest influences while they were making this film. I did see the poster. I picked up on the poster, but I didn't notice that. I didn't. I've never seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so the shed didn't do it for me, but. So I mean, those are basically prime examples once again of kind of driving exploitative horror movies. <laughs> so those those movies grew to fame out of that. And Sam Raimi, I mean, Raimi's out of all the out of the entire ilk, and we'll go more and more into it as we travel through the movies. But Raimi, out of probably all those horror directors, is the one that has had the biggest Correct. career. Um, in terms of yeah, in terms of I mean, this is the guy that did the first three Spider-Man movies before they rebooted recently. That's all Raimi. So, um, and he really Oz the Great and Powerful. Yep, that was that's recent. Um, and one of my I've, he doesn't necessarily do horror, although you can read tons of horror into what he has done. I mean, um, I, I read this wonderful article that that basically said that if you look at Oz the Great and Powerful, the amount of Evil Dead references there are in that, and just, like, tone and content and stuff, without being, like, a horror movie, is incredible. And I, I, I believe that. I mean, you you just need to look at his career to see where it went. And it's based off the back of he grew up watching those movies. So it kind of feels... We spoke about it before, Baz, when it comes to, like, movie makers that kind of make their first big movie and they take their influences, and they come out quite aggressive. It doesn't surprise me that this one doesn't have the humour of the other ones, because, like John was saying, he's got a group of people telling him what he wants, but at the same time, this is his, this is his first movie to make a mark, and when you're a horror director, and you're making your first movie, you go for the jugular, you know what I mean? You you really go to shock. Um, Wes Craven did it, Tob Hooper did it, you know, the list, all these guys do that with their very first movie. Um, they go, you know, right for your throat, and it, it doesn't surprise me that he does it here. Like I say, I I can't disagree with what Baz is saying. I mean, you, you're you're totally right, and I I would say you're right on some level as well when you say there is a degree of nostalgia. I would say I know plenty of people that have come to this movie later in life, um, and dug it. You know, I mean, I saw this movie early nineties on a VHS rip, um. But people like Graham Humphrey, for example, a former co-host on this show, didn't see this movie until much later on, but gravitate to it. So I think if you can get behind that kind of idea of, if you like 80s horror, if you like splatter especially, um, if you kind of kind of get behind how much of a dick Bruce Campbell is in the movie, and to be honest with you, they, they lean more into that in the yeah. sequels, where he's less of a in shock character he's more of a character who is really out for number one <laughs> you know what I mean everyone else is kind of you know if Bruce needs to do this to get what if Ash needs to do this to get out of there and you know it means he has to throw a couple of friends under the bus that's what Ash is going to do as a character cool. so also it's... Baz was saying there's not a character arc but Ash's character arc is actually throughout the trilogy right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, I, I, I would, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, his character definitely evolves and changes as that goes on. So, if it was a stand, yeah, well, you could work that both ways. I mean, you could definitely, at the end of the day, 
we we can now say that because there's there's a trilogy in place. Had those movies not been made though, and you were judging this as a standalone movie, from Bazzi's point of view, they don't really do much in the way of developing no. that character. Yes. Um, and once again, though, it's it's if it's designed for for driving, maybe that's because they expect you to be showing up at the drive-through with your with your girl. Um, and not pay that much attention to what's happening on screen, so it's just there for the big gory shocks as a way to get her to, you know, allow you to put your hands in her pants. I don't know. <laughs> I was just saying it's fully intended to, to make her, you know, frightened and curl up next to you so you can finger bang her. However, to, to me, it's just supposed to be like a, a moment in their life. This is just, we're, we're seeing this day in their life and really, in a day of somebody's life, we don't see character development or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, that that, that is true. Um, but then, you know, there's a lot of other films will attempt to develop the characters to an extent kind of thing. The one thing I will say, actually, John raised it, and it's a valid point, and I did, I kind of picked up on it at the time, was this kind of element of cowardice, if you like, of Ash at the start. That is quite interesting. And it, it wasn't until I... A fair bit through the film, bearing in mind this would then have been the second time that I'd seen the film that I did start to pick up on the fact. And he does kind of turn around a bit towards the end of the film, but maybe not in the the typically heroic way that you would expect of a, of a kind of film, you know. But um, yeah, that was quite interesting, that I suppose. He is the, he's, his character just in general in horror kind of history <laughs> Um is probably the most unlikely hero. You know how they, they try and do that in movies all the time, you know, he's the odd hero, he's the unlikely one to save the day. Ash is the epitome of that, and it's funny, once again, how influential The Evil Dead was as a movie, that the amount of movies that have copied that formula of the reluctant hero, you didn't really get that before this point. Like, heroes were strong male types who rose to the occasion, they were the sheriff of the town, or... You know, I mean, uh, this is almost kind of button against the green, considering this movie's 1981. Um, it's it's quite funny to see that, and once again, it's it's influence as a movie, maybe not being the perf- the most perfect movie, it's influence on other movies and the genre just in, in general is still evident now. I mean, people still are... You, we are still getting movies which are compared to The Evil Dead now. You know, any movie which has a cabin in the woods is compared to The Evil Dead. Straight away. Without any... It could be a cabin in the woods, but it could be... I don't know, some sort of ghost story. Or it could be a serial killer. And the first thing that will happen is... Anyone reviewing it in the horror community will compare it to The Evil Dead. Um, And that kind of speaks... Kind of volumes for the, the, the movie that, yeah, it might not necessarily work on quite a lot of levels, but there are things that are stand out that I've kind of. I mean, how, you, you'll know yourself, John. How, how many movies are, you know, referenced? It is countless, but. More, yeah, it is utterly countless, but more to your point, uh, the movie Actual Cabin in the Woods, the first time I watched it, I didn't enjoy it because there are just so many references to the evil dead that I was just sitting there picking them out like what the fuck it's like even this character's dressed like Ash the cabin's the exact same and just all these little different details it wasn't until I, I went back and watched it again it's like okay I know all this in, is in there just put that in my mind now and watch this movie yeah uh, but 
before Baz actually grades it, I'd like to kind of go over a couple key points of the film, if that's okay. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, one thing I want to point out very first off is that the, the evil is at play at the very beginning of this, you know, uh, the cars jerked into oncoming traffic. Yeah. Yes. Even after it's been checked up. Right. Uh, we can play that off that it's just a, a shitty car. However, later in the cabin, before they get the recorder or anything, Cheryl's hand is influenced. We can see, you know, it clearly looks possessed as the rest of the uh, cast looks later as she's drawing the Necronomicon. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the fact that the trap door is flung open. It, it's the fact that Professor Noby, the, the professor, the shit Indiana Jones, as you call him, uh, actually, you know, was there, did read the book. So the, the force, the evil is still there. It's just not at full strength yet. It's not fully empowered. It, it, it's drawn these fucking kids to the cabin, you know, down into the basement to find this shit. And they do. Uh, I think a lot of the camera work is amazing in this. I mean, we get the 360 establishing shots. We get the shots that are off kilter that really just kind of leave you questioning stuff, that leave you feeling uncomfortable. Like when they pull up to uh, discover the bridge and Ash gets out and, you know, he's at a, a horrible angle and just things like that. The little details like that really stand out to me. The camera work is amazing in this. Uh, the reason it was actually banned in your country, the, the tree rape. I definitely want to talk about that. I mean, Cheryl is this mm. <laughs> it, it was so criticized but it's great on two levels and i want to talk about that all right oh, one first and foremost because it's fucking disturbing nobody wants to see this woman you know drugged to the ground her clothes ripped off whipped by branches and then raped no one wants to see that that's not enjoyable i know i've tried to show people in the past and that's usually where non-horror fans are just like i'm done they can't continue However, secondly, yep. I, I like that it works on a mental level because we're shown this urban girl violated by some of the very things she fears, the primal, primitive, unknown woods. So there's a completely another side to that. And I, I really like that. Yeah, I discussed that in a psychology class. That's quite interesting, actually. I'd never thought of that. Yeah, they're in a you know, an environment that is not their own type thing. I hadn't picked up on that at all, I've got to say. But yeah, that's quite cool. Yeah. They're they're actually from uh, Michigan State. They're they're wearing the sweatshirts and everything. They're college students. Uh, right. And then when Cheryl actually turns into a deadite, I think that's really effective. I like the way she looks. Um, I like how they quickly decompose. I, I think that's very different. We've never seen anything like that. I like how it, it just dehumanizes the character right away but it, that is still that person that we know ash is family with or they're friends with we we see the dehumanization of somebody very close to these characters and, and i think that's important um i think this film does an excellent job of building tension uh i know we we rag on the effects a lot but personally i still to this day greatly enjoy shelly's death where she's chopped up 
I, I think that visual is still very effective. I, I greatly enjoy that death. And especially because I've got the, I didn't get the tension, but I, I didn't thought that it built, I didn't feel it built tension particularly well. I didn't feel kind of stressed or claustrophobic or anything like that at any point in the film. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it works for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I just think it's a lot of like the, the false cues, like when Scotty is looking uh, for his girlfriend, for Shelly. We're going through and we're getting the, the false scare that she's here, she's there, she's not, and then suddenly she is. And it's just the music cues and how they use stuff like that. I think yeah. it's pretty effective. Yeah. Um, and I... I I do want to counter your Bruce is not emotional again because there's the moments where Scotty dies and he's still trying to talk to his friend just clinging on and then when he can't actually bring himself to cut Linda up. Those are his most emotional bits but this is far after he's long traumatized. And yeah. then for me the third act where you know He's already buried his girlfriend. I, I think that bit with his girlfriend, or his girlfriend, it, where Cheryl's sister is broken out of the basement, and the battle between those two is very effective. And I also think uh, uh, Scotty's possessed corpse coming back to, to join the fight is A, a surprise, because we haven't seen a dead person come back yet, but B, it just adds to it. Yeah. Right, so... Oh, right, Buzz. Before we actually agreed, has anything that John has said maybe changed your opinion on some aspects of the movie? Um, I think possibly in some aspects of it. Um, I don't think it has swayed my overall feelings towards the film, but John definitely raised a couple of things there that I hadn't picked up on. Um... And, and that is quite interesting and you're right possibly this kind of I thought I was, it was a bit of a realisation for me going Ash is actually a bit of an arsehole when you really dig down deep John's pointed out a couple of things there that you know it leans towards maybe the traumatisation of it brings on this level of coldness and stuff like that yeah I, I kind of get that I, I I didn't pick up on that but it does it makes total sense um, yeah like I say there's a couple of things I, th I think he's probably turned me around on I don't think it has had a an overall bearing on my opinion of the film as a whole but it's, it's it's been interesting to hear those points of view much in the same way a lot of the time you know when you and I talk about a film there, there's you know you'll raise things that you've got out of that I just things that bypass me do you know what I mean um, it was interesting John's talking about there um, I know John's far more involved in filmmaking and the film kind of scene thing than, than me do you know what I mean um, things like the camera work and that, that that stuff always goes right by me um, so it's interesting to hear that and also both of you were saying you know um, for instance that, that technique of the camera flying towards them when it's, when it's being the evil spirit so to speak um, I thought that was pretty cool but then I've seen it a lot of times before but you are saying well that really was the first time it was done you know I don't have the timeline maybe that you guys do, um, you know, to say, you know, it was quite groundbreaking to do that at the time. I did think that effect was very effective. I couldn't say whether or not it was original and stuff like that. So, yeah, some bit interesting points there from John, I've got to say. Right. Um, now, 
the ultimate question, the one that really counts here, because no one cares about Bazzi's opinion. The the, the one that, <laughs> the one that the one that counts and the one that I'll have to take into consideration when we come to the very end when I give you your overall grade is John, as a as a guest host, as a mentor, as a as a stand-in substitute teacher uh, for, for the Baz for this uh, one movie review, taking into account everything he said using school grades, how would you grade Bazzi's review of The Evil Dead? Uh, grading his review, seeing how low it was, uh, he gets an F, he can go fuck himself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, um, in all actuality, I'm, I'm used to the hate this gets. Uh, but taking into account his review and the fact that he was actually taking my advice and trying to uh, immerse himself in not really taking the notes throughout, uh, I'm going to give him a B. He did miss a couple points, but he really got the overall gist and he seemed open, so it's a B. There we go, a lot higher than I was expecting. That, that is very harsh, but very fair, John. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that'll happen. That'll happen the next time. <laughs> right, um, we're going to take a very short break just now. Oh, yeah, definitely legionpodcasts.com. All the shows are there. Uh, you've heard me be pretty civil, uh, actually a little intellectual here. <laughs> it's usually not my normal flair that people are used to because Duncan has challenged me to actually do actual reviews instead of just scream profanities and talk about my dick. If that's what you want, which is, by all means. Yeah, which is a general John review, to be fair. Yeah, it's... A general John review is fuck this piece of shit or oh my god this was fucking amazing or did you see her, her tits oh th there was a movie her tits though or this movie is fucking stupid my dick is so fucking big that I just want to crush this stupid piece of shit along those lines that's much more the typical John Rhodes review that you get from dry or from Gray Shift Radio driving's gonna be a mixture drive-in is my upcoming project that I'm hosting uh, Duncan's going to guess on it eventually. Um, and we're going to look at all genres. Nothing's safe. Maybe comedies are safe because they're really hard to review. But we're, we're going to open up the floodgates and get into a whole bunch of craziness. Uh, we're starting off with Avengers and actually doing Avengers Age of Ultron on our second episode. So there you go. Boom, boom, right. Thank you very much, John, for, for coming on the show. Hopefully you're not going to hang up this call and uh, put more pins in Bazzi's voodoo doll. Um, he's a <laughs> just, <laughs> just before we finish up, I would like to thank John as well. Um, and thanks again, John, for the you know the, the tutoring uh, piece that you recorded for me. Genuinely, your love for this film is completely infectious. Um, and I couldn't have had a better mentor for this film. So thank you, sir. Well, thank you. Uh, Duncan, thanks for having me on. And I'm really sorry that the first time I got to go head to head with a Scott, it was Baz. I really like you, Baz. I was really hoping it was Duncan. But, hey. <laughs> oh, that, that'll happen. That'll happen the next time. <laughs> right. Um, we're going to take a very short break just now. Uh, we have Evil Dead 2 coming up with... Um, the rather fantastic Bo Ransdell. Um, you're going to hear the trailer for that movie. You're going to hear Bo's opening statement. And when we return, myself, the Baz, and Bo Ransdell will look at Evil Dead 2 right after this. 
Hello? Hello. Who is this? Who are you trying to reach? I don't know. Oh, I think you've got the wrong number. Do I? I'm going to hang up. Wait, don't hang up. What's that noise? Popcorn? You're making popcorn. Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn when I listen to podcasts. I'm about to listen to a podcast. Oh, really? Which one? Probably the podcast on Haunted Hill. Uh, yeah, Dan and Gav. Dan and Gav, yeah. That podcast was scary, I liked it. Most episodes they look at two different horror movies. Each episode they look at a world of a strange, where they look at weird things from around the world. Sometimes they even do special episodes where they look at different genres or directors' discographies and talk about them. Hmm. Do you have a boyfriend? Maybe. So where can I find the podcast on Haunted Hill? Well, you can go to legionpodcast.com, Facebook... Twitter, or just go into iTunes and search for the podcast on Haunted Hill. So, are you going to ask me out? All right, the Baz, if that is your real name. Uh, tonight, we are talking about Evil Dead 2, uh, which, as you might imagine, is the sequel to Evil Dead 1. Um, let me uh, briefly say about the film uh, my experience with it. Initially, um, I saw this when I was a kid. I had seen Evil Dead prior to that at far too young an age. Uh, so evil dead two represented to me, um, a, a sequel to a movie that I really loved that kind of that legitimately scared me. So when I saw evil dead two was a thing, I got super excited. Uh, I had, you know, the issues of Fangoria that showed some of the effects, which I won't spoil for you here. Uh, but there were a lot of practical effects in the film, uh, that I thought were, um, really cool before I ever saw the movie. So, uh, footnote, not all of those stills appear in the movie actually. Um, but evil dead two represents for me, uh, a turning point in my appreciation of horror films, because up until then I had been, uh, excited about, you know, the exorcist and jaws and alien and these very serious, uh, very somber horror films. Uh, even Evil Dead is is quite serious in it in its presentation. So then along comes Evil Dead Two, and Evil Dead Two is silly and over the top and ridiculous and still tense and gory. And it it was a movie that allowed itself to be fun uh, in a way that I don't think any movie I had seen in the horror genre up to that point, uh, allowed itself to be, um, it cemented more so than the, the first movie, uh, Bruce Campbell as an actor that I dearly loved. And it's very clear in this movie that they sort of understood what they had on their hands with Bruce Campbell. Some of his line deliveries in Evil Dead 2 are among my favorites ever put to film. Um, it is, uh, it, it's just a wild ride. It's a roller coaster. It's, it's built not to scare, although it does have moments that I think are, are pretty frightening. Um, but it, it has its roots a little more in the absurd. Uh, and there are, are things that happen in the movie that are so creative and bizarre that, uh, Evil Dead 2, uh, as I said, as a turning point, showed me that horror movies can be not just these, you know, cerebral and knuckle-biting, uh, uh, exercises in, in terror, but they can be fun, and you can really enjoy a movie for, uh, its, its sense of whimsy 
uh, as well as its uh, as as its scares. So uh, yeah, Evil Dead Two is is kind of uh, the linchpin in a lot of ways of my horror viewing. I I do like horror comedies, and Evil Dead Two is um it, you know certainly not the first of those, but it was the one I saw first, and it was the one that showed me just how bizarre a movie can be without losing its narrative thread or or forgetting about its characters. Uh, it meant a lot to me, both as a viewer and a writer, that you could get away with uh, with some of that stuff. And uh, so I envy you for being able to see this movie for the first time. Uh, I, I would gladly trade places because I, I remember coming away from this movie uh, the first time I saw it, wondering what it is I saw and how I could get more of it into my veins because I, I dearly, dearly loved it. Um, I very much look forward to discussing this movie with you. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, enjoy uh, Evil Dead Do, uh, as we call it here in France. Um, all right, enjoy. Four years ago, in this quiet forest, in this cozy cabin, something happened. Something so frightening. Something so deadly. Something so evil. We prayed it would never happen again. Now, from the creator of Evil Dead, comes Evil Dead 2. Welcome back. So we have uh, we have closed out our first four movie reviews, looking at the Evil Dead. This is Baz versus Evil Dead, the end of year assessment, and uh, we are overjoyed to welcome our second mentor um, onto this show. Um, he is one of uh, one of my very good friends now, a, a fellow podcaster, author, and um, he. Does some shows with me that you may have heard before. One is called Duncan and Bo. Come correct, but um, he also runs Legion Podcast Network. Is of course Mr. Bo Ransdell. How are you doing, sir? I am doing wonderfully, uh, and I am excited uh, not just to be here uh, as always talking with you. I, I feel like I'm in the in the presence of almost like an urban legend. With. <laughs> To be talking to Baz because it it like those shows are my favorite uh, podcast under the stairs episodes um, because you know and forgive me for talking about you like you're not here Baz but like you're kind That's of that's quite all right, Bill. <laughs> and, and it's like your perspective on horror movies is unlike any other just because you have no or I mean more so now of course but. 
going into those early shows when you just didn't know what the hell you were talking about, but that's what made it wonderful. And uh, yeah, it's like I said, I, I feel like I have, I'm, I'm sitting down and having an interview with Bigfoot or something. It's just the <laughs> Now, nowadays, I just try to focus on making Duncan cry, Bo. That's kind of my, my aim in life nowadays. He's pretty good You and at me both, well. man. Yeah, the two of are pretty good at it. Right, um, <laughs> so we heard Bo's opening statement, and um, it's safe to say, the reason I came to you and asked you if you wanted to be in charge of the, the Evil Dead 2 mentoring uh, review was because we once had a conversation, Bo, and you told me that there was three posters hung up three movie posters hung up in your house and um one of those is evil dead 2 yeah i can i can turn my head 30 degrees to the left and see uh it's kind of the alternate art the uh uh the kiss your nerves goodbye kind oh, of yeah. impressionist looking one um yeah yeah that's on my wall right now that's within inside of me and if it starts bleeding i know that Baz <laughs> is wrong <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it made sense I, I know I love this movie um, to, to a great degree it's kind of where I picked the, the, the mentors, I went for the kind of passion angle as well as the film review uh, Baz sat down and watched Evil Dead 2 for the very first time today in fact he finished it just what about an hour and a half ago yeah about 15 minutes before I started talking to John about the first Evil Dead film Right, so we it's fresh, fresh in the mind, his first ever viewing of Evil Dead 2. Let's get some information on this one. So this one uh, was released in 1987. It was uh, directed by, once again, Sam Raimi. Um, written by Sam Raimi and Scott Spiegel. And the movie stars, once again, that... that, oh, that that chin it's all about that chin uh, Bruce Campbell it has Sarah Berry Dan Hicks Cassie Wesley DePavia Ted Raimi Denise Bixer <laughs> Richard Domier other folks fuck that um, the synopsis for this movie the lone survivor of an onslaught of flesh possessing spirits holds up in a cabin with a group of strangers while the demons continue their Attack now that synopsis kind of does what John was saying earlier on about this one's supposed to be like a, a direct sequel. However, we put forward the case that it's kind of more like a remake, and John explained why that was done that way. Baz, yes, my friend, you watched Evil Dead 2. The floor is now yours once again. Bo is here to make sure that if you are struggling with something, Bo will explain it, hopefully. Um, if you make a mistake in your interpretation of something, um, or if Bo has an alternative opinion of something you're saying, Bo can interject in. But at the end of your movie review, we will sit down, we will hash things out, uh, leading up towards your grade, which is going to be done Netflix style again, and then Bo will give an overall grade of your performance um, as a reviewer of Evil Dead 2. Baz, are you ready? I am ready, sir. Right, the floor is now yours, Bo. He's all yours now. All right, I have my red pen ready, so... <laughs> Thanks for that, Bo. Right, Evil Dead 2, bitches. Let's do this. Yep, sat down to watch this for the first time today. Eh... Uh, 
off the back, I suppose, of a the fairly disappointing second viewing of the original Evil Dead film earlier in the week there. Um, as I've just mentioned in the previous segment there, um, I was really pumped to watch The Evil Dead again off the back of John's preamble to it. Um, and I was left feeling a little deflated because I think, to be honest, my, my initial feelings of that film are born true over time. Um, Evil Dead 2, however, is a different matter. I had never seen Evil Dead 2 before. Um, didn't have much urge to see it, to be quite honest, after seeing the first one. Um, but I was aware that there is a different kind of tone to this film. Um, and I am nothing, if not magnanimous, so I thought, well, we'll give it a fucking shot anyway and see how we get on. Uh, so I I sat down this morning to watch it. Um, the, the film, it's, again, I'm, I'm not going to delve too deeply into the, the, the uh, detailed plot synopsis of it, but I'll give you a rough rundown and then tell you what I thought. Um, it opens rather oddly with Ash and another female driving a car, talking about this cabin in the woods that they're going to. And a bit like Duncan said in the previous segment, I was immediately like, what the fuck, man? Really? You're taking another bird to another cabin in the fucking woods after your last experience, do you know what I mean? And I was also going like that, well, I thought he'd get possessed at the end of the last one. Anyway. Um, he then proceeds to give her the little magnifying glass pendant thing, and I'm like, that, right, you are a dick, sir. You wrenched that from the mutilated ex-girlfriend's fucking torso and you're now using it to pump some other tear. Shame on you. Shame on you, Ash Williams, you dirty dog. Oh, Ash, Ash moves in mysterious ways, man. He fucking really does. I tell you what, his fucking methods work, though, Bo. You've got to hand it to the man. Uh, he's more so than his fucking... Yeah. Sorry? Yeah, no, the man knows what he's doing. Don't don't kid yourself. Like this is a real don't hate, hate the player, hate the game scenario. <laughs> my, my first line of my notes. I do have some very loose notes. Again, I was trying more to focus on the films. So I've not got a lot of notes, but the, the line immediately after the line that says Evil Dead Two says Ash playing the piano. Ladies' man? Question mark. He's a bit of a machine when it comes to the birds, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> And he's certainly better than the piano than she is at ballet dancing, but each to their own. It was just a fucking weird way to spend the night in a cabin, you know, but anyway. Um, so I was slightly, but then I seem to remember Duncan saying something about the Evil Dead 2 essentially being a remake of it. And I have then, from that point, I approached the film with the sort of premise of let's just forget everything that happened in the first film. John, what John described um, in, in the last segment there about how the first five minutes or so are essentially a remake to give you a recap of what happened in the first film actually makes a lot of sense as well. I think you can probably view it either way. Not being aware of what John has since told me had no effect on how I felt about the film kind of thing, you know. Um, but once I just dismissed the first film from my mind, if you like, I could sort of settled more into it. Um, and I've also got to hear he, he essentially gets possessed within about five minutes and I'm kind of going right where's this fucking going now that kind of ties in with what John said i.e. that was him getting possessed at the end of the first film if you like um, straight away I noticed a few things the effects are better in the film uh, by orders of magnitude but in fairness I, I think I'm right in saying there's 
like six or seven or maybe even eight years between the two films. So obviously there would yeah. be fairly seismic shifts in technology and stuff like that. Particularly the period, you know, and money. Let's, yeah. yeah, I mean, th- th- this movie costs a lot more money than the original Evil Dead by, I think the first Evil Dead is like eight grand, something like that. And, yeah. you know, Evil Dead 2 is a couple of million. So, you know, <laughs> go to a car lot sh- with both of those amounts in your pocket and see what you come away with. <laughs> true. Very true. Um, yeah, and, and it showed the effects are way better, but I think there's a, a lot to this film that has nothing to do with the money, the budget put in, whatever, um, just the way they've approached it that, that worked better for me, I think. Um, yeah, so Ash and the girl are right there, there's a bit of romance and some very dodgy fucking innuendos about champagne. Um, and he then comes across the kind of tape recorder again that we're familiar with from the first one, plays it. There's a fucking dead skin mask book thing lying there. He has a wee flick through that against his better judgment. Um, and of course, he plays the tape. It summons the fucking spirits. Um, and, and all hell fucking breaks loose. Basically, um, his girlfriend gets possessed, comes at him. He ends up decapitating her with a, a shovel and right at this point now I was getting kind of more invested in it the effects aren't fucking mind-blowing but they're I was a lot more comfortable accepting them kind of thing um he goes he buries her um as is his want he's obsessed with fucking burying women in the woods it does but <laughs> ash that perhaps need to be investigated somewhat further he's very good at the burying as well he can literally bury one of them in about 10 minutes fucking impressive <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, practice makes it perfect, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and then, as, as I mentioned earlier, he gets kind of briefly possessed, but when the sun comes up, it fucking goes away and he goes back to normal again, kind of thing. Um, he then tries to get the fuck out of Dodge, and like in the first film, we come across the bridge, which is destroyed. It looked better as well. It was curled up like a kind of fucking claw kind of thing, you know. It was all quite impressive. And big uh, Bruce Campbell got all over dramatic, screaming at the fucking sky and all that. We realised the bridge, you know, that was fucking bitchy. Gotta say. Um, and what I noticed right away, and, and this I think is where I'm saying I don't really care about the budget, and uh, I, I just think Bruce Campbell is a fucking hundred times better in this film than he was in the first film. Um, and I think they possibly play up a lot to his strengths in it. Um, and then what what interests me at this point, we then, it cuts away to another scene entirely. We see a woman coming off a plane. We find out she's the daughter of this sort of mad Indiana Jones cat that's on the tape recorder. She's got a fucking really straight-laced looking boyfriend that comes and picks her up. She's been to the fucking ruins of Kandar or whatever it is her dad hangs about. She's found some more pages. So they're going to, rather than head back to the university I'd imagine that she works for, they're going to fuck off to this cabin to do all of their fucking really detailed historical research. Again, that's a bit fucking flimsy, but we'll, we'll go with it kind of thing. Um, they head off up there in a big limousine. Um, they kind of they get stuck or they fucking break down or they can't find the way or something like that. Or I think it's the bridge is fucked, that's what it is. So they can't get to it. And then fucking Billy Joe Jim Bob and his inbred fucking sister. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
And I know this is vaguely racist, but I do love an inbred Southern American turning up my nose. <laughs> no offence taken. Uh, yeah. No, good, good. <laughs> you know me, Bo. Um, yeah, I, I, I do like the, the redneck backwoodsman and fucking Bobby Jean or whatever her name was turning up. That, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby Joe. Bobby, Bobby Joe. Bobby um, Joe. Working the old double denim and the white cowboy boots. I mean, that just gets my motor running every fucking time. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, so they then, uh, they group together. Uh, the fucking the mechanic boy or whatever the fuck he's meant to be. He tells them there's a secret trail that they can hike through. And she very cunningly tricks him into fucking carrying this a massive suitcase thing. I love that bit. Uh, I guess I'll stop by the by, but it's there. Um, so they then arrive at the cabin where Ash has fucking lost his shit and running about with a shotgun, <laughs> shooting at everything, yeah, basically. I think you're, you're, you're kind of skating over the deer head laughing at him and him <laughs> dancing with the table lamp. Like, oh, I think aye. that deserves some significant attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. I did forget about that. Like I say, my, my synopsis will not be the detailed one, Bo. Um, yeah, you're right. There is the scene where basically everything starts to laugh at him, which was quite amusing, I've got to say. Um, again, he kind of loses his shit and starts shooting shit up catching young Bobby Jean in the arm, which causes Cletus to lose his fucking mind and come plowing through the door and tearing into him. Um, so basically this is how they all arrive. Um, and then fucking surprise, surprise, shit starts to go downhill from there. Um, they find out, I think, through the tape recordings that the, the loving professor has buried his wife in the basement, basically, uh, because she'd become possessed by one of the demons. Um... By this point, they've locked Ash down there, and by sheer coincidence, as soon as they find out about this in the tape recorder, she pops up out the ground and starts fucking trying to eat Ash. Um, he's screaming to let me out and stuff like that, uh, and they manage to get him out, rather roughly lifting him out by his neck, I've got to say, which was a bit fucking harsh. Um, yeah, so they, they then kind of cut Ash a bit of slack, thinking maybe he's not completely responsible for the carnage that beholds them as they enter the, the, the shed or whatever it is the fuck they're staying um, so they're battling with the mothers for a little while um, and then we get the kind of it follows a similar sort of process if you like to the, the first film you know various ones start to get possessed um, there's also, we, we get a little kind of bit more background on the professor and his family, if you like. Um, we saw a scene earlier on with them, actually, where you actually see them finding the book and stuff like that. Um, and also, that there is, in the book, there is uh, there's sort of passages with how to deal with them. We find out there's a passage will bring the evil spirit, make it real. And then there's another passage that will create this vortex that will suck it into another fucking time and dimension. And I thought, I know where this is going. <laughs> it, uh, the film gets pretty much straight into it. Um, there's a bit with a dancing claymation corpse, which is quite cool, actually. Um, I think this is before everybody arrives. I think this is his fucking partially buried girlfriend pops back to life again. Um, and she's kind of dancing about like a fucking really crack addicted stripper in the garden um, yeah. 
you know, it's like the mother of all meth whores, do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, do I? Juggling. <laughs> She's juggling her head about and stuff like that. And this is kind of what I was getting at when I was talking about part one. It is, it's pretty much claymation, you know, effects. I'm all right with that, you know, it was a thing of its time. Um, and, and I had a fucking wry chuckle to myself. And I think it was at this point I kind of noticed that I was smiling and grinning and kind of chuckling at the film. And normally, I, I think Duncan, there'll be a lot of times we maybe talk to one of the older films and Duncan laughs at things and I'm like, I'm not watching this film to fucking laugh at it, do you know what I mean? I, I, I'm expecting a horror film. I think they pitched the kind of tongue-in-cheek humour in this film just perfectly. And because it got me on board with that sense of humour, and to be quite honest, unless it's a straight-up horror comedy, I don't particularly dig this laughing at horror films thing. You know, it's so bad it's funny. You know, it's so bad it's shite. (laughs) (laughs) Have that with me. I kind of started to dig it. Which is a, a first. There are maybe some of the early uh, Friday the Thirteenth, early Nightmare, and Elm Street films had little bits in it where I could get on board and have a chuckle. Dream Warriors, I think, was probably one like that. You know, it was a bit fucking batshit nuts, and I, I, got, I was fond enough of it that I could deal with that and laugh along with it. And I think quite early on in this film, I started. I, I took on that mindset. Um, which I think aided me greatly uh, as I was watching the the film. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure Bo's going to pull me up on hundreds of things I've missed out, but, but it's basically, after this, it's similar to the first film. People start getting possessed. They're kind of fighting them off. There's a fucking brilliant scene where uh, Ash's beheaded girlfriend's head basically bites him in the cock, and then he runs about <laughs> and smashing her head off everything, and it's fucking brilliant and I'm kind of going you know that's hilarious it's a great fucking scene and talk about a way to get around the special effects just give him a rubber fucking mannequin's head and just just make sure the face isn't pointing at us and just run around the room and go fucking nuts on it Uh, Bruce you know I mean which he duly does to great fucking effect then he puts her head in a vice and all that it was fucking bitching I've got to say I really like that but I just love the fact she bit him in the cock and he's running about screaming Right, my cock, go stop biting my cock. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He <laughs> if he said that, that would have been fucking amazing, particularly in that. Stop biting my cock. <laughs> I, although he doesn't say that, but when he has her head in the vice and she's, you know, like even now your Linda sleeps or, you know, burns in hell with us or whatever, and his response is, you're going down. Yeah. Which is. <laughs> A wildly inappropriate response to the situation, but that's kind of what makes Ash wonderful in this movie. Absolutely, absolutely, I have to agree entirely in that. Um, also, playing off the like, just mentioning there, like you, you're talking about the fact that they don't have money, so they'll just pretend. There's a whole sequence where his hand is possessed, where basically oh, he is. That. <laughs> it's, it's the same idea. It's like yeah. it's the the uh, Sam Raimi understands that. Like Bruce Campbell and him have a ridiculous love for the Three Stooges, and the the influence of the Three Stooges is all the way through here. So it's slapstick humor, so it's painful humor to watch, 
And I love that. I love the I love the idea of when certain shots are being filmed, Sam Raimi actually just started throwing things from off screen at Bruce Campbell. Like just to, <laughs> just just to hurt him. Like you see the scenes where the he gets knocked out of the cabin and he's flying the, yeah. the camera's falling and he's twisting around and he's getting hit in the face with branches. That's mm-hmm. Sam Raimi just hitting him in the face with branches. <laughs> like, just, yeah. I, I, I love to, you yeah. know, put some through fucking hair. <laughs> I just love that. I think that's great. I watch so well. Yeah, and yeah, and writes into the script like Bruce then breaks plates over his head for two minutes to <laughs> knock himself yeah. out in in theory. And yeah, there's a lot of that stuff of of just how can we beat the shit out of Bruce Campbell in this film? Yeah, there's like there's there's loads of things that there's. Round about the head and the vice scene, the, the body appears again with the chainsaw trying to fucking kill him. And he wrestles about with it to try and get the chain. Now, I know the chainsaw is quite pivotal in these films. Uh, but it reminded me of the naked wrestling scene in Borat. Oh. I fucking love that. Do you know what I mean? It's like Borat with chainsaws and fucking headless people. That was cool. Then we get the possessed hand attack that Duncan's talking about. So I think it's basically night time comes back in. We already know that Ash has been kind of possessed earlier on. So then they draw some black veins on his hand with a sharpie. And his fucking hand's possessed now. And uh, yeah, it's like you say, there's two minutes of Bruce punching himself in the face. And pulling his hair. And just fucking malking himself in the face with plates. And it's hilarious, man. Absolutely hilarious. And then he chainsaws it off. And while I've not seen, well, obviously this was my first watching of this, I've never seen Army of Darkness, but I've seen posters for Army of Darkness, and I know that he has this chainsaw hand idea, so I know that he loses a hand, and of course that then happens. Um, he's knocked himself out. There's then quite a funny scene where he, the hand basically drags him across his, his unconscious body across the room, like finger lengths at a time, to get to this cleaver, which I assume is then going to use to like fucking cut his head off or something like that but he gets the hand with the chainsaw and he cut there's a line when he cuts the hand off uh, another one of these throwaway lines kind of thing but he hacks his own hand off with the chainsaw which was awesome and then uh, in which he recovers from remarkably well I've got to say uh, <laughs> get a, a nice little cauterization scene but no fuck that man Bruce Campbell don't bleed so he just stands <laughs> up and up a wee bit yeah exactly too damn busy bo um and then he, he sticks a fucking bucket on top of the hand. This is your home now. Puts the bucket on. And then stuff, sticks some books on in case it can get out. You know, and of course the top book is a farewell to arms. Even I got that joke. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it, so, yeah, it's like to me that that the book on top of you know the trash can it sums up the tone of this movie perfectly. Of like, yeah, here's this crazy situation where you're putting a bucket on top of a severed hand that has come to life and wants to kill you, but we still have time for a dumbass farewell to arms joke. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, well, then treated to another tree raping scene. Nobody needed that, to be quite fucking honest. Um, yeah, then I think a few more of them have died by this point. Um, and we're basically kind of towards the end of the film, we're left with Ash and the, the professor's daughter, uh, what's her name, Bo? Uh, oh, jeez. I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll find out. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll come back to me. Yeah. Oh, a- Annie. 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 Yeah. So it's basically her and Ash. They're, they're all that's left. 
the the fucking the mother the, the professor's wife she's going off her fucking nuts man she's really messed up um so then we get this kind of 18 like fucking scene where they fashion this fucking futuristic mad max gladiator costume for ash when he gets that <laughs> basically a chainsaw for a hand and some bondage straps and he makes himself a soft shotgun I'm, I'm pretty sure you can't make a sawn off shotgun with a chainsaw, but Ash gives it a good fucking bash and a wee back <laughs> and all that. And then I think we're then familiar. This is the Ash that is maybe more familiar in common culture. So this is a bit like the you know, the, the Jason transformation, the Jason Voorhees transformation. Yeah. Um, you finally get to see the, the Ash that is, is, you know, in popular culture. Um, and then he goes to motherfucking war kind of thing, do you know what I mean? Um, the they're then going through these books of the dead, and there's a um, there's a drawing, and he's like, "Who the fuck's this?" Ah, kind of looks like you. A chainsaw for a hand, Bruce. That's just my fucking guess, you know. What I mean? <laughs> but this is this <laughs> yeah, prophecy yeah. of this man from the sky who came to Earth thirteen hundred years ago to save everybody from the fucking evil spirits. Oh, right. yeah, this, this ties in with my theory as to where this film's going. Yeah. Um, well, actually, he possesses, uh, yeah. a, like, he has a unique and, and kind of wonderful lack of self-awareness. Like, yeah. as far as he's concerned, I'm just trying to get the hell out of this cabin. I'm not worried about prophecies. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, prior to the whole fucking chainsaw makeover, um... Ash kind of turns evil again for a wee bit and attacks some of them as well, so he is still suffering from this kind of possession thing. Um, and then basically the big fucking baddie turns up with the end of level boss. Um, it wasn't the greatest effect in the film, I've got to say, but it's kind of attacking the cabin. Uh, Annie's there, she's trying to recant the, the fucking spell or whatever it is to get fucking rid of it kind of thing, where Ash is fucking... Malkin him with his chainsaw and stuff like that. Um, I think he's already decapitated the mother by this point. So the mother goes all fucking snake demon on him and he cuts her fucking arms and head off with his wee chainsaw fist thing. And then he's taking on the big bad guy and Annie's trying to read the spell and she gets the... The knife was really cool in this actually. It was better than in the first film because the blade is like a spine. Mm-hmm. I thought that was quite cool. And she gets stabbed in the back. So, oh my God, she's not going to manage to finish the spell. But by the fucking power of Grayskull, she manages to fucking blot out the last couple of lines. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the vortex opens up and sucks the fucking bad demon away. Um, and we think everything's cool. And uh, and Bruce is kind of trying to chill out. And obviously he's a bit fucking disappointed. Because I think he was going to finger Annie at one point. Which <laughs> made his decision to stick a chainsaw on his bleeding stump. Kind of awkward, do you know what I mean? Um <laughs> Take one like that his wanking hand. Yeah, bit, of, bit of forethought there. Um, you know, somewhere interchangeable yeah. attached would have been a better idea, Bruce. Do you know what I mean? Maybe one of those vibrating fist things. Anyway, I digress. Um, and, and just Ash is ambidextrous. Not a lot of people know that. <laughs> It'd be fucking neat to be really. Um, and just as we think Ash is fine, the door opens and he gets sucked out into the vortex and spins away through it like a fucking scene out of Buck Rogers. Um, and he crash lands in the desert, along with a car, I'm pretty sure. 
and this is him. So he, he's now been sucked back in time because the fucking the knights and them or whatever it is turn up. Um, fucking kill him, he's a demon. And then a, an actual demon turns up and Ash gets all fucking Mad Max on it and takes out with his shotgun and then they all think he's amazing. Um, and the film basically ends here. And I was kind of like that, right, okay, you're back in time here. Arm to the teeth with a petrol-driven chainsaw and a shotgun. Yeah, that's going to last you about the first 90 seconds or so of the first fucking next film clip runs out of fuel and you run out of bullets. Um, I'm wondering if that's maybe what the car's there for. If he siphons the petrol out the car to keep his wee chainsaw fist going. I don't know I think, what I'm jumping ahead of myself. <laughs> but you're thinking far too much about this. Yeah, yeah, I definitely <laughs> am. I definitely am. Um, and the film ends there setting up nicely for what I assume is the Evil Dead 3 Army of Darkness. Oh, right. Um, Bo. Now, Baz flew through that review. Um, yeah. And, uh, like a boss. Like a, like a boss. And he touched on some things. He, he also didn't touch on some things that are, are worth mentioning, which I think you're going to pick up on now. So the floor is now yours to come back to Baz. Uh, you and the Baz can now discuss elements that he may have missed or go into greater detail on some of the things he's touched on and we'll see where the opinions marry up. So, Bo? Stay on you. me, Daddy. Alright, so... The, I mean, aside from the, the wild timeline problems that we have with Baz's description of this movie... <laughs> um, yeah, there, there, there were a few things out of sync, but... Alright, but, kind but of helpful, but we'll keep the, going. <laughs> the the things that you missed that I, I think are worth mentioning. Um, yeah. You did not mention the fact that Bobby Joe gets a mouthful of eyeball oh, uh, yeah. prior to the tree <laughs> rape scene. I. Yeah. It's not a great effect, Which, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, the way that her head kicks back, like there's some velocity to that eye, uh, and then swallows <laughs> it right down, answering the question, is Bobby Joe a spitter or a swallower? Uh, I think we all knew the answer to that, Bo. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, you also have a, a scene that uh, is one of the more ridiculous moments in the movie where the ghost of the uh, the father breaks through our realm to the sound of yeah. galloping horses and crazy camera angles. <laughs> yeah. Just to tell him some shit they already knew, really. But, you know, he's, he's spent a lot of time and energy, obviously, just getting the message across. So I don't think anyone's going to give him a hard time about, like, yeah, we kind of knew this. Um, <laughs> but uh, so so we have that. Um, the, the scene that you're talking about with, uh, with you know, Ash uh, gearing up A-team style. Um, yeah. To I don't think you can undersell how him like looking at the the camera and uttering groovy became yeah. a thing that people lost their shit over for years and and to this day it's still one of my favorite moments in any movie because it it again it's a great example of this movie giving you kind of the the gore and thrills of something like evil dead but also not taking it too seriously and, and giving you kind of those audience applause moments. Um, you know, in this, like you said, you know, Ash does 
uh, as played by Bruce Campbell, like this is where Ash kind of becomes the Ash that people loved, which is he's a bit hapless. Um, he's not the smartest guy in the room for sure. Uh, he j and and is a bit cowardly as well, and that's highlighted more in Army of Darkness. But you know, it, his whole motivation is just like I want to get out of here. Um, and that becomes much more of a thing, you know, in, in Army of Darkness and also Ash versus Evil Dead, which you should totally watch. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so good. But, uh, but yeah, it, you know, the, the joke about, you know, a farewell to arms and the possessed hand and all that stuff, like, it, it is such a bizarre, like, this is a movie that every, like, ten minutes or so, something bananas just happens. And, even though you can kind of generalize and predict like, oh, I bet someone's going to be possessed. Well, sure. But it's sort of the way they're possessed and what follows uh, becomes kind of wonderful. Um, you know, like even the, the big bird, the long neck demon of Henrietta in the, in the fruit cellar. Um, as played by Sam Raimi's brother, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Ted Raimi, please, please. Yeah. <laughs> Which is quite funny. <laughs> Yeah, and like, you know, the I'll swallow your soul, I'll swallow your soul. Um, all that stuff I think is kind of wonderful. And like when he's fighting uh, the uh, Henrietta when she's got the, the super long neck, there there are monkey sounds happening. And that <laughs> Yeah, I know it's not. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of wonderful. And, um, you know, I think the scene where um, Ash gets repossessed uh, not not to uh, call upon a worse movie, um, but <coughs> you know, he is the evil that you bite your tongue, yeah. sir. But, but I'm all joking. When uh, um, Annie ends up stabbing uh, Cletus, as you call him, with the knife, <laughs> and possessed Ash, Ash is roaming around that the outside the house looking for a way in, and she drags him in just enough to try to slam the door on his legs. Like all that stuff I think is, is kind of genius. It, it, you know, there's probably one Sam Raimi movie, Raimi, uh, Sam Raimi movie. Um, God, I sound Scottish. Um, <laughs> there's probably one Sam Raimi movie I like better. Uh, and that's Spider-Man two. Um, but evil dead two, as I mentioned in, in sort of the preamble, um, is the, the first horror movie I saw, that didn't it, it wasn't making fun of being a horror movie it was just making it okay for a horror movie to be absurd and fun and still not like not disparage the elements that make up a horror film um because i think the scene where ash is kind of roaming around the house when he's possessed is actually really tense and and well done and i really like his makeup work in uh when he's all evil deaded out when he is possessed by a Kandarian demon. Um, and yeah, I mean, even the big monster tree at the end of the movie, when he like chainsaws that thing in the eye and it just gushes green goo and all that stuff. Uh, like, I think all that is, is fun. And maybe that's the, the big takeaway uh, of this movie for me is that this movie never stops having fun. And I, I think as an audience member, um, I, I don't think you can help but join in, you know, like <laughs> when they're saying join us, Boz, 
they what they were actually saying is join us in having a good time. Just <laughs> set a spell. <laughs> and uh, you know, be possessed by entertainment. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I yeah, I I think Evil Dead 2 is, is just a great good time movie. And I, I think, you know, whether you're seeing it for the first time or like me seeing it for the fifteenth time. Um, I still have a good time watching. I think Bruce Campbell is wonderful in it. Um, I think the effects are really good. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just a blast. It's just a good goddamn time. Yeah, I think um, just 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 jumping in just at the end. I think like to me, I saw Evil Dead two before I saw Evil Dead. So it was it was weird going to see Evil Dead after watching the second one, which. Like you say, it knows knows the audience that it's playing to, um, or doesn't maybe doesn't know its audience that it's playing to, but kind of hopes that you'll get on board with it. And it's surprising how many people did get on board with it, and how once again, like the Evil Dead, kind of shapes the landscape for kind of Cabin in the Woods movies. You know, the the, the kind of gore splatter genre takes a, a huge change after that movie. I think the same thing happens after Evil Dead 2. The amount of movies that then kind of are okay with injecting a bit more humour in it, trying to create that ultimate that ultimate hero that Ash ultimately becomes in, in Evil Dead 2, something that kind of permeates through horror after as well. Um, but there's just... I think there's just so much to love about this movie. Like we were saying, it kicks in pretty quick. Um, it doesn't really give you that much time to to wait before we... Because we already kind of know what the story is anyway. If you've seen the first one, kind of already seen the second one to an extent. Um, so as soon as he gets possessed, I love I love that, you know, he has to, to kill off Linda um, and, you know, the, the, the burying of her and then her coming back and then the possession of his hand. And just, like... the. Nothing goes right for Ash in this movie at all, and that kind of is the the almost the the kind of the kind of credo of Ash moving forward. Really, is Ash will try to be a hero, but Ash is incapable of being a a successful hero. He kind of not only is a reluctant hero, but he's kind of an accidental hero as well. When things go right, it's not necessarily because he's done something, it's because he surrounded himself with people that can do things right, and he kind of ends up with the credit. Um, and he will do anything where possible to save, to save his own skin. And to see the pain that he's put through, you know, he has to, <laughs> give me back my hand, give me back my hand. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the, the, the pain on his face when he, he realises he just has to, <laughs> to chop his hand off or end up completely possessed or, oh my God, this is the beginning of so many things that, that, that travel through into Army of Darkness. The effects, I love the fact that Sam Raimi in this movie decided that every time blood was going to be on the screen, it was going to be a different colour. For no and there needed to be about two thousand gallons of it uh, at oh, any when he given shoots time. The, yeah, when he shoots the wall to kill his hand, and the hand, the wall just bursts out so many different colours. Of, yeah, there's, of, there's a great fucking scene actually where Annie is kneeling. I think it's when the Cletus gets dragged into the into the cellar, like under the cellar door. 
And just as his feet disappear, are about to disappear, somebody turns a fucking fire hose full of red water on, right? <laughs> and fucking blasts her for about a minute and a half. And then she turns out and there's blood on one shoulder. <laughs> she nearly drowned. Do you know what I mean? And she just smeared a blood across one shoulder. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. But yeah, some of the fire hose fucking effects with the blood were brilliant. Oh, they just, they go for it. Like, one of my favourite scenes, and I'm glad we kind of, we, we came back to talk about it. One of my favourite scenes in the movie is Bruce Campbell losing it. Like, you know, he goes to sit in the chair. Finally, because things have calmed down, the chair breaks. And then the lamp starts laughing. And the yeah. the kind of deer head starts laughing. And then Bruce Campbell starts laughing. But it very quickly goes from kind of, like, a hysterical laugh into a kind of manic laugh. And he's just losing his shit. You know, he's completely losing his shit. And then, at that point, that's when the other characters come into the fray. And I think that works really well for it. There is tons of jokes in here. There is tons of, like we mentioned earlier on, Three Stooges humour in here. Um, Bruce Campbell is put through hell making this movie. And that's because him and Sam Raimi are good buddies and Sam Raimi just wanted to do that to Bruce Campbell he knew what he could do and a lot of who Bruce Campbell is now as an actor is forged from this movie I mean he released a movie a couple of years ago called My Name is Bruce um, where he is basically a parody of Ash and you know he's playing Bruce Campbell in real life as a parody of Ash and it's funny how how much of that character is written into the script and how much of that is actually Bruce Campbell in real life you know the lines do start to blur and I think it works really well and it creates arguably this movie creates arguably the single break, single greatest horror hero in, in history there's very few everyone knows you know, if you're into horror movies, or even French horror movies, especially now that we've had Ash vs. Evil Dead on TV, everyone knows Ash. Everyone knows Bruce Campbell. Um, and I think yeah, that's... It's funny, because with horror films, it's normally the fucking villain that you, is, is memorable. You know, it's normally yeah. about them kind of thing. And this is, I suppose, you're right, it's one of the few that's actually about the hero, in inverted quotes. Yeah, and it's because he's so useless. Had he been, yeah. like, uh, like a, a well-to-do like proper Hollywood hero this movie wouldn't work at all it just wouldn't be interesting it would it would it would be another movie which would be from a time period where you got a lot of kind of horror movies that are instantly forgettable that you might you might eventually kind of come across because a Scream Factory or an Arrows put it out for a bit of nostalgic love The Evil Dead 2 has the fans on the level it does is because Ash is on most on most levels a dislikable yet likable character. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's he's he's oxymoronic to his core, and I think that's what makes what he is. He's brilliant to watch, and he I don't think we can ever sell short. Bruce Campbell's comic timing is phenomenal, and this is the movie that really lets him start to to kind of put that out there and let him shine with it, um, and it's what makes the movie. I think yeah. it's incredible. Anything else you want to say, Bo, um, before I ask Baz if if he uh, has taken on board your comments and is prepared to now make a, a, a grade forthcoming? Yeah, I, I would just uh, say I, I think what makes Ash uh, such 
a landmark character for a lot of these movies. And, and like you said, a lot of movies try to imitate this kind of character, but Bruce Campbell is just so genius at it. And the movie's on his back. Like, if he's not good in it, the movie doesn't work. And it turns out he's, you know, kind of genius in it. Um, and the the other thing I, w- I would probably add here before uh, we, we get a grade is that, you know, much like Evil Dead, the original Evil Dead is influential. This is the same kind of influential, I think, but also manages to not feel as dated and not feel uh, as self-serious as maybe Evil Dead does. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's kind of the superior movie in every way. As much as I love the original Evil Dead, but I saw it when I was a kid and it scared the shit out of me. Um, Evil Dead 2, like I, I don't watch Evil Dead all the time. I watch Evil Dead 2, you know, once a year uh, when somebody mentions it and it's been a while since I've seen it. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, when the eyeball flies through the air and that chick eats it, I gotta watch that again. So yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of a mainstay. I think it's just one of one of the best horror movies ever made because it, it inserted the ability to have fun without making fun of being a horror movie in, into yeah. uh, the vocabulary of horror film. And you know, for, you know for a fact that when the guys were off making Tucker and Dale, it's Evil Dead 2 that's, you know, it's a huge influence. You can, you can tell that. And yeah. it's a, an influence for so many of those movies. And it's funny, John mentioned Cabin in the Woods earlier on. Um as being like, you know, it takes a lot of tropes from Evil Dead, but it takes a hell of a lot of tropes from Evil Dead too, in particular the humour, because that movie is very funny as well. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and being like reverent about being a horror movie at the same time. Like, the movie's not embarrassed. Like, when when you see some horror comedies, a lot of times it feels like they're embarrassed of being a horror movie, so they're making fun of the tropes. Yeah. And that's not where the comedy comes from in this movie. It, you know, it comes from, you know, Ash chainsawing all, off his hand saying like, who's laughing now? You know, <laughs> it's just, it, it, it just goes bananas. And at, because of the character who is like, I think the one reason people really relate to Ash is that he is so cowardly sometimes that he seems relatable in that way. Like if I were in that situation, I would be done for, I can only hope that I would fall ass backwards into heroism like Ash does and and only becomes a hero out of necessity. And that's only because he wants to save his own skin. He's not trying to save the world. He just wants to survive. And yeah, yeah, I think I, I, I think there are about 10 things about this movie that are, are brilliant. There we go. Right, Baz, you have, as like, you, you have been a sponge in this one. You, you've, you've, at first put out a lot of knowledge and then you've got a lot of knowledge back in but I get the feeling that you quite liked this movie anyway before we before Bo started talking I now need to put you on the spot and say with all the additional stuff that Bo's talked about um, in conjunction with what you've said has Bo made you enjoy the movie anymore? I would say no but only because I fucking loved the movie well there we go um, <laughs> You know, and I, and I genuinely did. And it's funny, I, I was saying when we were talking about Evil, the first Evil Dead, within about 20 minutes of watching it, um, I had basically knew that I wasn't, you know, my opinion the first time I'd watched it was, was going to stick. You know, I knew 
within that length of time, nah, I still don't like this film. I knew within 10 to 15 minutes of Evil Dead 2 that I was going to enjoy the film. Um, yeah. You actually came to my door about 40 yeah, minutes in to drop something off. And I opened the door and just went like, Evil Dead 2 is the tits, man. That's you know, and you thought I'd finished that. I'm not finished. Don't say anything. I've not finished it. Um, <laughs> and it, I think, for me, the vast majority of it is, it, it's the character development of Ash, because there was none in that first film. Well, we, we talked about it with Johnny, and I can see his point of view, where there is a small amount, and possibly it's not required anyway. In this film, that you get this almost metamorphosis, and and it's cool because it's not into this fucking Greek god type hero guy. Do you know what I mean? It's this slightly clownish buffoon who gets tooled up to fuck because he really doesn't have any choice but to take these guys on. You know, but it's the I just think that the the humour is just pitched perfectly, and it. it's not it's like kind of wry humour at points. Um, there are a, bit, a few bits, the eyeball bit, I think it's, they go right over the top at that point, but that's okay because you're kind of laughing through the film. And like I say, I think with a lot of these old films that people think are hilarious because they're so bad, I don't get that. I really don't. I get that with Evil Dead too, And I don't think it's because it's not a bad film. It's still a pretty good film. It's well made. I, I really like the act. Even the other, the bit part characters in this, I could not have given a flying fuck about one of the other characters in that first film, <laughs> apart from character Ash. I really, I couldn't, I couldn't even remember their fucking names. Um, I, well, more, more importantly, I couldn't be bothered making up my own names for them like I normally do. <laughs> but I totally did that with Evil Dead 2, do you know what I mean? It's a fucking great film. I would, I would go and watch it again tomorrow. Um, I really would. Uh, I think it's, it's got its flaws. It's not, not a fucking peerless film by any means. But it's a fucking lot of fun. And... It got me on board with Ash. I like the character of Ash now. I didn't after the first film. Um, yeah, so no offence to Bo. I don't think what he says has really changed my opinion much. I just fucking... It's only because I really liked it. We're watching it. He didn't need to convince me anymore. Um, I don't think there's anything particularly that you guys brought up out with maybe some of the, you know, the effect this film had on the genre and on the industry out with it, you know. Out yeah. with that, I don't think there was anything that he's really come up with that I hadn't kind of picked up. Um, you know, there, there's not a lot of fucking Freudian subplots going on in this movie. It, it's a friendly fucking setup. This is fucking happening. Um, they just do it really well. I, I just thought it was a fucking great film. Um, and as I say, I, I think uh, it has that humour. It, it pokes fun at itself, whereas Evil Dead didn't. It tried to be straight up fucking scary now. Bo, like John, said, you know, saw it when he was a kid, Evil Dead when he was a kid, scared the shit out of him. I'm 43 years old, it's not going to scare the shit out of me, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, right, that's what prostate cancer will do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking touch wood. Okay, Bo. Um, <laughs> you know, very treatable now, uh, very treatable these days. <laughs> um... But this film, you know, with the humour in Evil Dead 2, it just fucking got me on board. And, and I'm dying to watch Evil Dead 3 now because I think it pretty much picks up the mantle that this fucking film hands over and goes with it. You know, where are it going to go? I've got no fucking idea. But I'm really looking forward to seeing it. After I've been watched Evil Dead 1, I, I, I wasn't that fucking psyched about watching the second film. You know, obviously I was going to do it for this. I think I was aware it was a bit more tongue-in-cheek than the first one. 
But I, I think I thought it wasn't really till the third one that things went a bit fucking nuts. Um, and that's not the case. It clearly was very fucking nuts in, in part two. And, and thank God it did, because for me, this it really picks up. I think in years to come, when I go back and revisit this franchise, I would I could see myself just starting here and watching forwards, you know, and maybe not bother and going back to the first one again. I, I don't really have any urge to watch The Evil Dead again, to be honest. Um, and even like with, with my daughter, you know, I was going to just her to a lot of films. I would let her watch The Evil Dead. Um, I would probably say start with this. Because, you're, to me, you're not missing anything from the first one. And the little bit of the story that you might have wanted to know, they fucking sum up in the first five minutes of the film anyway. So, yeah. Now, Bo, I need to turn my attention to you. As Baz's mentor for this review, Evil Dead 2, taking into account everything that he said, um, and obviously not going on the score that he has attributed to the film, um, using schoolboy grades... What grade do you give Baz for his review of Evil Dead 2? Well, uh, as the supposed mentor here, the fact that he said I contributed nothing. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 it cuts me deep. <laughs> you know, because what he's saying is you didn't need to be here for this review. <laughs> and you'll just uh, you know every yeah yeah everyone wants to be wanted um and and that hurts uh <laughs> if you set out to make duncan cry pass well you know you missed your target and you made me cry <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that said i like i he he clearly got what I think most people uh, get out of watching this movie. I think his review is uh, is spot on. Um, yeah, I mean, aside from uh, my you know lack of utility to the show, uh, <laughs> I still I, I still have to give uh, that review an A. An A! Oh, there you go, Buzz. You happy about that? I'm very happy about that. I would have to say, boy, you were certainly not not required for this. Um, <laughs> your, the preamble that I had before, it psyched me up for the film, uh, told me how to approach the film, um, and which, in fairness, after having watched the first one, I probably needed, or there was there was a danger I could have gone into this film with a rather jaded view um, due to what I thought of the first film and your description and your love of this film came across. So it certainly was helpful and it was very useful. Thank you. Yeah, I also, I am now uh, starting a band called Tooled Up As Fuck. To, uh, to commemorate uh, Baz's description of the uh, equipping scene from Evil Dead 2. um, It's going to be, uh, yeah, thank you. It's going to be very retro punk. I think you're going to dig it. Yeah, and if you need an album title name, just give me a shout, Bo, because Duncan, I already do that for Duncan and his musical things. He's going to, his first solo album is going to be one of my names. Isn't it, Duncan? Uh, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the first right. album well, is going what. to be The Tree Rape No One Wanted. Yeah, listen, <laughs> fuck you, McLeish. That was really helpful, right? Bo, 
Chilled up as fuck's first album, The Blood Drench Sees of Japan, my friend. That's what you're calling it. There we go. That's my gift to you. All right. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, although, as an American, that may have a different connotation. <laughs> I think we got to take World War II into a little bit of an account. Yeah, possibly start World War Three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I just love this idea. I just love this idea of historians a hundred years from now pointing to this podcast as the beginning of the seeds of World War Three. This is that uh, <laughs> right? Thanks, the guys. The assassination of Franz Duke Ferdinand, Hitler's invasion of Poland, Baz versus Evil Dead, three worst things <laughs> in the last two hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> That is two movies down and we're on the upswing. Yes, we are, sir. You're looking forward to... We're on the climb again. Yeah, we're looking forward to tackling uh, Evil Dead 3, Ash versus the Army of Darkness. Um, And joining us on that review will be our next uh, mentor, who is Danny Trioxin from the Midnight Horror Show. We're going to take a very short break just now, but before we cut into that break, uh, allow me to once again give my thanks to Mr. Bo Ransdell. Bo, you're involved with a lot of shows. You're a busy man. Um, would you like to remind the listeners out there where they can check out the stuff that you do online? Yeah, uh, you can go to legionpodcasts.com uh, where you can find uh, this show, God Help Ya. Um <laughs> <laughs> Duncan and Vogue come correct and uh, and a number of other shows that I'm not directly uh, involved with the production of but I'm very uh, very happy to point out so check that out uh, or get in touch with us on Twitter at Legion Podcasts and uh, yeah uh, you know that's it, it doesn't sound like much when I say it like that and then uh, I'll, I've got a list in front of me of all the things I need to get done in the next week and it's horrifying so <laughs> And we thank you for it. Uh, right, we're going to take a very short break just now. You are going to hear the the opening statement recorded by Danny Trioxin, then the trailer for Evil Dead 3. Myself, Baz and Danny are coming back right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. Once there was a show called Not So People Episode Sidecast. It was a long name, Batman. No one could ever remember it. They released 25 episodes of brilliant film criticism. And like that, he's gone. Now, six months later, we're back. I didn't know we were gone. We've got a brand new name, new movies to review, but the same old attitude. Foul language and obscure references? Count me in. Each episode, we pick a topic, watch four movies related to that topic, then bicker amongst ourselves to decide which film is the best. We're the theme warriors! Join Iris, Jeffrey X. Martin, Doug Tilly, and myself for Theme Theme Warriors. Warriors. Four people, four movies, one dynamite show. Catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Horophilia Network of Podcasts, as well as the Legion Podcast Network. That's the Theme Warriors. Don't want to sleep no more. Who are you people? All right, Baz. Tonight, you're going to be watching the third and final film of the infamous 
Evil Dead trilogy. And that movie is none other than The Army of Darkness. Okay. That, sorry, that's not working for me. Uh, what's up, Baz? Uh, you're going to be watching Army of Darkness, uh, the third film in this wonderful, wonderful trilogy. And uh, this one really hits home with me, um, probably because it's the first one I watched. Um, I was about 11 or 12, I guess, when this thing came out. Little guy, not a lot of horror knowledge, uh, just a lot of, you know, cartoons and kids movies. And uh, I enjoyed horror. It's just, you know, at that time was was a lot of edited for TV horror, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Streets, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So I go to the movie rentals and I see the poster for this. It's epic. It's on the wall. It's, it's brand new. So I rent this film. And I enjoyed this. It's such an enjoyable watch, even nowadays. But it was such an enjoyable watch at 11 uh, that it ended up becoming the big, the big traditional thing to do when friends came over. This is what we were watching. For a long time, we would enjoy the movie. We'd get up, act out the lines, you know, run around with our shotguns and our fake chainsaw hands. Not our real shotguns. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty southern, but we're not that southern over here. Um, but, yeah, we, we just enjoyed everything about this film. Um, it just, uh, I think this is the whole reason that I can really enjoy the subgenre of uh, horror, horomedies, or however however the hell you want to call them. I don't know. Horomedies sounds okay. Uh, but yeah, it's all attributed to this film. Uh, this is the one that really did it. And then, of course, I go back and watch Evil Dead 2 and Evil Dead. And then from there, you know, the horror knowledge begins to sprout. I wouldn't necessarily say this is the first, um, you know, thing that got me into horror because obviously I was reading you know horror stories and comics and everything leading up to it and, and like I said watching bits and pieces of other films but uh, it's definitely one of the front runners and what really opened the door for me to explore further into the horror genre by digging into Evil Dead 2 and Evil Dead um, I really hope this one you're going to enjoy um, you know it, I'm not sure what it's going to be like watching it for the first time as an adult I don't know if that Three Stooges slapstick or the the Harryhausen practical effects go over for someone viewing it for the first time. I hope they do. I really hope they do. And I really hope you get the same enjoyment uh, that some of us got watching this as a child. So uh, without, uh, without, without any more of my bullshit coming out of my mouth, it's time for you to watch Army of Darkness. And uh, whatever you think of it, just remember, whether it's good or bad, it's the one with the gun. Enjoy. In an age of darkness. May God have mercy upon your souls. Something's wrong. Something's amiss. At a time of evil. You shall die! When the world needed a hero. The swallow our souls. I don't want to die! What it got was him. Groovy. You know your shoelace is untied. He's a 20th century guy. For that arrogance, I shall see you dead. Trapped. In the Middle Ages. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. This is my boomstick. Now, let's talk about how I get back home. Foretold by a mystical book. Within its pages are passages that can send you back to your time. Forewarned by a wise man. You must recite the words, Klaatu, Berata, Niktu. I got it, I got it. Fulfilled by a wise guy. Klaatu, Berata, when they only spoke the words, the army of the dead awoke. Now, he's got a date. Give me some sugar, baby. With the army of darkness. You found me beautiful once. Honey, 
you got real ugly. Sound the trumpets. Raise the drawbridge. Drop the Oldsmobile. From Sam Raimi. Ooh, that's gonna hurt! Director of Darkman. Comes Army of Darkness. They live. They breathe. They suck. Army of Darkness. And welcome back. So, this is movie number three. Oh, this is this is getting quite this is getting quite depressing and quite exciting and depressing at the same time. So for those keeping score out there, Baz did not like the Evil Dead, even though we kind of hope he would. Um, but came back strong uh, with Evil Dead 2, a movie which he said he actually loved, which is which is right. That's the way you should feel about it. Um, we now need to move on to our third one, which is the third in the original trilogy, Army of Darkness from 1992. Um, we have a very special guest on with us here, a gent that you ha- would, would have the privilege of listening to with myself over on another show called The Midnight Horror Show. He is, of course, the founder of that show. It's none other than my good buddy, Mr. Danny Trioxin. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. It's good. It's a good more uh good afternoon. It's a good afternoon <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's okay. We can we can shatter the illusion. It's like ten in the morning where you are, or something like that. It's ten in the morning on Super Bowl Sunday, so I'm I'm repping and ready to go. I'm ready. <laughs> Sports now, ball. Sports. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Actually, I'm ready for this because you know, well, you know, like you said, after Evil Dead Two. All right, now I now I feel like I'm in a better wheelhouse with this one. But we'll see. We'll have to wait and see. Oh but. yeah, you can never. T- this is the beauty of dealing with Baz, um, and also the horror of dealing with Baz is you never know. You never know. There is no rhyme or reason to to the Baz. That's I, okay. uh, I march to the beat of a different drum, Duncan. That is true. That is a true statement. Uh, he has many T-shirts that say, "I march to the beat of my own drum." Um, I don't know. You know I, th- it's, I actually it's thought I like that. to beat my own drum. That's where I was going with that. That's where yeah. it was going with it. And the drum is his nickname for his penis. Um, yeah. So yeah, now that we've got that out of the way, and that's a nasty image for everyone out there. Danny, like I say, you um, are the the the, the founder. The, the main man, the, the coaches of a, a, a certain little podcast radio show called The Midnight Horror Show. Tell the listeners about it. Okay, well, I guess, well, it started as a you know podcast back, you know, when podcasting was shitty. And so we started doing it that way and we're like, wait a minute, this requires like post-editing and production and all this added stuff. And we can barely do a show every Wednesday like we're supposed to. So we said, hey, let's go live then that's our excuse why everything sounds shitty and (laughs) there's dead pauses and why we don't have cool special effects going on. So that was the birth of TMHS Live. And it's been great ever since because we, yeah, we don't have to hide behind our shittiness anymore. (laughs) Right, so I picked you for this one because we've spoken about Army of Darkness several times. Um, it's a movie that I know for a fact that both of us love quite a bit um, and one that we both saw right at the right time I mean this is like 92 I must have seen this about 92, 93 so I, you know it was about the, the year it got released that I checked out this movie um, so it was a no brainer for me to bring you in to chat about this movie and obviously you've done your opening statement and uh, the Baz listened to it just before he watched Army of Darkness. We are now going to turn the floor over to the Baz where he will let us know how he got on with this movie and do a a, a synopsis of it 
Um, the details for this one before he starts. Um, it's Army of Darkness, 1992. Written and directed by Sam Raimi. It stars Bruce Campbell and some other folks are in this one. We're not going to go into detail about that one. The brief synopsis as listed on IMDb is a man is accidentally transported to 1300 AD where he must battle an army of the dead and retrieve the Necronomicon so he can return home. Baz. Duncan. Right. Go for it. Let, let us let us know. I, I just I, 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 if it, it's like it's like juggling hand grenades while walking through a minefield. Now I never know what's going to go off first. Um, so <laughs> you kind of need to let us know. What did you make of Army of Darkness? Well, let me tell you, Duncan. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so Army of Darkness, the, the third film in the original Evil Dead trilogy. Um, I've got to say, this is the one I was looking forward to the most. And it was kind of my reason for watching The Evil Dead was because I wanted to see this film. So I kind of felt, oh, I'll have to watch the other ones in order to get to that kind of thing. And I was vaguely familiar with this um, right about the time it came out because back then I was big into collecting uh, American comic books. Mm-hmm. And it featured, the, the advertising campaign for this film featured heavily in those comics. On the back page of a lot of them was the sort of film poster for Army of Darkness. And I remember thinking it was the Evil Dead, it's a horror film. And then looking at it and going, but there's tiny wee people and he doesn't look like a kind of horror character, you know, Ash and stuff like that. So I knew there was something slightly kind of different and maybe a little bit goofy about this film. And it can always intrigue me, but obviously I've never seen it. Um, So yeah, I checked out Danny's uh, little audio clip that he sent over. Um, Again, very enthusiastic about the film. and I think it's fair to say that Dan, Danny stressed tonight, but this isn't a horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it features elements of horror in it. It's kind of got that background to it, but it's a kind of fantasy comedy. I think you had a word for it, Danny. Was it co- ho- horror-omedy or something you called it? <laughs> oh, yeah, a horomedy. Horomedy, yeah. <laughs> now, I think he just fucking made that up, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> It fitted well, it fitted well, so, yeah, so I, I knew I wasn't walking into something that was supposed to be a straight-up horror film, you know. So, um, sat down to watch it, um, and even, I, 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 I stuck the DVD in my player and that, and I was fucking about getting myself ready, and the, the menu screen was just sitting there, and even the music that was playing over that had a kind of, sort of, fantastical, comedic kind of tone to it, so, you mm-hmm. this you know, not non-horror type vibe was very prevalent right right from the beginning. Um, the film opens, uh, Ash has been enslaved, he's getting kind of dragged through the desert in stalks kind of thing, you know. And we get a, a, a quick recap um, of Evil Dead 2. And obviously we discussed this when we're talking about Evil Dead 2 uh, with Fo, and we we're talking about this whether or not it was a remake kind of thing, and he'd explained that, well, it was because they couldn't use the footage from the first one as the recap kind of thing, so they kind of filmed it again. That's not the case. I'm pretty sure that the footage that's shown at the start of this is footage taken directly from Evil Dead 2. Um, although there was a bit with a girlfriend, and I'm pretty sure his girlfriend's played by Jennifer Jason Lee. <laughs> a single white female. You, you, the, you're kind of like... The, I believe that this is like... Army of Darkness was covered with a different studio 
entirely. So I don't okay. actually think the clips that you saw at the beginning are the clips from. All oh, right, okay, fair. Well, they looked a lot more like it. Um, they certainly looked a lot more like it. But yeah, I did notice because I don't remember Jennifer Jason Leigh doing Evil Dead too. Anyway, right. so we get that quick, quick recap, um, and we see Ash falling through the fucking time vortex thing, you know. Anyway, so now we, he's been enslaved, you know, captured by these knights and all that that were around him when he when he landed. Um, there's the kind of Obi Wan Kenobi type guy, uh, <laughs> fucking babbling on about Ash being the guy from the prophecy, which we saw in Evil Dead Two in the book. There's a shit little crayon drawing of a guy waving what's supposed to be a fucking chainsaw over his head. And we know this is um, this is Ash. So yes, yeah, so it's Obi Wan there. He's going, yeah, it's the guy from the prophecies here to save us. But the prince, he's a bit of a dick. He thinks he's a spy. So this is why he's chained up and they're dragging him back to the castle. Um, and in my notes here, I've said right away, and I think I've typed this just as I get to the castle, that there's clearly a, a much bigger budget, even from Evil Dead 2 in this one. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously there's big costumes, there's huge scenery and all that kind of stuff, you know. And I put here, it's a bit like fucking Bill and Ted meets the original Evil Dead. <laughs> um, the character of Ash... Straight away from the beginning, he has a lot more dialogue and he's a kind of a lot more cocky. Cocksure, I think, is a term that's it's not used enough in modern day parlance, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he comes across as being a bit kind of cocksure and a bit, a bit swaggery type thing. Um, so yeah, then sticking with the Star Wars analogy, he gets thrown into the Rancor pit underneath <laughs> Jabba's palace. <laughs> <laughs> And while he's down there, uh, he battles some deadites. The wise, but Obi Wan <laughs> throws him down uh, a lightsaber for. <laughs> <laughs> throws him down his chainsaw, and uh, Ash manages to leap straight up about twenty feet in the air and sticks his manky wee stump thing up, and just gets it right in. It, it's fucking awful, man. Uh, it's all very slapstick, but yeah, basically he's got his wee chainsaw fist thing on the go again, and he fucks up the deadites, and uh, he gets out the pit. And there, there's a, a character he's been captured with. Obviously, he fell into the middle of a battle, um, and the, the prince guy won the battle, and the other prince or king, the red king or red prince or something he's called, a uh, big ginger dude, he's been captured. Um, so Ash gets out, frees him, and <laughs> you think I've got weird names for my dick? Um, he pulls out his shotgun and he shoots it, and, and he says, "This, this is my boomstick." <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that. that that's, you know, you know how I can't say the p word. <coughs> yes, you can't. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. You, you don't. But that's not you can't say it. You just don't want to say it. You don't like it. It repulses used. me. It repulses yeah. me. Well, boomstick is pushing a close second. <laughs> That's probably the last time I'm going to say that phrase in this review. Um, through a fucking series of events, he, he, he figures out that he basically has to get the... He has to go and find the Necronomicon in order to get back to his own time kind of thing. Um, and in order to do this, he fashions himself a bionic wanking hand. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't I, want that to be a wanking hand, Baz. There's some grip on it. Oh, I know, but I imagine you could get quite a fucking frequency going in that bad. <laughs> you need to be careful with what you were doing, obviously, but, uh, oh, I think that could work a treat. Um, 
Yeah, so he makes this from, you know, handy electronic components that he's got lying about in the 12th century. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then we get the groovy line thrown in. And I do have to admit, I'm, I'm quite fond of that line. I liked it when he did it in Evil Dead 2, and it was nice to see that getting chucked in. Um, Ash then gets a bit racist. <laughs> um, he really hates everybody that lives in this place, and, he, and he's quite kind of racist about them. Um, I think this is the bit he's kind of sitting in the middle of a wee harim eating grapes, which is fucking odd. He has a bit of riding with the main female character, um, who I think hated him earlier on. And I've got to say, she was taking a bit of a risk with his wee bionic wanking hand. I mean, that could have fucking done her an injury as well, I suppose. Um, it had to be fairly well lubricated, I would imagine. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so, th- so then so he's, he's fumbled about with her. Um, and then he sets off on this kind of quest, which I think is kind of looking towards this is what the film's going to be about, this quest to find the Necronomicon. And they basically get, they head off to a graveyard, apparently, because it's supposed to be there. Um, and the why the Obi-Wan there tells them he has to say these words to, like, create the incantation or something. Mm-hmm. And it's... Klaatu, Varada, Nikto, or, or words along those lines. And I'm like that, I fucking know these words. And I'm like that, hold on a minute. That's the names of the skiff guards in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Have you picked up on that before? I've never picked up on that before. Right. The words he says are the names of the skiff guards in Return of the Jedi, which I believe are names of characters from Moby Dick. Right. Did you know that, Danny? I did. I, I'm shocked on all of this. This is all <laughs> to me. I, I'm just, oh my god! Yeah, we've been fetch, watching this movie for twenty fetch. years. We've been watching this movie for twenty years and didn't know. There you go. Fetch your books, bitches. You've just been schooled. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so he heads off into this kind of graveyard area. Um, he gets chased by the flying force thing that we've seen in, in all of the other films. Hides out in a windmill. And uh, this is where this film fucking goes down the toilet. Oh, no, um, Buzz, no. He's hiding out in a windmill. He smashes a mirror. And tiny little versions of himself come out the broken mirror and attack him. And I've written here... The slapstick humour is now doing my nothing. <laughs> and, uh, at this point, I, I, yeah, there's an extended scene in here where these tiny little people are fucking him about and he's trying to stamp on them like they're mice. Um, well, maybe you shouldn't stamp on mice, it's maybe slightly cruel. Um, but yeah, he attacked the tiny wee versions of himself. Then there's a bit, one of them I think goes down his throat. And then another ash grows inside him and he's running about outside with two heads, punching himself in each face. And I've written here is very like the Three Stooges kind of mm-hmm. slapstick, violent kind of humour type thing. Um, and they, 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 they split and then I think like the other one kind of runs off. He's basically given birth to like evil ash. Yes. We've got the kind of anti-ash, if you like kicking about um, and he, then he gets to the graveyard he finds three books and at this point it's like something out the fucking crystal maze I don't know if you had the crystal maze in America Danny it was a kind of adventure game show type thing 
He has to guess which of the books is the real one. He gets wrong twice. Similar to it, but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. It's a shit premise even back then. <laughs> um, God. He gets sucked into one of the books. To be honest, it'd have been funnier if he'd get sucked off by the book, but that's <laughs> that's my take on film. That's why I don't make films, basically. Well, but, well um, not ones that can be released in cinemas. Yeah, uh-huh, uh, more of a niche market. Um, the other one bites him, I think. And then, he's, he then, by a process of elimination, the genius that his ass has figured out is the third fucking book. And he, um, he then has to say the words, and of course he gets the fucking last one wrong. Um, and this basically unleashes an army of undead upon the unexpected. You're being un- uncharacteristically cruel. It's not that he gets the last word wrong. He doesn't remember it, so he tries to disguise it with a cough. Like well, it's, it's like he's just gonna like he's just gonna fluff his way through this, which is basically what Ash does with everything. He's the he's the least committed, you know, least yeah, reliable he's a, he's a fucking buffoon. Yeah, and and if and if he'd bothered his ass going to see Return of the Jedi, he would have known these three fucking things. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he doesn't like Star Wars either. So he's a dick. <laughs> oh, um, God. Moving on before Danny bursts into tears. Um, yeah, and I've, I've written ah, so ah, I've written here after I've written Unleashes the Army of the Undead, I've then written Ready to Turn This Off Now. And I genuinely, at this fucking point, I was bored to tears and annoyed by this film. Um, so much so that my synopsis of the remaining re- remainder of this film, so about the second half of it, has been condensed down into two paragraphs. Paragraph one. Red King turns up to Rian. Oh no, sorry. No, <laughs> took a huge section there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three paragraphs and one sentence on its own. First paragraph gets back to castle, fucked up, demands to be sent home. Evil Ash is now in charge of the dead army and looks a bit like Kurgan from Highlander, which is alright because I like Kurgan. And then a flying demon kidnaps his wee bird. Right, so that, that's, that's paragraph one. <laughs> Paragraph two, there's a big battle at the Castle for the book. Paragraph three, <laughs> Red King turns up to reinforce them. Ash fires evil Ash from a catapult. He blows up in midair and his bird turns back to normal. And yeah, so basically that, yeah, he is back in the castle. There's a, the dead armies are attacking them, headed up the Kurgan. And they win. The good guys win, or Ash kind of fucking wins by accident. Um... And then, so then, he's like, well, fucking send me home now, I've saved you all. We'll make you a wee potion, and what it'll do is it'll allow you to sleep for 600 years. Right, that, that's a fair enough way to get back to the fucking present time. But if you could fucking make a potion to do this, why did he need to go and get the Necronomicon? It's lit, it's riddled with fucking holes, this film. <laughs> so he then buries himself and his wee motor car in a cave, and then in true Ash fashion, takes seven drops instead of six, each drop causing you to sleep for a hundred years, so therefore he sleeps for seven hundred years, and he wakes up in an apocalyptic future. My notes conclude with the words "awful film." Right, there's two. There's two endings to this movie. Did your DVD not play the second ending straight away? No. No, uh, maybe they're under the extras. Yeah, right. So there, there's an a, depending on where you lived and depending on what version of this movie you've seen. There's another ending, and another ending he. You assume that he's taking the right amount of drops. He ends up back in 
present day working at S-Smart, re- re- basically retelling the story uh, to someone. So the, the understanding is that this, this everything you've seen is him telling the story to a colleague. Um, and just as he's, he's getting ready to do something, the deadites appear. He fends off the deadites and then we realise that they still exist in modern times and Ash is like the superhero of the day. Which right. I get, that sounds marginally better than the I was about to say, I don't think he would have enjoyed it anymore, to be no, honest. No, I don't think it would have saved <laughs> this fucking terrible film for me. Um, the bit, basically, at the end, you get the big Willem Dafoe and Platoon hands to the sky, why, type fucking thing. <laughs> I've slept too long, because you're a fucking idiot, Ash. Yeah. I was hugely disappointed by this film. I'm hugely disappointed. One thing, actually, Danny mentioned about, um, you know, the Harryhausen-style yeah. kind of claymation effect. I'm actually all right with that. Um, I was okay with that in Evil Dead 2. You know, the effects in that aren't brilliant, but I, I really enjoyed Evil Dead 2 as a film. And I, I, I am able to look by that. I know I, I really slated the first film for the effects, but I think it was because I didn't like the film. The, the effects in, in Army of Darkness didn't, put me off the film. I would have been okay with that. I just don't think it's a fucking good film. I think it's... the, 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 the There was comedy in Evil Dead 2 and they pitched it really well and it was just the right level to make the film really good fun and enjoyable while still kind of maintaining that horror element. Now, I know they essentially did move away from the horror element in Army of Darkness. I'm okay with that, but the, the humour... It was just... It was too slapstick. It was too... Juvenile, um, yeah, I, 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 it just wasn't pitched right at all for me. It, it just it irritated me more than anything. I've, I can say genuinely, hand on my heart, that I know only one other person in the entire world who doesn't like Army of Darkness. I've never... It's, it's, Who's that? Cause we should have got them on the show. Um, you're going to be talking to him. You're going to be talking to him next. Blockley doesn't like Army. <laughs> not, not only, not only does Blockley not like Army of Darkness. Fucking hates Evil Dead too as well because he doesn't like the humour in it. He doesn't like the humour at all. Um, which is he was the one that sent a message to me. Because spoiler out there, I kind of knew Baz didn't like this movie. Um, and block when I said to Blockley, I was like, I, I genuinely now do not know how Baz is going to take this franchise because I don't think he liked Armored Darkness. And he's like, that. ah, well, he, you know, he, he liked the... I was like, no, he didn't like the Evil Dead. liked Evil Dead 2. And the first thing he said is, how can he like the Evil Dead 2 and not like Armored Darkness? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. Danny, Danny, but I, I woke you up early. You, you had to send your kids out the house so you could record. I did, I This did. is, you know, I, I forced you on a weekend to reshape everything around... To, to come on here and chat to Baz and Baz basically shat in your pool because um, that's what he does he's a bad house guest um, <laughs> he's like a really bad house guest um, whew, I've, I, 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 I can start it with by saying thank you first of all <laughs> I, I, I didn't know I, halfway through there I'm like you know, my 12-year-old heart is breaking at the words he's starting to say. Yeah. But then my eyes are going, shut the fuck up, heart. He's opening your eyes to the <laughs> bullshit that is in this film. I'm sorry. I think that Baz was Jim Jones, and he took a post <laughs> and he slept for several years, and now he's here. I think he tricked all those people down there in Jonestown to drink Kool-Aid <laughs> because I 
fucking fired into his shit right now. I'm, I, you know what? I wish this was cut in two pieces, like the Deathly Hollows, Harry Potter. Give me part one and part two. Part one, he's describing a Star Wars. I'm all for it. The boomstick. Guess what? That T-shirt, it's going in the attic. I'm not walking. <laughs> I'm not gonna do it. It's rude. It's like my dick is on my T-shirt now. Not happening. That thing's going. He's that. He's done it for me. That's ruined it. All right. He pointed out the 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 Danny Elfman music. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it sounds great. I love the themes. The cocksure fucking Ash. Yeah, I love it because I don't like Ashley. I don't like Ashley from Evil Dead. I like this Ash, and it's all going good. And then he gets in the second part, and I'm like, you know what? He's right. He starts talking about the uh, Baz is talking about the little little ashes. And we can hear them singing the London Bridges thing. And I'm going, what the fuck? You know what this is? This is like when you're 16 years old. You drink your Fago. You paint your face like a black and white clown. And you ride around listening to ICP. You turn 32 and you pull up to a stoplight with your windows down. And you're still blasting juggalo titty fucking. And you go, this is embarrassing. Why did I ever think that this was cool? This is horrible. That is what he's making me feel about certain parts of this film. No, Tony. No, he's right. Tony, no. The mass is right. This movie is crap. It's horrible. No, Danny, Danny, don't let him pollute your mind. Because this is what Baz doesn't have. Let me let me tell you what Baz doesn't have. I can't believe I've broken Danny. This is fucking hilarious. This is this is what Baz doesn't have. Baz doesn't have a sense of humor. There we go. Let's get out and open here. But I don't, I don't understand how you can, I, I don't understand how you cannot enjoy Army of Darkness unless you were expecting this movie to be a horror movie. I don't know how you can't like it. Um, I think it's fucking juvenile and puerile, and it's like a caricature of a fucking horror comedy. You're, right, you're talking about um, right, you're talking about a juvenile, puerile sensibility which is through all the evil dead movies the previous movie the, the previous movies you're talking about a franchise where a tree fucks a human being mm-hmm. but it, no, it's, it, you know but, what i mean right it's played for a, it's played at a different angle but the, the the movies have all worked from especially in part two the part two is heavily done on the three stooges all the hitting himself with plates you know like like purposely going out his way to torture himself in the movie is you know like the fake head biting his hand all that shit's in the second movie right it's just maybe played slightly towards a sinister side the I second is i think it's because it's darker i mean you th- I'm, I'm sitting here now trying to envision like the the deer laughing and all those parts i'm like you know what and when she's dancing around the claymation girls dancing out of her grave this is all dark it fit the movie yeah the, oh this now that he's pointing it out that the the london bridges and yeah the, but but the second movie like the fucking smurfs turned but, up but the, 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 you know the, what i mean the, 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 it's, it's an homage to gulliver's travels that's what it's, it's in there for shite. <laughs> it's an homage <laughs> to gulliver's travels the the, the movie starts up... I don't think you... Like, after watching the first five minutes of this movie, it perfectly sets up the tone of the movie. So, you, you're yeah. either on board from five minutes in or you're not on board with it. And if you're not on board with it, I, I don't necessarily think it's... The movie plays exactly the way this sort of movie should play. It's a ludicrous premise. There's a guy being zapped... The saviour, the chosen one, has been zapped back into the past to save, basically, history from himself... He's the one that causes all the problems to begin with. He reads it. You see what I'm saying? He actually is. It's like a paradox. 
He gets that back in time to read wrongly from the book which will create the armies which he'll eventually conquer to then travel back forward in time, you know, putting the book wherever the book ends up which will be found by the professor which will be read to kick it all off again. So, yeah, alright, Citizen Kane, calm right, down. Right, yeah, we yeah, hate that. Right, right. but... The point but, I'm like, making is the humour, the amount, the, the kind of ridiculous humour that was in Evil Dead 2, they pitched it. It just hit the right level. It... This film goes about fifty-four kilometers further past the mile. Because it it's a yeah, because it. it's a comedy. This yeah. movie's first and foremost. The reason, like Evil Dead Two, to me, is a horror movie that has comedic elements. Army yes. of Darkness is a comedy movie, which has horror elements. But it's um, not very funny. I think it's very funny. I think it's got there's at times there's a very kind of Monty Python esque humour going through it. Yeah. I think I think once again and it plays into that sort of thing. The 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 life of Brian or the you know the Holy Grail sort of thing like that has elements of that which you know trip through it. Um, I think Ash is like that. You're you're seeing the complete transformation of the character, and the first movie he's a complete dick, and and the second movie he's a more lovable dick. Because he's kind of, you know, he's kind of a bit more confident. He's kind of a bit more proactive. Um, and the third movie, he's kind of elements of both of them. He's that dick from the first movie, but he's still, he's a, he's, he's like, the, he's, he's Batman. He's the, he, he's the hero we have, not the one we deserve. Um, you know what I mean? He's he, by by that point, like I, I don't know how you can't find it funny. Like there's so many one-liners in this, Ash one-liners which are hilarious. No. I think it was only applied to us, though, because, like you said, Doug, we, we've watched this when we were younger, right? So, like, if I tried to show my kids the labyrinth, you know, the, the dick pants that David Bowie's <laughs> the swamp, they would just look at me and go, Dad, this is embarrassing. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? This is fantastic. Yeah. So I think that now that we've been introduced to so many other forms of haramity. I mean, look at Shaun of the Dead and Cooties. They have this very smart office-style humor to them. It's a smart humor. Where this is, it is very cheeseball humor. And I think we just appreciate it because we've grown up having to appreciate it. And, I, you know, I still love the movie. I do. But, but Baz has definitely pointed out stuff that I'm just like, you know what, that, that is silly. I don't know why I've never come out and said, it. yeah, that, that's a silly part and it just doesn't, it does take away from the film. I mean, it doesn't you know, it's not going to ruin it for me altogether because I still love the ending fight scene, you know, the very Jason and the Argonauts yeah. skeleton army fight. I love that. But, yeah, the, I, I guess I'm starting to see... Yeah, I, like I said, it's not going to change my mind on the movie altogether. But, no, he's, he's there's, very... There's still, I, I, like, I, I'm just thinking about, like, all the things that happen in the background of this movie that make it hilarious. Like, there's a scene where he comes back and he's, he comes back with a book and everyone's like... Yay! He's back and he's like, yeah, yeah, thanks very much. And the next guy's like, oh, you know, the strange one. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And then the next guy goes to the paper and goes, oh, fuck off, buddy. You know, it's just like, like all that stuff. Like he's like, I don't know, Baz. You're you're kind of you're you're kind of. I, I didn't I didn't think we would get two years in and I would hate you. Um, Oh, listen, I've, I've just made Danny try Oxen realise that one of his favourite films is utter shit. I no, 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 no. I literally win the internet. No, 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 no. Danny, Danny is Danny will change his mind. <laughs> Danny will go back and watch the movie again and realise that you, Baz, are a, a you're a Grinch that stole, that, that might be the stole case. the army of darkness. 
But I really am throwing that T-shirt away. Anybody wants a T-shirt, I'm throwing it. <laughs> <laughs> the boomstick. No one can argue that, Duncan. You have to at least agree. Now that he's oh, come on, you, you, he calls them. Does he not call them primitive fucks? Uh, listen here, you primitive fucks. This is my boomstick. Oh, see, I don't have that in my version. My 12-year-old version had primitive screw heads. Oh, primitive maybe, would have been way cooler. Maybe it's primitive screw heads. But then he goes, he sells it. You know, shop smart, shop shop is smart. Yeah, it, 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 it's true, but in the the wanking glove now, that's kind of uh, that was badass. Ah, he's, 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 he's ruined that bit for me. Yeah, he's definitely I, ruined that bit like for me. That kid from the wizard that's putting on the power glove. You yeah. remember when they're going Mario three with that stupid fucking? But that's glove. but yeah, but that I was kind of thinking, like of the time, but like that's what I can. Maybe that's what I appreciate about Army of Darkness so much is the fact I can see. Like I didn't even know the Star Wars connection. That makes me love it even more now that you've said that. That's why it's, I love the part of it now. Yeah. Or shit, that's awesome. It's like all these things that they add into it. Like you're talking about, like even now, like one of my favorite movies from last year was Turbo Kid, and in oh. Turbo Kid he gets the ultimate glove, and there is that kind of iconic Army of Darkness feel for when he finally gets that glove on, and it's you know you get it from all those different angles and all the rest. I I just I don't have it in my heart to say. Well, if the argument is, does the movie stand up? Then maybe maybe I could maybe I could put myself down beside Baz, but to say that this is not a funny movie, I disagree with that. I, I think there's there's enough there's enough in this movie, from my point of view anyway, from my the way I find things funny. There's tons of things that are funny in this. It's over the top and ludicrous, but this is the it's almost the inevitable thing that was going to happen. Like, Sam Raimi himself and Bruce Campbell are both big fans of the Three Stooges. I mean, whenever you listen to them talk, that's the thing. They're goofs. And it's the next logical step for me after Evil Dead 2. Army of Darkness feels tonally, you know, like the next logical step. Because you've already done that movie twice. Why do that movie again? You need to try and do something different with it and it's bring the humour. And you... I don't think the humour is such a dramatic step in the wrong direction from the humour in the second movie. There's just more of it. And maybe that second movie works better for you, Baz, because there's less of it. Maybe if they put more of that humour in there, it'd become overbearing towards you. But, mm. you know what I mean? I, I think, like, you mentioned about, like, the, 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 the tiny Ash characters and all the rest. In the previous movie, there's a claymation headless woman kind of climbing out and like Spider-Man rolling about the place on top of a hill, which is clearly, clearly stop animation. It's not even very good stop animation. Yeah, but animation. it's like Danny says, though, there, there's a darkness about the bits like that in Evil Dead 2. There's nothing dark about the, the fucking Smurfs in this one. <laughs> but do you not... like See, when the eyeball starts coming out on his shoulder, does you not find that like even remotely dark? No, because it looked a little bit like a vagina. <laughs> Granted, a vagina with an eye in it, but I didn't... Yeah, like I, I don't know baby. what vaginas you've been looking at, but... <laughs> See, if I saw that, it would terrify the fuck out of me. Um, <laughs> Sitting yeah. there winking at you. Aye, aye. <laughs> I mean, they're sailor. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm kind of dumbfounded. I, I, really, I really am. I didn't think you were going to... Part of me thought you would like this movie. I didn't know, like my my favorite in the series is Evil Dead too. I've I've always been very vocal of that, but I prefer Army of Darkness to Evil Dead. Um, just because I, I, I will say I, I'm very disappointed because I was really looking forward to this film. Um, I didn't approach this with a bad attitude, um, and I think that was 
about the halfway mark when I realised that oh god I don't like this film and I, there was a genuine disappointment in me yeah um, because I did really want to like it and I just don't my god I tell you, I, I, I don't even want to check my subscriber numbers a week after this episode comes out <laughs> people are people are going to be abandoning this ship like rats from a sinking ship <laughs> um, well fuck the buzz uh, yeah well I, I, I really don't have anything else to say what we actually have to do now is turn this over to Danny who is now going to be known as Despondent Danny um, <laughs> Desolate Danny uh, Depressed Danny it could be one of the three Danny you have listened to the Baz I have do you have any closing statements to make about Army of Darkness that he didn't cover in his review that you think may at this stage however unlikely change his mind I, I mean, there's not. Uh, I, I like to change his mind when he's changed my mind. <laughs> but you, you have to admit, though, like, it, uh, I don't. There's not. There's nothing I can say. I love the film, and now I'm going to go in here and punch myself in the dick and throw it out the window because I love it. But now I don't like some of it. I, I don't. I feel so. I feel in the army of darkness closet, and I'm stuck here now, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think this was going to happen this morning. I thought we were all going to get on here and be like, Army of Darkness rocks! And we were all going to jump in the air and high-five each other. And, you know, <laughs> you know, throwing around little lines like, you're groovy, oh, you're cool, and all of it. You know, now I have, uh, it's dark, it's back to Evil Dead 2. I feel very dark. And This movie has one of the greatest lines in cinema history. Amazing. Where it, say, where it says, good guy, bad guy, I'm the guy with the gun. It's, it's, it's a great line. It's it a is. fucking amazing line. Baz thought that line was stupid. He hates this movie. Well, now, now I see from Baz's point of view, he's talking about his penis again, and I don't <laughs> like that line anymore. He's talking about his penis. <laughs> I'm going to just start using that with the wife now. <laughs> see how long it takes before the inevitable divorce comes through. Um, oh. Oh. Right, so you didn't really try and change his mind, um, Danny. Right. But we, we, we can kind of live with that. Baz, you get a closing statement here, and then after your closing statement, I'm going to ask Danny to grade you. Um, you're lucky I'm not grading you on this, you son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> right, uh, Baz, anything yes. else you want to say about this movie before your grade, sir? Um, no, I, I don't really. The, the last sort of point I made there about the disappointment would really have been my closing statement on this, I think. Yeah, right. I, I'm really... I was quite bummed out by the end of it because I wanted to like it and I just couldn't. There we go. Right, uh, Danny. So, um, I now need to ask you, using school grades A through F, you now have the opportunity to give your grade for Bazzi's review. So, regardless if we agree with his opinion... Uh, we are grading how well he understood the movie um, and how well he's put that over in his review. What, sir, would you grade the Baz? All right, all right. Uh, not based on reaction of this morning because I don't think there's anything lower than Fs to really... <laughs> well said, <laughs> sir. Well said. Based on his... All right, first of all, I've never heard anyone describe everything in Star Wars terms for this movie. Yeah, so that's pretty that, cool. 
that's ridiculous. And will you ever look at that pit again without waiting for the Sarlacc pit or no, the Rancor to come out and just start? Never tearing? again, though. Never again. He's completely. That was. I, I said, did not get the Star Wars references in there. Now, <laughs> now makes me love the movie. Even, I think Baz has worked opposite way. I think he's made me love the movie even more, Danny. I I absolutely love the first half, the way it was described. When he starts going downhill in his review, that's when I start questioning things. But that first half, when he's describing it. It still sounds just as amazing as I remember it. But, you know, other than maybe the humor that, you know, we're not, you know, I, I he didn't catch. But like I said in my opening statements, you know, if you haven't watched this as a kid, some of these things aren't going to click with you. Yeah. But his understanding of the film is ridiculously well because we've never thought of Star Wars terms until now. And now I always will from here on out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the big dick. And everyone's already going to hate me anyways because I've already said I'm going to throw away my shirt, <laughs> boom, dick penises. So, you know what? I, can I can I do A+. Plus? You can do A+, plus, sir. I'm yes! Plus! <laughs> and A+, plus on this film! Hey, now I'm going to jump out and fucking high-five you. <laughs> we're we're high-fiving because he's opened my shoulder eyeball. It is open and wide <laughs> right now. my I, shoulder I eyeball. <laughs> it's, you know, hanging out in the windmill like Gargamel with fucking... I mean, it... <laughs> Smurfs reference that even looks like Gargamel's house. We're just missing the cat. I mean, he's spot on with his shit. I'm sorry. It's, oh, I I feel exhausted now. I, I want to go watch the movie and and yeah, you've got a whole day of football ahead of you. Fuck football. I'm watching broomsticks. <laughs> I think that's all it is. But yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna go watch Army of Darkness now. I want to see how I, I should have done it right beforehand. But I I figured what's the need? I remember this movie like it was yesterday and. Like I said, we're all going to have a great time with it. Now I really need to go sit down with a pad and pen and re-examine this thing. <laughs> just, just don't tell Undead that you've changed your mind on some of this because he'll kill oh, you. He's going to hear it, and you know I won't, I won't be here next Wednesday on the, on the Midnight Horror Show because uh, Undead's going to hear this. and uh, He's going to travel down and murder you. He, like- he's going to use his boomstick and hopefully not his penis. Uh, to just- <laughs> <laughs> right, Danny. Um, like I said, at the start, you um, are behind. You're the driving force behind the Midnight Horror Show. Can you tell the listeners out there how they can check out and interact with that show? Absolutely. All right. So we uh, we do our show live every Wednesday night. That is 7 to 9 Eastern Standard Time. So I'm not really good with all that. So you just have to figure it out or get your iPhones to figure it out. It'll do it just fine for you. Eastern Standard Time, 7 to 9. And it's at tmhsradio.com. Go there. You can tune in. You can listen on the TuneIn app. It's TMHS Radio. And uh, join the Facebook group. It's The Midnight Horror Show because that's where all the real interaction goes on for those two hours of debauchery. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on the show, sir. It's always a pleasure to chat to you, and I'll chat to you in a couple of days. All right, sounds good. See you later, Baz. See you, Danny. And there we go. So, right, we are going to take a very short break just now. When we return, we are going to have Mr. Andy Blockley from the Big Horror Little Podcast and doing the nasty. Baz, he's going to be taking us through this very final movie. Are you ready, sir? I am ready. Ready to go. (laughs) We're going to take a short break. You're going to hear some promos for shows I love. You're going to hear Andy's opening statement. You're going to hear the trailer for the movie. When we return, let's close this son of a bitch out with the Evil Dead remake. We're going to be right back right after this. Are you kidding me? I'm not a type of cunt that goes looking for fucking bother like, but uh, at the end of the day, I'm a cunt with a pool cue and he could have a fat ending and he's pussing anytime he fucking wanted like. 
Right, that being said, let's talk Evil Dead now. In its day, Evil Dead was a video nasty, and even though it never actually made the prosecuted list, this is one of the famous video nasties. Famed for its provocative title, gory content, and what most people would consider an absolute classic now. Saying that, you didn't fucking like it. Now that is pretty low, mister. <laughs> If I had a rubber hose, I'd beat you. But fortunately, what that also means is there is no hype surrounding this film, as far as you're concerned. Now, for me, coming and watching this film, my expectations were far too high, and I didn't actually enjoy it the first time I watched it. I picked it up on Amazon about a year ago for a few pounds, thought I'll give it another go. It might be good in HD, surround sound and all that. And I absolutely fucking loved it the second time around and I've watched it since and I fucking still love it. Now I've been brought in as a mentor on this show because you need to be told why you need to enjoy these films. I think I've got a pretty easy job uh, doing the remake because I think you're going to like it. It's a fucking great film. Very simplistic plot. The action kicks off less than half an hour in. Um, and then it's a bit of a roller coaster ride. You've got amazing gore. Most of it is practical, so there's no shitty CGI in here. Unlike a hell of a lot of horror movies these days, and also unlike a lot of horror movies these days, this movie's an 18 certificate. Now, that might not sound much of a big deal, but that is that is rare these days to find a movie that is an 18 certificate aimed at adults, adults only. Back in the day, an adult movie meant a movie for adults, not a porno. Now, you don't get films like this for adults. This is a fucking rare gem and probably one of the last great films that we will see with an 18 certificate. Everything these days is dumbed down for kids, not this one. Hallelujah. Just wall-to-wall -wall demonic craziness. Now the tagline for this movie is one of the scariest films of all time. Again, a bit of a fucking mistake there. It's going to hype the film too much saying something like that. I'll tell you right now, the film is not scary. I don't think you'll find it scary. Um, but what you will find is that you have an absolute fucking blast watching this movie. I can't wait to hear what you think about it. Now I've got to go and rescue a princess. I the fucking knew. from that book. Something evil. This thing is attached to me as soul. We're gonna have to kill her. You are all going to die tonight.
Welcome back. So this is the final movie review of this end of year assessment. This is Baz v the Evil Dead. The final movie is the inevitable remake. The movie that was talked about for the best part of, well, since 1992 when Army of Darkness happened. People were wondering when the next instalment or remake would happen. It eventually did surface in 2013. Our very special guest mentor, you heard him at the beginning there uh, do a little opening statement, is none other than my former colleague on the Doing the Nasty podcast and one half of the Big Horror and Little podcast is my good buddy Andy Blockley. How are you doing, sir? Greetings from England, gents. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm doing very well. This is surreal. I kind of feel like since I started doing podcasts, what I've done is learn, well, basically learning the world how to connect these people that infamously have these conversations online but never speak um, and you have you have contributed probably you and your wife actually were the main driving force behind Bazzy's basement uh, the the long maligned segment which we're trying to bring back but no one will send us a fucking email nobody does well, that's, that's the problem <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't 100% happy with the advice about the horsetail butt plug I'm still I'm, I'm sitting on a rubber ring at the minute <laughs> Uh, Andy, if you're not using that uh, horsetail thing, man, just send it up to me. Oh. Put it in. That's what I'm saying. It's in at the minute. Oh, I'm to sit on the donut because <laughs> to Way to commit. Wait. <laughs> so you got to embrace the lifestyle or nothing at all. Well, the two of you guys have had this uh, this kind of weird Skype sympathical, which has never really fully realised itself on a call yet. Um... But yeah, there's been a lot of interaction since since Andy first started listening to the podcast, um, and since uh, since he started getting involved with Bazzy's shenanigans, which is a a, a downward spiral into a dark CD ravine, um, <laughs> which is the way I can describe the 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 gutter that is Bazzy's mind. Um, but yeah, so it was uh, it was originally advertised that our former co-host with the most, uh, Mr. Graham Humphrey would do this. Unfortunately, he has not been able to commit to the recording. Um, so I had to, I was going to do it myself, and then I thought, no, 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 no. There is one, one name that springs to mind, like a mythical shaman-like entity. It is Blockley. I must Just bring... Now I haven't got any friends, so I've got nothing else to do on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, working out and... Listening to Baz, that's, that's all it. Andy that's does. All I have to do. So, um, this is the reason I actually picked Andy for this one is I remember an interesting conversation between me and you last year, and I think it was when we were. I was about to say when we were doing the nasty, but that doesn't. No, when we were doing the nasty so podcast. Yeah, um, that you had originally seen this movie and you really didn't like it, um, which is weird because you seem to be more open-minded towards horror remakes than I do. Yeah, I've done um, such a U-turn on this movie. Yeah, you you like really didn't like this movie, and then I remember you dropping me a line last year to say just bought the Evil Dead remake, didn't like it when it came out, and me being like, dude, that's just the wrong thing, and then you watch and you were like that. This fucking this fucking movie kicks ass. You know what I mean? It's only, it, so, 
I was like that. If ever there was maybe... Like, I don't know where Baz is going to drop on this one. Baz might hate this movie. However, you were in that camp. You were in camp hate for this movie, and now you are in camp love for this movie. So what are the scores so far, then? What what films have has he liked, Baz, and what films haven't he liked? Baz? Um, I... Obviously, I had seen the first Evil Dead film a while ago, Andy, and I hated it, and that was yeah. kind of what prompted this whole thing. So I watched yeah. it again, and I was right, I fucking hate it, it's shite. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed 2. I thought 2 was the film that one should have been. Um, and then I watched Army of Darkness, and I fucking hated it. I hated everything about it, absolutely everything about it. So, so it's, it's kind weird, of... What, well, I really love the first one, and that's it, really. Um, but the thing is, like for me, it's the, it's the kind of goofiness that I'm not into. So I'm surprised that you didn't like three, but you did like two, because the goofiness really is there in number two. Yeah, well, as I said when we were talking with Danny about Army of Darkness, the, the humour in the second one was pitched just right. They took it far too far in the third one, to the point it was it was like a caricature. It was ridiculous. Whereas in the yeah. second one, it was still enough of a horror movie that I was okay with the humour. I thought it kind of added to the film. The third one okay. was just fucking ridiculous, you know? Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Fair enough. So, so <laughs> this, is, this is going to be really super interesting because what we're basically saying is the, the kind of more serious one, which was the first movie, even regardless of how bad the effects are or whatever, the more serious first movie didn't resonate with you. The one that had a bit of humour in it did resonate with you. The one that had too much humour in it didn't resonate with you. And now we move into the remake. <laughs> Talk well, about picky. Fucking hell. Yeah, I don't I genuinely I'll be honest, I've known pretty much going through all of them where the chips fell. Baz has like legitimately just finished watching this movie before we started recording uh, today. So I don't know where he lands on the Evil Dead remake. Andy, we're going to strap ourselves in, sir. Um, and the floor is now... The floor is now Bazzy's. This movie came out in 2013. This is the Evil Dead remake. It's directed by Fede Alvarez. Based on the original story by Sam Raimi. Uh, but the screenplay, the particular screenplay for this one was adapted by Fede Alvarez. Now, it's worth mentioning right at the start, Baz, that this movie was supposed to happen about five or six times and never happened. And then eventually, Fede Alvarez was handpicked by Sam Raimi to make this movie. So he actually picked a director. Both Bruce Campbell and um, Sam Raimi were executive producers on the movie um, and the movie stars Jane Levy, Shahola Fernandez, Lou, uh, Lou Taylor Pucci, Jessica Lucas, Elizabeth Blackmore, Phoenix Connolly, Jim McClarty, other folk are in here. Baz, yeah. this is the last movie of yeah. the Evil Dead franchise we're covering. The floor is yours sir, let us know, myself and Andy, what you made of the Evil Dead remake. Certainly shall. Um, so first off, I've, I've got to say th thanks to Andy for his audio clip, man. Again, he, he really committed to that. Um, thanks for the casual anti-Scottish racism that was littered <laughs> throughout the, the two minutes. Uh, really appreciate that. 
Uh, obviously, folks, you will have heard it before now, but the start was a train spot. There was a clip from Train Spotting, which is a film that I love. Um, the, the music, the dirge that was played through it is from Braveheart, which is a film that I fucking hate. Which I hate as well. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking abomination, man. Yeah, well, me, 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 me and Baz fall into that. That what, one. an Australian American playing with Scotsman. What's she got? Yeah, yeah they... I know. An Australian anti Semite getting Scottish history wrong. What a yeah. fucking dick. <laughs> I was about to say, like, just, I think everyone in the world just assumes that every Scottish person loves Braveheart and me and Bass hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if Mel Gibson is listening to this, um, I would apologise for the anti Semite remark, uh, but I'm not going to because you are. You're a, a, a violent anti Semite fucking idiot. Well. So fuck you. And that's not allegedly, you just are. Anyway, yeah, so Andy had um, you Andy had told me in the audio clip, obviously, that he had hated this film first off, watched it again, loved it kind of thing. Now, when we were leading into this set of shows, up until our first proper discussions, I wasn't even aware that there was a remake of The Evil Dead. I thought there was just the, the, the three original films. Yeah. And Phil Duncan said, right, we're doing the four films. What what four films? You know, what's this fourth one? <laughs> uh, at first I thought there was maybe a fourth in the, you know, in the sort of original franchise, if you like. Um, now, remakes, I know a lot of people struggle with remakes, but interestingly of the... The sort of big franchise ones that we've done, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, I loved both of the remakes. Um, and I know a lot of people hated them and don't discuss this. So I was quite kind of psyched um, to see this remake, it, particularly after having watched the first film again and, you know, sticking to my guns, no, I, I fucking hate that film, I don't like it. Kind of thought, well, it'll be interesting to see with, with all the modern techniques and decent filmmaking and stuff like that, can they do something with the kind of premise of Evil Dead. Because, I mean, there's, there's not a fucking huge storyline in there. You know what I mean? Mm. So can they do something with it? So, yeah, I settled down this morning, hung over to shit to watch this film. Uh, having woken up and forgotten that I was doing this for nearly an hour, <coughs> going, oh, God, I need to record. Oh, God, I've not watched the fucking film. So <laughs> charged headlong down the stairs, slapped it in the Blu-ray player. Um, so, yeah, the, the film opens up... Uh, eerie kind of wood setting, there's a, a girl who's not doing too well, she's bleeding quite badly, clearly when attacked, sort of stumbling through these woods. Um, there appears to be other stuff in the woods with her. Um, and then quite quickly she is captured by it, she gets hooded and forced to the ground by this kind of redneck-looking motherfucker. Uh, and the next thing we know, she's tied up in a cabin with a kind of sack over her head. Uh, there's various people in the cabin, you can tell things aren't going to go very well for her. Then a kind of studious-looking guy turns up, who she refers to as Dad. Why are you doing this to me? So on and so forth. Um, and it becomes quite apparent quite quickly that this is the Professor character that we're familiar with from the first two films. Um, this is the daughter. And I can't remember a daughter being mentioned in the first two films. I might be wrong in that. Certainly we knew that he had a wife. Um, so the second movie, the daughter's the one that shows up at the cabin with a group of people. Oh Remember? god, yeah, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, and basically, the premise is that she has been possessed by the, the the demons from the book, kind of thing. And this is the professor trying to save her. We find out that her mum's dead and that she killed her during one of these possessions, kind of thing. Now, when she's tied up, she's acting the whole "Why are you doing this, Daddy? Please don't hurt me" type thing, you know. 
when it becomes clear that he's not buying this, he's basically starting to douse her in kind of petrol and stuff like that. Um, there's a kind of family of rednecks, um, and the, there's like the old grandmother type character. I, I got the impression that maybe there's no mention made of this, what is it, Karanda or whatever, the Candor or whatever the fucking place is that the book comes from. There's no mention of that in this film, but you kind of get the impression that maybe these people come from the country where the book originated because the old lady seems to be familiar with it kind of thing, you know. She, and she's rabbiting away in some kind of foreign language as well. So I think that's the kind of idea there. She's basically telling them how to kill her, how to kill the demons, but with, you know, cleansing her with fire type thing. And then as he's tipping the petrol and that over her, the the girl kind of changes and says, I'm going to take your soul, Dad. And initially she says it in her own voice, and then she suddenly becomes all possessed and fucked looking, I'm going to fucking rip your soul out, all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the the dad sticks these fucking guns and basically torches her and she's burning, she's fucking giving it all sorts of abuse kind of thing. Um, fucking amazing opening scene, I've got to say. Mm-hmm. Um, really dug it, really effective. Really well done. The effects were good. I wouldn't say they were mind-blowing effects, but they were well done. They certainly didn't do anything less than the impact of what was happening. I like the kind of... Some of the best CGI fire I've ever seen, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely, definitely. Um, There's a nice sense of mystery kind of created with with this family. You know, some of them are a bit weird, kind of inbred-looking type things, you know. Um, it, It hints at the first film, you know, the professor and that. Um, but it's done really well. Absolutely loved it. Thought it was brilliant. It's, that's the opening scene. Um, it then jumps to the, the teens turning up at the cabin type thing, which is very like the, the the first movie, although we don't get the stupid running off the road fucking thing. Um, and again, it quite quickly sets the premise, and the premise is that one of the girls is a heroin addict. And they've taken her up to this cabin, which I think her family owned, and you know she used to go. They all used to go there as kids, and they've taken her up there to try and uh, you know like go cold turkey to get her off the heroin kind of thing. And I thought that was quite cool. You know, there's a plausible fucking reason for them to be up at this cabin because mm-hmm. one of the things that fucking bugged me in the first film was like all oh, these teens going to this cabin, and it was a fucking shithole. Like, why would you take women that you're clearly trying to finger? To this fucking dilapidated <laughs> hovel in the middle of the fucking back. Oh, listen, I'm be listen behind my Baz. I dare say that you finger people in places worse than that cabin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm going to fucking plead the fifth. I am not answering that. <laughs> um, but you're not a million miles away. From the <laughs> Oh, so, yeah, quite refreshing to see teenagers that probably are only late teens, early twenties, rather than in their mid thirties. Like yeah, yeah, that, that's true as well. Although uh, the the one slight flaw in this whole thing is she was literally the hottest looking heroin addict I've ever seen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the teeth were fucking pristine. Yeah, you know what I mean. She, she was of a healthy weight and size. Hair was lustrous and thick. I think she's just a recreational user. Yeah, yeah, definitely not, did not look like any of the heroin addicts I've fingered. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so 
So yeah, so, so that's the premise for them being at the cabin. And again, I like that. It, it was a quite, I'd never seen that premise used. I thought it was quite clever and it kind of explained them being there. So I dug that. The, the cabin itself is very faithful to the original. We have the sort of swing, the porch swing and stuff like that. And certainly from the exterior, it looked very like the cabin in the original ones. We didn't get the annoying, stupid knocking fucking thing going on. So, uh, the, fairly early we see the clock inside that we're familiar with for the first film and they find the trap door uh, which was so iconic in the first movie and I liked all of that there was a nice reverence to it um, you know it was faithful to the first film do you know uh, what also yeah. similar to the first film it's like a fucking TARDIS inside I think I've said this to Duncan before like from the outside it looks like a garden shed but from the inside there's like three bedrooms four bathrooms a jacuzzi <laughs> Uh-huh. And it has a, it has a cellar. Yeah, and it has a cellar that can only be described as a sprawling subterranean lair. You know? Yeah. Um, Jason so yeah. would be proud. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that, Andy. That's absolutely 100% fucking correct. So, yeah, so again, I was digging that. I thought, you know, you've, you're, you're giving proper homage to the film that, you know, you're trying to emulate, kind of thing. So, I, I dug that. Um, Maya, who is the, the heroin addict, basically the character of Maya, who's the heroin addict, her brother, who's been kind of estranged from her, but has returned uh, for this intervention type thing, if you like. He's brought a girlfriend with her that doesn't really know anybody. And then there's two other childhood friends. One, a guy who's now a school teacher, Eric, I think his name is, and uh, Olivia. Yeah, he is a bit like fucking Shaggy. And there's Olivia, who is a, a nurse, so she's there for the kind of medical backup during the, the detoxing kind of thing. Um, it's fairly, it's pretty much as soon as they get in, Maya's kind of freaking out a bit and saying she can smell death. Um, and the, the, I can't get a stench out me and stuff like that. And they think this is just her going through the fucking DTs, coming off the heroin. They go down into this sprawling subterranean lair below the, the house and they find a room full of burnt cats, uh, which is never what you want to find when you turn up somewhere, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, right, right, right on the trip advisor, Baz. Yeah, I mean, even if you're trying to get somebody off a of heroin, you want to create a kind of fucking ambience, do you know what I mean? <laughs> hundreds of burnt cats hanging from the roof. Do you know what I like as well? They just leave them there. <laughs> yeah. They don't think, you know, a fucking cat. Kind of Lysol or something. Yeah, we kind of oust. We fucking kill the smell of burnt Yeah, they could have done. I think we could. We're saying they could have done something, Andy, and they failed to on every level. To be quite honest. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is the, the room where the girl was burnt. We find the charred kind of supporting beam, which possibly belies, you know, a lack of structural knowledge on the part of the professor, and that he could have brought that fucking thing down on top of them all <laughs> when he burnt it on the bed, and, and it was everything's okay. Um, they also find the book. The Necronomicon, uh, and what's quite cool in that, uh, it, it's been like, wrapped up in plastic and then bound with barbed wire, and I quite like that. I thought it looked quite cool. The school teacher guy Eric, he then investigates it further, and he kind of cuts away the wire and tears it open, and we see the kind of you know uh, sewn together skin type cover kind of thing. It doesn't have the stupid kind of ridiculous looking screaming face that the original one has. Uh, and I'm kind of glad of that because the, the, there's no kind of humour in the tone of this film. Um, so it, it, it was familiar enough to the book, uh, to, you know, the book in the original films without looking kind of goofy, so I liked that as well. Um, 
he the, the school teacher kind of recites some of the words and this triggers off the book if you like and we then see the flying spirit hurtling through the trees which was bang on dead like the first film so like that as well kind of thing um maya the, the heroine added she's not having the greatest of times now um obviously she's coming off the gear and she's in a fucking sight of a demonic fucking demon raising type thing so nothing's working out particularly well for her she wants to get the fuck out but they've also the Olivia and the school teacher guy in that were kind of made aware they've tried to go through this process where before and it never works. So they make this pact that regardless of what she says, they're not going to leave. And again, I thought that was quite good because it, like my problem with the first one was like, why don't you just fucking leave? I know the bridge is down. Fucking look about and try and find another route. This gives you a kind of plausible reason as to why they're not going to leave. Yeah, and it ties in with her. She's talking any kind of shit. So they don't believe a word that comes out of her mouth because she's coming off the junk. So yeah, all all fitting together very nicely at this point. She Maya then kind of escapes into the car, um, and you know goes heading off kind of thing um, to get away. And a figure appears in the road. You know she's a bit fucked. It's raining really heavily. She clears the windscreen. Her eyes focus, and there's this kind of female figure in the road, kind of looking really creepy and scary. And she swerves off the road into a little kind of swamp type area, you know, with water. She's not completely submerged, but a car goes into this. Um, the others are out looking for her. She manages to get out of the car. She's kind of crawling, swimming through this swamp thing. She becomes aware that there's something following her. Um, and then right out the fucking blue, this figure comes up out of the water. It's this female figure again that affects her. Fuck it. Not even affects it, just it's really well done. It looked fucking brilliant when she kind of comes rearing up out of the water, covered in the mud, and the, you know, the water's rushing off her and she's all fucked looking. And I, I know you had said in your, uh, your kind of preamble, Andy, that it's not a horror film. There's not, there was a few bits in this film scared the shit out of me, to be quite honest. Kind of in a kind of jump scary type way. Do you know what okay. I mean? Oh. And that was the first bit. That really creeped me out when that female I came like out. I like how pale she uh, looks. I think that's really yeah. creepy. Like, she's really fucking pale, like she's dead. And that's great. Yeah. So, uh, really like that bit. Um, Maya obviously freaks out. She's trying to kind of run and stumble through the swamp. Um, she runs into all these thorns. And then we get a kind of recreation of the tree rape scene. I don't know why I laugh when I say tree rape. It's not. I don't fun. know either. But... Aye, it's a bit misogynistic. <laughs> I do apologise. Um, nobody here can do it, anything like that in any shape or form. But they've, they've recreated it. It's an iconic scene from the first film. Um, and they redo it with these kind of thorns. Um, and they redo it really fucking well. Mm-hmm. Um she's getting choked by the thorns kind of thing, you know, and then they're pulling her arms and legs apart till she's kind of spread-eagled in the air. Again, the effects are done really well here, so it looks really fucking good. The, 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 uh, you could almost feel the fucking thing constricting around her neck as she's kind of struggling to get away. Then this female appears again and kind of vomits out this kind of black. It looked like... At first I thought it was a kind of snake, then I thought it was like oil, and then it appears to be like almost like branches all kind of interwoven together, blackened. And it crawls out of her and through the kind of ground and then up Maya's leg and disappears up her lovely lady garden. Um, 
And it, uh, that, again, that was the show. The walls. <laughs> it was, uh, that was done really well. And this is the kind of possession of Maya, if you like. Um, I didn't like that scene in the first film. I, I, I say I liked it in this film. It's not a pleasant scene to watch, but I thought it was done really, really well. Um, again, played plenty of homage to the original, just done a fucking billion times better. Um, and it serves to, you know, that's like the the infestation beginning amongst the group of teens kind of thing. This is how she becomes possessed, which I think was the same in the end of the first film. Um Back at the shack, um, she kind of turns up again and everything seems fine. You know, she, she doesn't seem any worse. No, they find her. Sorry, they find her in the woods. She just looks a bit shaken and fucked up, but they get her back to the, the cabin kind of thing. Um, they have a dog. Sorry, I didn't mention that earlier. David's brought his dog with him and he finds it basically kind of... There's a tunnel, like, like a kind of fox tunnel type thing outside that kind of leads under the house and he finds the dog in there and it's basically been beaten nearly to death with a hammer um, and he kind of believes it's Maya that's done it um, so he goes in and where the fuck is she you know and they're like, oh, she's having a shower she's trying to fucking clean herself up kind of thing you know and we see inside and she uh, she's in this shower obviously they're in a the cabin in the fucking woods so they've got like a burn a wood burning kind of furnace thing that heats and you see her turning the heat right up in this fucking archaic Kind of boiler light up like the fucking pits of hell. On the that's kind of thing. Safety checked that boiler. Yeah, yeah, that's been fucking corgi registered, Andy. There is no no denying that it is clearly not up to standards. <laughs> um, and she basically turns it right up so that the water is fucking almost like steam when it's coming out the thing, and she just stands there. And at the same time, we see Eric, the school teacher. He's going through the book still. And you see something about boiling water on my skin has been scrawled in the book or something, and you realise she's scalding herself. And by the time they break in to the the bathroom kind of thing, she's kind of slumped down, and you, her skin's all starting to blister with the heat of the water. She's fucking really again uh, quite visceral. Um, you know, you can you, you can just fucking imagine yourself with this near boiling water pouring down on you kind of thing. You know. Um, so really like that David then he's rushing to get her to a hospital you know at this point right she's in a very bad way physically and it's not to do with the drugs so she need to get her to a hospital he rushes off and then we get the fucking the bridges out which we've seen in all the other films as well um, but it, it's sort of been totally swept away in the river you don't get this daft like it looks like a hand kind of thing it's, it's just gone and he looks back and she's kind of grinning inside the car. She's all possessed looking and everything. Uh, um, back at the shack, uh, Maya manages to get her hands on a shotgun, <coughs> which had been down in the the basement where they found the Necronomicon. They probably should have hidden that from the person coming off heroin. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would not have left live ammunition and a gun lying about in the cabin. Um, I would have possibly secured that. Anyway, they didn't, and hell mend them because she shoots David in the arm. You can't really blame her. She's possessed. She's coming off smack. She's not having a great fucking day. Um, she's then doing the kind of demon voice fucking thing, and she attacks the nurse Olivia, and we get the kind of blood gushing effect that we saw in the first film as well. She's kind of leaning over her, and the blood's spewing out her mouth. 
the effects there weren't brilliant um, because there's a bit where you see her kind of side on and it's quite clear that this is coming from like the side of her mouth rather than out her mouth. It'd have been better just filmed kind of behind her, I think. And the water was a bit pink looking for blood. Uh, yeah, I'd, uh, mm, yeah. Well, well, we'll discuss that later on. I, I don't think... I think it's intended for a different thing. If you oh, know what I mean? I, I think okay. it... Yeah, yeah, well, we'll I, I will touch on it later. But yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. Yeah, uh, It's the first point in, in this... Up to this point, it's the first bit I can imagine that didn't look brilliant. It's not terrible by any means. Yeah. Uh, it's not like they're like with the fucking shit in the first film, but it just... The effects weren't as good as the previous ones that we'd seen. Um... Yeah, so she kind of vomits all this crap into Olivia's face. Um, she goes and tries to clean herself up, and then she kind of becomes possessed, so it's like it's been transferred into Olivia through this kind of vomit stuff. Um, and we see, you know, so you see her face in the mirror, and the face is kind of laughing at her, and it explodes into shards. We see David looking at the book again, and this is... You a notice her face is, like, completely cut away, so you can see all her teeth, like she's... It's almost yeah. like a reflection as well, and that, that reflection in the mirror. It's only a couple of seconds, but you really... I hadn't good. actually clocked that. I knew the face was all kind of fuck-looking, but I hadn't clocked that bit there, Andy, but it makes sense. Uh, as I say, we get this trope where it cuts to pages in the book, and you'll see like a kind of drawing, and then that drawing comes real, if you like, elsewhere in the, in the, the building. So, Did you think that was necessary? Because they do this a lot, almost like they're constantly reminding the audience, oh, remember, look, like, boiling off the skin and then cutting the face. Like, do you think that was necessary? Because for me, it was almost a bit, like, too spoon-feeding people stuff. I I hadn't thought of it that way. When you say it, I get what you're saying, and I wouldn't disagree with you, Andy. I didn't get that from the film. It didn't pop into my head, but I mean, you're right in what you're saying. Um, and I wouldn't argue with you about it. it didn't really bother me. I've got to I think it kind of it fits in with the tone of the movie, but I find it's, I think it's just a trope with modern films. They almost they don't give the audience enough credit. It's almost like they know people are sitting looking at Twitter and stuff, so they have to keep reminding you of shit because they're <laughs> probably half watching. I think that's what it is. <laughs> that's very true. Um, yeah, like I say, Andy, I certainly wouldn't believe at that point. Yeah, I think you are probably quite right. It didn't affect me. It didn't bother me, but I, I do get what you're saying. Um, so yeah, so they then go in to look at Olivia, and as you say, we've had this page from the book. You're saying there was the bit in the mirror, I hadn't caught that. Um, and we go in, uh, Olivia's basically trying to cut her own face off kind of thing with a piece of the broken mirror. And when she turns round, like she, it's almost like she's carved out one of her cheeks. Mm. You, could, you, see, you could see all the teeth in that. The effects were fucking amazing at that point. I thought it looked great. Yeah. Uh, Eric, who's going in to see her, he fucking freaks out and starts to back away and s- slips on the cheek, which is lying on the ground. <laughs> um, and this is this is what I loved about this film up to this point. That There's a little bit of slapstick humour there in that he slips on a severed cheek and fucks himself off the kind of ceramic toilet thing that's there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of humorous, but it's not shit and stupid. You know, it fits in. You can have a wry smile at it kind of thing. Yeah. But it's not that, you know, he didn't fucking kick a shelf and a huge carving knife flew into there and fucking cut his ear off. You know, it's not crap like that. So I kind of dug that. Um, Yeah, so then he's on the ground. 
Uh, Olivia attacks him, she's stabbing him with the glass, then she gets a hold of a hypodermic needle that she'd been trying to set up earlier, and stabbing the shit out of him with that kind of thing. Um, he kind of, I, th- I can't remember quite how, he gets her off, basically off him kind of thing, throws her back, and there's a, there's a bit where he's he's pretty fucked, I and mean, he's, he's not had a great time of it in the past couple of minutes. Um, but he reaches up to his eye and he pulls this fucking needle out, what, yeah. which is broken off, kind of under his eye. And I, that, it's the first time in a while that my knees kind of come up and I'm like, <laughs> fucking hell. Thank God my wife wasn't here because she would have died, she'd have probably fainted and I would have had to have called this off today. Um, if she'd seen that, I thought that was fucking amazing. It was horrible looking, but really well done. Just brilliant, great effect. Um, and it, it it wasn't done for anything other than just to fucking make your balls shrivel up inside. <laughs> it fucking totally did it. It was great. Um, it, she then attacks him again, and he basically fucking caves her head in with the broken bit of the toilet, which again I thought was pretty good. Um, back out in the shack, um, Maya's been kind of uh, sorry. I think I missed this bit. Maya, they've got her fucking trapped down in the the cellar. So this ties very much back into the first movie. She's trapped in there, they are all chained up, and she keeps fucking banging and sticking her wee head out and eh, kind of fucking swearing at them and stuff. She yeah. manages to lure David's girlfriend, who's just one name I don't have, actually. So Maya just kind of lures her into the, the cellar. She does this whole, oh, fucking help me, why am I down here? And um, lures her in, and then once she's in the cellar, she kind of turns around, she's all fucked and possessed looking again kind of thing, you know? And she's got her kind of pinned down on the stairs and she's kind of licking up her leg and then there's this blade appears like a Stanley knife type idea like with a wee extending razor sharp blade thing but with a longer blade than a traditional Stanley knife in this country. Um, and I'm going, oh my fucking God, this is going to write up her lady garden. <laughs> and I was, I, was, I was bracing myself for something fairly horrific um, and she doesn't do that. Um, it was clearly leading to that. I don't know if maybe they did do that and it got censored out or something. But she then brings the, the knife back to herself and kind of fucking runs her tongue up the blade and splits her tongue right in two. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that was like, oh, fucking hell, that looks hideous. You know, like, you could feel it. It was, again, another fucking great kind of effect. Really well done. Um... And she also bites her at one point in the hand, which is kind of important because she's kind of the next one to then get possessed type idea. Um, fucking Eric is the teacher's having a shit fucking day. He decides enough's enough. He tries to burn the book, but it won't burn. He then talks about that this evil spirit needs five souls. It's going to eat five souls and then it will come back and fucking the dark one will rise and all this kind of pish. This is the prophecy of the book. Um... And he's basically saying to David, we've got to kill Maya. You know, like she's the fucking, the index case to use a fucking medical term. We need to kill her kind of thing. Um, Obviously, David's not really for it. It's his sister. Um, Then his girlfriend, she's in the fucking bathroom trying to clean her hand up. And the you see this infection spreading through her hand. And this kind of nods, I think, at the, the hand possession in the second film. Yeah. Um, and the hands kind of writhing about and getting progressively more fucked looking, but we don't get the fucking plate smashing routines that we got in the second film. Uh, but the hand is clearly on the road out. 
and she's aware of this kind of thing and fucking Maya's peeking up out the trap door cackling away kind of thing you know um, and it's getting worse it's spreading her upper arm and then she turns she's got an electric carving knife that we'd seen earlier on in a kind of by the by scene um, and she turns that on and Maya's going don't fucking dare bitch and all this kind of stuff and she basically she cuts her own arm off with this little electric carving knife type thing. So again, we're nodding at Ash taking his hand off in the, the second movie with the chainsaw, but we did it with the, this carving knife kind of thing. Um, I'm ca- it was a good effect. I'm, I'm kind of going, right, there's no way you're getting through a fucking bone with that thing, do you know what I mean? But we'll, we'll, we'll skip by that. We don't need to focus too much on that. <laughs> do you know what? Rake said that as well, but I said, hang on a minute, the guy in 127 hours cuts his fucking arm off with a pen knife. <laughs> That, that is a valid point, Andy. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Yep, you're totally fucking right. Um, did you, did, see, when you did that, did you lick your finger and then give yourself one tally mark in there? I would do that, but like, yeah! <laughs> I win. <laughs> I win. <laughs> Blockly one, Shipley zero. <laughs> um, yeah, so she's taking her arm off. So obviously she's in a bit of a fucking bad way. Um... Eric and David kind of rush through to see what the ruckus is, but and she stands up and the, the the arm's still attached to like a tendon and it falls off and that bit again was really fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um, the Eric then there's a little bit and this is maybe the spoon feeding thing coming back to that again, Andy that you mentioned earlier. That he's going there's three ways to kill her in the book, you know, fucking dismembering her, burying her alive, or cleansing her by fire. Mm-hmm. So yeah, again. Possibly, now that you've mentioned it, it maybe did seem a bit fucking obvious at this point, kind of thing. Um, the girlfriend then attacks them with a nail gun, so there's a kind of prolonged scene with that, um, where she's fucking shooting them with a nail gun. You hear the nail gun going off at first, actually, and they kind of turn down and she kind of comes out of the darkness and she's got the fucking nails in her own face type thing, and then she starts shooting at them, so she fucks them up a wee bit, kind of thing. Um, and then she attacks them with a crowbar, she's about to finish teacher off and David shoots her other arm off which she's holding the crowbar with with a shotgun um, this almost kind of drives the fucking demon out of her and the next minute she's limping over to him with like half an arm and a fucking quarter of an arm on the other side you know and she kind of collapses down and there's a bit she's kind of dragging herself over the, uh, the the sort of floor towards David Um and she's kind of lying in her, and she's saying, my face hurts, my face hurts, why does my face hurt? And I found that really fucking harrowing. Because mm-hmm. obviously she shot herself in the face with this fucking nail gun and doesn't know she's done this, you know. And the way she was kind of sobbing about her face hurting, that really fucking kind of got to the core of me, that bit. Um, like, really, I yeah, that bit was really effective for me. Um, Eric's pretty much fucked by this point. Um... David tries to get him outside um, and he goes back in to, he's going to burn the house down um, but he can't bring himself to do it. Uh, it goes to, but down at the cellar to try and get Maya out, she can't, <coughs> can't find her. She attacks him down there, there's a weird fucking kind of well thing in the corner. She tries to drown him in that. Eric saves him, but dies just shortly after that. Um, so, yeah, at this point, there's only David and Maya left. Um, he drags her out 
and then he does the, the burying alive thing, which was referenced in the book. And again, this is a kind of nod back to Ash in the first film, um, when he's burying everybody. But the thing that bugged me in the first film is he's burying their dead bodies and appeared not to give an awful lot of a fuck about the whole thing. Uh, this is, yeah. is um, burying her. He obviously doesn't want to do it, but he has to... Um, because he's, he's kind of concocted this plan that if he buries her alive, she dies. He can bring her back, you know, like by restarting her heart. So out of the three options, the burying's the only one that he could possibly bring her back from. Um, which he duly does. Uh, he, he appears to fail at the start and then, oh, no, I'm alive, it's okay, you've saved me. He goes back in to get the car keys Big Eric's gone off fucking zombie now at this point, stabs David in the neck. Um, and he locks Maya outside to kind of save her. She's okay by now. Um, and she's back to her How fight. did you feel, sorry just to interrupt, how did you feel about the fact that all her scars and marks and burns had all disappeared? Well, I was just about to say she's kind of back to her um, finest heroine chic best type thing. <laughs> um I love it. I love that. That's what we're focusing on, and not the makeshift defibrillator he made from a car battery. Yeah, we'll come on to that. We'll come on to that. I know what you mean, Andy. Um, yeah, I, I personally think they could have maybe left like some of the burns on there or something. Like she's literally pristine. Um, and yeah, looks like she's everybody great. else, when they can't come back around to being normal, they're still all fucked up. Yeah, I don't know if it's like to do with a burial procedure is like reverse it I don't know maybe I'm maybe don't I'm know but yeah again I would agree with you I mean she looks like she's even had a good shower and some new clothes do you know what I mean um, <laughs> yeah they, I think they could have maybe left her a wee bit more fucked looking um, yeah the, the defibrillator we do get the little fucking A-team moment uh, where he creates <laughs> this portable defibrillator out of a car battery and a couple of hypodermic needles in fairness it fucking pales in comparison with a homemade chainsaw fist that a one-handed fucking Ash managed to build in the second film. Do you yeah, know I mean? but once again, <laughs> that's that's built through humour. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a ridiculous thing that happens in a movie which has already put forward the premise of fairly ridiculous things. Can I just ask you before you go on as uh-huh. well, up to this point, you must have been like me, assuming that the brother was the Ash character. Uh, yes. Yeah, so when he gets stabbed in the neck, were you like... What the fuck? No, and All right. well, probably that's... because I didn't see there being really a follow-up to this film, so I, oh, I didn't right. necessarily see him as being the sole survivor at the end of it all. Right. I, I equated him to Ash because he is the, the principal male character, if you like. Yeah. Um, and he is, uh, if you like, he is the heroic one out of the bunch, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have the failings that Ash has. We're kind of hinted at failings maybe in his, his previous life to do with the mother. You know, he didn't come back to help the sister and all this kind of pish. But it's not that... You don't get that whole, oh, you're actually a fucking dick type thing. Yeah, get yeah. Get Ash, do you know what I mean? No, I, I, meant, I meant in terms of the, the movie, the original Evil Dead movies, work around the premise of this one central character who will ultimately, maybe not necessarily the first movie, but certainly the two after that, that one character that will follow as being the hero. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the fact that this movie, up until... One of the greatest things, I think, which assists this movie is the fact that it, it posits this, this kind of premise that it is him, and it ultimately isn't him. It ultimately ends up being the character who... 
is, you know, the, the one you would not suspect, but really when you think about it on paper, you should probably suspect from the start. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, which criticism. I think is... Oh, what, sorry? I was going to say, one of my criticisms really about this movie, like, is is this lead guy, you know, the guy, the brother, I don't fucking like him. I think he's a bit of a little weasel. Yeah. Over there you go. And so that's what never, Baz... so for me, like, I never thought, oh, is that the Ash character? I just assumed, I, you know, I never kind of made any connection that any of them was supposed to be this, like the modern versions of any of the, of the previous movies. Uh, characters. I was about to say, they're, they're like, see, I don't, I don't necessarily dislike him. I just don't feel anything for him as a character. And Baz yeah. had said previously when the Evil Dead review that one of the big problems you had with the Ash character is that he's just not likable. Yeah, um, I think I, I come down on sort of Duncan's side there, Andy. Um, I didn't feel an awful lot towards him. I certainly didn't pick up on any weaselishness about him. Um, <laughs> but it's just, just a bit fucking. Like, it just didn't really have anything going for him. I don't know. I just like. Yeah, um, I know. But then like, to me, like, I don't get why everyone thinks Ash is so great either. To be honest, because he is Andy. That's that's he is. Yeah, well, see, I thought Ash was a complete <laughs> cock, and to, compared to him. The character of David is like fucking Tom Hanks and Saving Private Ryan. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's like a fucking Greek god. Do you know what I mean? Anyway. Um, yeah, right, so coming back to the, the synopsis, he's uh, he locks Maya outside and there, there's a kind of heroic element here. He's just trying to save her. He knows he's fucked. And he basically, Eric comes to attack him and he shoots the kind of gasoline canister with a, with a shotgun and blows the two of them to fuck kind of thing, saving her in the process. Um, and then you kind of think, well, that, that's the end of it, you know, and she's going to walk out the, the woods kind of thing to safety. Um, but then it starts to rain blood uh, outside, and then this figure rises out the earth, and that we'd seen this in the book as well. And the, the one thing, the one kind of wee plot flaw I picked up on here I thought they'd said that it had to consume five souls to raise yeah. this fucking thing, and there's only four of them have died. See, I wasn't sure if the girl in the basement at the beginning counts as number one. Ah, oh. all right. I'm not well, sure if that's the case because the the evil hadn't been unleashed at that point. It almost like they put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. So I don't know if that resets the count. Yeah. Oh, I, mean, right. I, I, I thought I, I just assumed that Maya counted as one, even though she'd come back. She technically okay. dies. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, did she? Wasn't she like purged of the demon though? So. Uh, but by dying, she was purged of the demon. She was technically possessed. She was the first one. Yeah. If you know what I mean? And then they kill her off, so she's technically one. Okay. And then everyone else is one, even though she comes back afterwards. She's. I just assume she's one of the victims, which. Sorry, I'm starting to sound like the comic book guy in Simpsons here. Right? <laughs> Worst let's movie just, ever. Let, let's not belabor the point, gentlemen. Um, Worst movie ever. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so this, this figure then kind of rises up and, and starts attacking her. Um, she manages to get back into the house and she gets the chainsaw. Now, we had seen the chainsaw briefly earlier on. Obviously, this is a nod to the, the, the earlier films as well. Um... She kind of manages to cut the creature's leg off, but gets her hand caught under the car. The creature's dragging itself around the car to fucking get at her, and she basically frees herself by kind of ripping her own, like, hand arm off type thing, and then she yeah. fucks the chainsaw into the face of this thing and kind of <laughs> cuts it down in two, and it sinks back into the earth, and the film ends 
uh, on the book, kind of lying on the ground there. Did you um, catch the after-credit sequence? No. Baz, you're always the one that can No, and I tell you why. <laughs> that when it went into the credits, I noticed there's like the blood dripping down the stairs and stuff. Yeah. And I kind of watched it for a minute, thinking there's something going to happen here, and then it, it didn't appear to. And so I stuck it on to fast forward, and it just seemed to hit the end of the thing. There's a tiny, tiny, tiny clip. What is right it? Right at the very end, and it is the profile of none other than Bruce Campbell, a very aged and weathered and battered Bruce Campbell, who then says, "Groovy." Oh, and that's the oh, end of the movie. Damn it! I did that flashed by on fast forward, but I thought it was like a movie company's. All right, I've got you. Logo. I've got you. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't was... bother fucking rewinding it. It was to basically set up the, the whole plan coming out of this movie. This is how confused... This is why we now have a TV show, because, like, everything with Evil Dead, the... Like, Sam Raimi is brutal for for having tons of ideas which he puts out, and half of them never get made. His name's always attached to... But, like, he's like Del Toro. His name is attached to a million projects which will never happen. Generally, if Sam Raimi's name's connected with something, you can pretty much guarantee it's never going to see the light of day just because he's so busy. It's like a really busy guy involved with tons of different projects. He, he has his own film production company and all the rest. And, basically, the plan was that they were going to do an Evil Dead 2, right? They were going mm-hmm. to do, like, we were going to basically remake the second movie again, very, very similar with the same characters, right? Yeah. And then they were going to cross over the movies. So Evil Dead 4 from the original run would be Evil Dead 3 and the the new ones, which would bring Maya and Ash's character over the top of each other. Fucking hell, that's confusing, so yeah, the, the the big issue was that as soon as they started mentioning that, fans started saying, oh, we want to see Bruce Campbell again. And then Federer Al- Alvarez pretty much had an uphill battle to prove the merits of doing another Evil Dead movie. Because like Andy was saying, that Andy doesn't get the love for, for the character of Ash. I love that character. And to me, he is the, he's the epitome of the anti-hero. He's the he is the he is the predominant anti-hero in horror. He's the template for which a lot of movie heroes, horror movie heroes, and the guy factor, not final girls, kind of take on that Ash thing, the reluctant hero who ultimately becomes the badass. And whether you like the character or not, personality-wise, Ash is the ultimate badass. You know what I mean? But by the third movie, he's you know he's got the one-liners which you expect from an Arnie movie. He's He's like, he can fight off anything. He's a crack shot with a gut. You know, all these sort of things. He can, he can use his belt as a fucking whip. But, you know, like, he becomes the ultimate hero. So, fans of the original run of movies, when it was announced that Evil Dead was coming back, wanted to see Ash back in it, and they never got Ash. So, when this idea was posited that there might be some scope for Evil Dead 2 and then a potential movie which unites two characters from two different universes over, kind of Marvel style, actually. Mm -hmm. Which is, when you think about when it came out, 2013, Marvel's kind of... is the reason a lot of these things actually want to overlap and all the rest. Um, From a filmmaker's point of view, Mm -hmm. um, fans were like that, well, just give us Ash. Just give us yeah. Ash. Don't don't give us more Maya. Give us more Ash. Um, and as a result, that second movie didn't get made. And then subsequently, the next Evil Dead movie didn't get made. The sequel to Army of Darkness, which, to be honest, I'm quite happy about because there's thirty years 
or well, twenty odd years after. Well, no, it will be about thirty years. Um, between Army of Darkness and their potential one, so you get Ash versus Evil Dead the TV show, which right. is basically the compromise out with it. But his small clip at the end was supposed to set up a movie which never happened, which is strange because generally movies don't get sequels, bad because they did poorly. Evil Dead made a ton of fucking money. Yeah. Made a load of money. It made stupid money compared to how much it was paid on. So I only wanted to mention the fact that you never mentioned the fact that you saw an after thing clip, but that makes sense. It is, it is literally like a four second clip. Yeah, like I say, I, I did flash by and fast forward, but I thought I it was just... a logo, so I didn't go back. I'm quite fucking annoyed about that actually, because I'm usually... quite fastidious <laughs> about that. I know. Yeah, because like you watch in the past, you've picked up things that I haven't picked up. Like yeah. in the movies, yeah. just don't do it. Um, yeah, so that that was the the Evil Dead remake. Um, this film's fucking amazing. There you go. I yes. would fucking go and watch that again right now thought it was brilliant it was everything that i wanted the evil dead to be i i appreciate the evil dead was made 30 odd fucking years ago right i, I get that um but it just shows that you know the, the premise is, is the same you know the, the storyline it's not fucking huge but it it's just done really well in this film yet yeah, of course the effects are better um but just the whole thing, the thing that used to bug me about the first film, it just appeared to, we turned up at the cabin, oh, all this shit's happening, oh, the, and this film, it doesn't do much more, but I just didn't get that feeling. I think the thing about the heroine, I liked that. It kind of gave them this fucking reason to be in this frankly stupid fucking location, do you know what I mean? Um, I liked the, the reverence it paid to the first film. It, it's pretty faithful to the first film. Um, there's lots of little nods to the second film as well. Um, just little ones. They're all done nicely. There's very little comedy in it. Um, like I said earlier on the bit about them slipping on the cheek, there are little elements of it there, but they're very subtle, and it's kind of, if you want to find a little bit of humour in that, you can. But if you don't want it, you can just, oh, he's, you know, the guy slipped and fell. You know, I just think it all works really really well together and there were bits particularly with this kind of female figure that appears there was some bits that i genuinely found quite frightening at points it's not a terrifying movie all the way through by any means um but it's definitely 100% a horror film um and you know while andy said there wasn't it for me there was a couple of bits that scared me in it um and the bit when she's crying about my face hurts for some reason really fucking cut me to the core kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that way you, I, I just kind of equated to my wife. Do you know what I mean? That kind of pleading what's happening type thing, you know, and well, oh my fucking God, that's horrible. Um, this is a fucking amazing remake, man. I will. I don't ever need to watch the first three films again, even though I quite like the second one. I, I would just watch this film over and over again. It's fucking amazing. There we go, there we go. I'll chime in after Andy spoke because there's a, a couple of things that I said I would clarify from my opinion yeah. from, from watching them um, and we'll we'll do like a, a little recap because this movie has actually been reviewed on this show um, way back the end of the very first end of year show for this show back in 2013 this movie was actually covered um, as one of the highlights of the year because I, I went to the cinema to see this movie Andy you made like before we go into things you made a really interesting observation in your 
your kind of opening statement. And I think it's one that needs to kind of just be mentioned again. That when this movie was released in America, it was rated R. Yeah. Which used to be... That, that harks back to the heydays of horror, like the 80s. Like what, movies. what is R? So what kind of rating is that? Sorry. And that's restricted. So oh, right, like, right. Like an 18 over here. Yeah, yeah. That's the equivalent of an 18 over here. Yeah. And horror movies should, where possible, by default, be 15 and over or 18s. Like, every movie was an 8. Like, I, when I think about it now, like, movies like Commando, like, where are they? Which are, like, fairly enjoyable kind of campish kind of action movies now don't hold up to that 18 certificate but it was because of the violence in them the content in them and Evil Dead is the last horror movie I think I saw at the cinema which was an 18 and I think the first one I'd seen at the cinema which was an 18 in a long time and there's a certain importance about that one because that's if you're my age or Andy's age and you grew up watching these movies, grew up watching horror movies, and you knew you couldn't go and see them at the cinema because they were 18s, and you had to sneak in. To hear that this movie was coming out, and that you were already kind of dubious about it, you know what I mean, Evil Dead remake, do we actually need an Evil Dead remake? And then to hear, oh, by the way, it's coming out in this 18 certificate in this country, you kind of start to get a wee bit giddy because you know for a fact... It's going to be a bit fucking crazy. Did you? You didn't see this one at the cinema, did you, Andy? No, I didn't. Because I, I don't know. I was. I, there's this whole thing about hype. I mean, I'm really fucking glad that that Baz liked this. And when I watch it back, obviously I fucking love it as well. And I kind of think I don't really know what was going on in my mind the first time I saw it and why I didn't like it so much. And I can only equate it to this monumental hype around this movie. I mean, you know, the tagline: "It's the most terrifying thing you'll ever see." And <laughs> Obviously, coming off the back of, of Sam Raimi's classic, um, which in its day was fucking brutal. No one had seen anything like that. I mean, oh, the yeah. would look pretty ropey in that. But in their day, fucking hell, you know, like that amount of gore and blood, it was just fucking, it was just unheard of. So I think it was just pure a thing of hype. I mean, it happens a lot with me, you know, with yourself as well, Duncan. Stuff gets hyped up to the yeah. point where it can't possibly live up to your expectations, even if it's the best film in the world. It literally can't live up to what you've built up in your mind it's going to be. So I think that's probably why I just thought, I'm not going to go cinema, I'm only going to be disappointed. And then when I did see it, I was disappointed. Um, but yeah, this whole 18 certificate thing, um, you know, they just they just go for, to, for filling cinema seats now. And I know it's all about money and, you know, these people, they're only trying to make money. But everything now is, you know, they'll, they'll try for a PG-13 if they can. You know, yeah. they'll push that angle if they can possibly do it. And, and I know something like The Final Girls, I don't know if you've seen that, Buzz, but Final Girls is a great film, but for me, it would have been a far better film if it had had some gore in it. And I know it's kind of almost like a minor nitpick, but I think, ah, oh, just, you know, you need that kind of gore. So to have a film like this, sort of, you know, it's only two years old, but you're not going to get many proper solid 18 certificates coming out of Hollywood. I'd be really surprised if you get anything. I mean, you're going to get 18 certificate movies that are going to have stuff like raping, but a kind of almost entertainment horror film, you, it's just not going to happen again. And yeah. I think that's why this film's so fucking special, because yeah, I think it really earns its 18 certificate. People being burned alive, someone getting fucking raped by a tree, you know, splitting their tongue open, cutting their face off. I think it fucking earns its 18 certificate. And yeah, it's just fucking epic. And the special effects as well. I think there's other thing I mentioned, like 
there's some CGI in it, the CGI fire. I think that thing that she vomits out of her mouth before the, it goes up to the girl's family, that's obviously CG. But I think they used something like 50,000 gallons of blood. Yeah. <laughs> and I think most of that's at the end, obviously, because they must have just had it coming out of sprinklers, you know, to, to show that it's raining blood. But, yeah, this kind of gore, you just don't see it. And I don't think we're going to see anything like this again, really, unless some kind of maverick filmmaker. I mean, Rob Zombie, maybe, is the um, 13 movie. That's probably going to be an 18 certificate. Yeah. That doesn't really count because it's not Hollywood. It's independent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the Hollywood films that we're not going to see anymore. Um, so yeah, I'm really fucking glad you liked it, Baz, to be honest, because I, I, I always think that, I don't know if it's the fact that it's a nostalgia thing for me is why I really enjoy the first one so much. I think it was probably one of the first horror films I saw as a kid that I kind of thought, I shouldn't be watching this. Like if my parents, I think if my parents knew I had this, they'd probably take it off me sort of thing. Right, let me jump in now then. Um... So yeah, the the importance of like we're saying eighteen, like if you're gonna like the Evil Dead for all its faults that you picked up, Baz, I I think a lot of it does come down to, and it's not nostalgia; it comes down to context and time frame, right? Um, and we can really kind of wrap it up in this final this final review. The movie came out in nineteen eighty one. It was made in nineteen seventy nine for pennies. It's made for very very little money. Um, primarily uses Sam Raimi's friends as actors. So it's not like established, you know, it wasn't like a casting, you know, a group of people that sat down and did loads of interviews and all the rest or, or, you know, go through all these auditions. This was basically Sam Raimi's close personal friend was Bruce Campbell, so he put him in the movie. Um, get some people around him and all the rest. It's his first movie as well. So, I mean, there are going to be instances where the script isn't great. Um, the premise of them going into a cabin is a well-established trope in 70s and 80s horror movies. It's just something we I think we find it always difficult to try and kind of posit that in our brains because we live in Scotland and England and the weather's shite here. Yeah, um, if you went up to a fucking cabin, they would just freeze to death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, where they're going, it look, even though the cabin looks quite dingy, um, it's still, we would imagine, somewhere kind of nice and warm. It's out in the woods. It's away from parents and all the rest. Like Baz was saying earlier on, so you could get your finger bang on if you wanted. Um, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So there's, there, there's that idea as well. So whilst the, those things, kind of by today's standards, definitely seem ludicrous, to take the film in terms of the context of when it came out, I mean, these are these are not things that are button against the grain or not plausible in movies. These are things that are done in horror movies. It's the it's the template. It's a it's a reason why a movie like Cabin in the Woods, which we will eventually discuss on this show, um, works so well because it kind of pulls together all very much like Scream pulls together all the tropes and all the cliches from slasher movies. It pulls together all the tropes and cliches from Cabin in the Woods movies, um, and into one idea. So I mean. Cabin in the Woods as a as as a kind of premise has done a lot in movies. It's it's what the movie does in nineteen seventy nine or eighty one when it's released that is really what makes the movie have its reputation and what makes it so remarkable is that the effects for the time are actually very fucking <laughs> for for the the time and for the money are surprisingly well done. Yeah. And what the movie does is graphic. I mean, the, the tree rape in that one is very graphic. The, even down to like, the pencil and the ankle and the sound design is fucking cringing. You're talking about the 
the, the hypodermic needle being pulled at the eye and how that makes your, you wince and your legs come together. The very first time I ever saw the pencil in the ankle, I did exactly the same. I cringed and looked away from the screen. Cause, and what, how they replicate that noise is by shoving a pencil in an apple over a okay. microphone. So you hear that crunchy crunch, and it's yeah. fucking horrible. It makes your skin crawl. Um, so if you're going to remake this movie, if you're going to remake The Evil Dead, you need to update it, but you need it to have the same cultural impact that the original Evil Dead did when it was released in 1981. And The Evil Dead remake does that. It does that. It, it, it goes. It, it gives you cringe-worthy, over-the-top gore effects which look for all intents and purposes, realistic. It, it really, really does kind of... And there's more nods. You were talking about the nod to the cabin, nod to the clock. Um, there's even the nod to the car, the same fucking beat-up cars outside. That's the same car that's been in all the movies. All right. Okay. As, in, as in this one as well. They use this yeah. as Sam Raimi's car, so they put that out there. So there's tons of... Like, if you've seen the Evil Dead movies before, there's nice wee references in here to, to, to kind of get you interested. But they do, they update the story, they make it, whereas it's now not necessarily plausible for kids to be going out to a dingy cabin in the woods for some finger banging, which was definitely the case pre-internet, pre-mobile phone, you know, back in the early 80s, late 70s, that's what you did if you want some action. Um, that doesn't work in 2013. Kids would go, like you can find a hotel room or all kids have cars or whatever, you just do it there. You know what I mean? There's a less that sort of thing doesn't make sense in today's timeline. So to have this idea of our being addicted to drugs and they're going there as a way, it's like an intervention, works for me really well. I think where the movie shines for me is how vicious it actually is. Like you were talking about the the sense of humour, and then you were talking about potentially a giggle when you slip on the, the, the when he slips on the cheek that's been cut off. I did not laugh at this movie at all in the cinema. I, I don't find it a very funny movie, but it is probably one of the greatest cinematic experiences I've ever been through. Corinne will tell you when you see her again, Buzz, um, that I fist-bumped this movie all the way right through it because I'd never seen anything like this at the cinema. Like, on this level, where hands were being, you know, arms were being cut off with fucking electric knives, tongues were being split, hypodermic needles were going through. That, that professor that gets battered with a crowbar until his hand splits open, shot with God knows how many nails, um, hypodermic stabs, uh, to ultimately be drowned in and come back. You know, mm. to, to you, the pain that he goes through, you just don't get that in movies anymore. So when this movie takes the ultimate final stage of going into the levels of ridiculousness, the sky rains blood, um, she tears her arm off from under a car, which, once again, is kind of ludicrous. Um, but you get that chainsaw to the face, and then there's, there's like a tsunami of blood that gushes over her, even though everything is bloody already. If you're a gore whore, if you're a fan of these sort of movies, there's no way you cannot fucking love this movie. It gives you, it goes so far over the, it pushes it so far over the edge that it can't see the edge anymore. But it's, it's bore up such goodwill with what it's done before. I would put forward that a lot of the, the reasons horror fans don't like this movie, and by the way, a lot of horror fans don't like this movie, um, are for reasons which are completely based on nostalgia. Completely. Yeah. The, the, there's a, a thing flung around to say that there's no likeable characters in this movie. I personally don't think there's any likeable characters in The Evil Dead. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think there is. Ash becomes the character that, for those that love him, becomes that character in the second movie, not in the first movie. Um, people will say that there is no character development. These characters are all really one-dimensional. Once again, look at the first movie. No character development in that. It's fairly you, one-dimensional. You're not watching a film like this for character development. You're not. Anyway, you can't. Like, this is the wrong movie to go in with that idea of. What it does is it pushes the pushes the conventions of the genre like the very first movie did at the beginning while staying faithful to the source material. Um, and you can see when you watch this movie, you can see why Sam Raimi handpicked Ferry Alvarez to make the movie. The sequence with the puking of the blood that yeah, you're on yeah. about is more an homage to Sam Raimi than it is to the Evil Dead. Sam Raimi has a tendency, if you see his previous one, Drag Me to Hell, which we will cover if you've not, it's a fucking great movie. I think I've actually seen that film years ago. Yeah, there is a, a prolonged, and Sam Raimi does it in a lot of his movies. Sam Raimi has this ethos about, um, and it's been used by other, he, he kind of stole it from Hitchcock, uh, which is you must make the audience suffer. That's that's how he makes movies. You must make the audience suffer. If you have a hero, your hero should be beaten up and pretty bruised by the end of it because you sympathise with the hero. Um, in, in Drag Me to Hell, there is a fantastic sequence where a kind of corpse throws up green bile spew into another character's mouth. Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah, well, this is this is uh, this is to me as Alvarez paying homage to Sam Raimi, the director, and not necessarily Evil Dead, as in the movie. But there's already going to be buckets of blood, cause, or buckets of gunk or whatever, because that's what happens in Evil Dead. But that, to me, is a nod to the director. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. It's even shot in a Sam Raimi sort of way. The camera angle is shot very Sam Raimi. So I think the reason it stands out so much to you as being, well, that doesn't look all... I think that's more a nod to the director than it necessarily is to the movies. But yeah, well, I, I think I think it's fucking... I, I'd love... I love this movie. Loved it the first time I saw it. And every watch since. And I've seen this movie tons since. And I can see your, I can see your point. Even if you... Even if you do love Evil Dead 2 for the, the mark of where you're coming into horror movies, Baz, this was really aimed at people... Uh, it was aimed at people that had seen the Evil Dead, but it really was aimed at trying to get a new mark in there. So if you say the only one you'd ever really want to watch again is the Evil Dead remake, I still think that's a fucking good movie, so... Yeah. Yeah. Right, before we go Maybe. any... F oh, I was going to say, before we go any further, Andy has an option to, right at the very end here, put forward any other points um, and a wee closing statement. Andy? Yeah, I didn't have any points about anything bad, so just something that made me laugh when people are being too critical towards something like this. I mean, the whole premise that they pull the rug back in the house, there's fucking smeared blood all over the floor, <laughs> dead cats in the cellar, someone's like, a horrendous crime has obviously happened here, <laughs> and now they just go, all right, yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. No one gets the mobile phone out to phone up. Uh... Peter, whoever the organisation is in America, to say, I think there may be a cat massacre here. Yeah, you know, so you, you can't start getting too picky. I mean, even something like the, you know, the stupid fucking defibrillator scene, which is insane. Which is bad. Or the I mean, girlfriend who, the, the girlfriend who really is a non-entity in this movie, he brings his girlfriend up when she, shit starts kicking off he doesn't actually give a fuck about her at all in this movie <laughs> he really yeah. doesn't so much so and I think it sums up everything when Baz was like I don't think I caught her name I don't know what her name is either Baz. nobody knows <laughs> nobody cares <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I mean, with it, it wouldn't surprise me that, like if uh, Apple do a defibrillator on the next iPhone. I reckon, I reckon there'll be an app for that if you want a defibrillator app. You'll need two, obviously. It won't work with one. So you're gonna hopefully there'll be a couple of people knocking around that, that can that can opt in there. But no, I mean stuff like that. You know, you just got to overlook it because. It's that thing where, you know, like if you've got a mate who you've known for 20 years and he is a bit of a cunt on one night, on a night out because he's pissed, you've got to forgive him because there's so much good other stuff that's like under the bridge between, you know, there's so much good shit between you. And I think that's like this with this film. There's so much good stuff that happens in it. Some of the like dumb shit that you just got to let it go. You just got to kind of go, yeah, you know, they needed that. They needed the way to bring it back and you just got to fucking roll with it. But yeah, I mean, this movie, it's kind of, it is this generation's Evil Dead. This is the kind of film that if it wasn't, you know, people can get anything on the internet now, can't they? Just fucking yeah. log on and get it. But, you know, if you wind back 30 years, this would be the movie that a 12-year-old Andy and Duncan would be fucking like desperately trying to get oh, hold of. Oh, God, yeah. This yeah. is the film. This is the one that it, if it doesn't hold back, it, it gives you what you want. You know, you're going to watch this and you're not going to be disappointed. There's so much fucking gore and violence and brutality what more can you ask for? And I knew you'd like this, Baz. And it wasn't just because you liked the remake of Friday the 13th and that. Because for me, like, that isn't a great remake. There's so much stuff. For me, it's just a missed opportunity. Yeah. There's so much stuff that they could have done so much better in that film. But for this one, it just fucking hits the mark, I think. I think he's just absolutely nailed it. And I'm really glad they've not done sequels because I think it, it, this it's much stronger as just a standalone film. Yeah, I'll always be. I mean, the they did the right thing with it. Um, they took the premise and idea of Evil Dead. I, even though I know you hate the TV show, um, Andy, I I really enjoyed the TV show because it basically it it gives what the hardcore fans of Evil Dead want, which is uh, more episodes of more more chance to follow the adventures of Ash. If they make another, if they'd made a sequel to this movie, the chances are that the Mia character could start having the one lines that she does at the very end of this movie, and they try and build her out to be like a hero in that movie, and that's where I think. Do you know what? That's one of the things that really pissed me off about this film, and like I like it's funny you should talk about Drag Me to Hell. I literally watched that last night, and the scene at the end where she's like. No, don't spoil it for Baz. Don't spoil it for Baz. No, no, no I'm not going to spoil it. it. All right, you've seen it. There's just dumb shit one-liners yeah. like, that you just wouldn't say. And she says it in this, like, actually, just before she rams the chainsaw in that thing's mouth, yeah. like, something, something like, suck on this motherfucker. Yeah. And they do that so much now in fucking horror films. It does my head in. They always have to do a quip or a one-line. Yeah. But the rest of the film hasn't done anything like that, so it's just so tonally weird. You watch a film for an hour and a half with no stupid quips and one-liners. Yeah. And then when they finish off the villain or the bad guy or whoever it is, they have to do a quip, like a fucking James Bond quip, before they do whatever they do to him. And she does it in Drag Me to Hell. And it uh, it just fucking annoys me. So, yeah, I don't think Mia's really got... A, I don't think she's got any kind of future as, as I'm being in a, hero, a hero in a film with one-liners. I'm glad she's not. Right, but... Have you watched um, Ash vs. Evil Dead, Baz? No, I wanted to watch all of these first before I ventured. I've got to say, I, can, I don't particularly like Ash as a character type thing, so I'm not no. crash hot to, to go and see it again. Do you know what I mean? I, would, I, think, I, I think you're going to like it. I think you're going to like it. Fair play. Right, Fair play. so, um, whew, Baz, yes. any closing statement before I ask Andy to grade you, sir? 
Um, no, just the only one thing, you're talking about the defibrillator machine, I, I kind of agree with Andy. I, I was just enjoying this film so fucking much that I was able to look by the kind of, you know, the, the, the bizarreness of him creating this fucking machine out of a car battery kind of thing, do you know what I mean? And that's what... I can look by stupid, goofy plot, but things as long as the film itself is good, and that's why this film was so fucking good. I didn't give a shit about that. Right, that's fine. Yeah, just fucking make me fucking defibrillator. That's cool, you know. Um, just because the rest of the film bought it enough fucking slack that that was okay as far as I was concerned. Cool. And um, one final thing: the girlfriend, apparently, according to the good folks at Wikipedia, is called Natalie. Yeah, or as I like to call her, cannon fodder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she is meat for the beast. Um, right, Andy, your your final responsibility on this show, sir, is to is to assign a grade to Baz's review. Now, this is not a personal grade, um, even though Baz has agreed with how awesome this movie is. Um, ultimately, it comes on to how well did Baz review this movie, put forward these points. Um, and you can't grade his accent, that's not allowed. Um, no. I'm afraid, <clears throat> sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, uh, using school grades A through F, what's your grade for Baz now? Right, well, I think Baz gave a really good rend- rendition of the film. I think that's why the Baz V Horror thing so popular, because people, you can almost like relive the film as Baz is going through it, because he's so fucking hot on all the different points and that, so I've got to give him an A. Oh, yes. wow. there you go, Lance, Lance and he. Right, Andy, before we say goodbye to you, sir, you have you have finished the show with me. We've spoken about it on here, doing the nasty. It's out there. The archives of 25 shows covering the 72 movies on the nasty list are over at Horophilia. Um, you're going to be back next week uh, on the podcast Under the Stairs where we're going to be doing a fantastic little double bill of The Hitcher and Near Dark. Mm. Cannot wait to do, but you you have a podcast which I know we keep saying it's coming back, and then you tell us it's coming back, and it never comes back, but it's coming back. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm fa- I'm just fucking like so lazy, Duncan, because I know all I have to do when I record with you is just turn up, and then you can go away and do the three hours of editing. <laughs> your, uh, your show that does exist is the big horror and little podcast which you do with your lovely wife Rachel. Yeah, so there's an archive. <laughs> you need to come back man it's not the same without you I know we keep saying we keep saying should we record go yeah 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 we'll do it and then we'll just do something else but well, no. we need to do the epic versus episode that we've been discussing offline for ages where basically we do our podcast under the stairs me and the bands versus big horror little podcast yourself and Rachel we'll have to do that episode Let's let's sort that out because then at least if we we arrange it, then it's it's got to be done, hasn't it? We'll all we'll, yeah. sort we'll sort that out, definitely. Yes, yes, and that's on Legion Podcast Network. Thank you very much for your time, Andy. Um, we will speak to you next week for a bit of Hitcher and Near Dark. Um, would you like to say goodbye to our listeners? Okay, bye, listeners, and cheers, Baz. It's good to finally speak to you. It's been a blast, Andy. Great talking to you, mate. Cheers. All right, Sam. Cheers, Duncan. See you later. Bye, listeners. Bye. Bye. Right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're closing out this show right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs.
And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been Baz's end of year assessment for year one of Horror High, Baz v. The Evil Dead. Oh, four reviews later and many hours of recording. Baz, how are you doing? I am Spencer. <laughs> I have spurted the last fucking oh. droplet of oh. comedy. Oh. <laughs> I am done, sir. Quite a graphic description. Uh, we have really run run the gambit on these uh, on these reviews. We have covered all four, the entire franchise in this one show, and we have left you with the job of seeking out and checking out where possible Ash versus Evil Dead the TV show. Uh, and hopefully, if you do check them out on later shows, you can let us know if you are still very much anti Ash. Um, or if the, the, the lovable roguish bastard has won you over. Um, <laughs> now, Baz. Yeah. You scored particularly high on this one. Yeah. Um, you, you did very well, even achieving an A+. Yep. So from our, our guest host, we can say that you've passed. Excellent. But that was only half of your grade. The other half of your grade comes from myself. And I have listened to all four reviews, and I did not like the cut of your jib, young man. <laughs> <So> <laughs> did not like your tone. Um, no, ultimately, I have to give you a final grade, and this grade will determine whether or not we move forward into year two of Horror High and the multitude of great things. It should be no surprise to anyone out there that you passed, sir. You yes. got a very solid A. Overall, from me, um, you did excellent. Uh, I think, whilst I don't necessarily agree with your overall assessment of all the movies, I think you undertook it with the spirit in which Baz v Horror sets out to do, which is, like you said very early on in that very first uh, Evil Dead episode, is put forward the, the premise, can someone who has no allegiance to these movies, who grew up in the time frame of these movies without seeing them sit down and watch them and have the reverence that horror fans have for them having grown up with the movies and watching them. And I think, whilst I, I, whilst I don't agree, I can see your points. I, I think I, I, I can, and like I say, um, there will be people that will be dumbfounded out there. Don't, do not let your emotions take over your opinions of the badge, just remember the spirit of competition here, and I think you did really well, sir. Um, and it's good to finally get that one out of the way. I think that one's been hanging over our heads for about six months now, so yeah, it's good to see that one finally had, gone. Yeah, we had the whole thing where we had to cancel at the last minute as well, and it, it was good. Because it, it was one I was really looking forward to. Um, so I'm delighted to have it under my belt, and I can officially say I have done the Evil Dead now. You have indeed. Um, we are going to be back, believe it or not, listeners, very soon. We have some lost ground to catch up here. We uh, we unfortunately didn't get a Baz v Horror out in January. This is technically the January show. So we will be dropping another show in February. Myself yep. and the Baz will be looking at horror movies still to be mentioned and decided on the page. But the exciting news, Baz, we have yep. two pieces of exciting news. The first one is that our competition is still running. It is indeed. It is and indeed. And what a competition it is, Duncan. You can win a lot of stuff and a participation stuff. has been low. It has. Get your fucking fingers out, people. <laughs> Which means that you know, for the very limited effort of maybe two minutes of your time, you are actually in a really strong position to win quite a lot of good stuff. So to enter that competition, all you need to do is 
go to your Instagram account. It has to be your Instagram account. Some people have tagged us on Facebook and posted in comments on Facebook. We can't accept that. This is an Instagram-only competition, peeps. So it takes less than a couple of minutes to set up an Instagram account. To be honest, you can delete it once the competition's over if you want. No, um, you don't delete it. But you never need to use it again. Yeah, never need to use People it. Just to get the follower numbers up. Just follow us on Instagram. Um, what we need from you is using your Instagram account is to friend the podcast under the stairs, which is Teapot's Cast, and post a picture, a poster of a horror movie you would like us to discuss in the style that we did the loved ones, one that we've never covered before. Just post a poster of that and tag us in it. So tag Teapot's Cast, not Punk Baz and Visual Chaos. Don't tag those ones. Tag in the specific Teapot's Cast one. Um, and at the end of February, we'll announce a winner who will win literally a box full of t- three t-shirts, I think it is, and God knows what else. There are tons of things in there. It's a great competition prize. And for the limited effort of liking a page and posting a picture which you've tagged, it takes minutes to do and benefits us because we have more followers at that point, uh, but also benefits yourself because you can win an awesome prize. So do not delay. You have like three weeks left and then the competition closes and we will announce a winner. And if people start moaning that the same people win all the competitions because you're not entering them, so enter the competition. The second bit of exciting news is that the day this show drops, ladies and gentlemen, the day this show goes live, which is Monday the 8th of February, we will be launching a poll, a very special poll, which will run for exactly one week. That poll will determine the next franchise covered by Baz V Horror. And it is one of three franchises. We mentioned them on here. We will either be doing the Halloween franchise, the Hellraiser franchise, or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. So there will be three options on the page. Go over and vote. That will dictate what ones we cover in April. A lot of movies to discuss in all three of them. Baz can't wait. I can't wait. You can't wait. So make it happen. Go over there and put your vote. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Teapots cast. Baz, at the end of this journey, yep. you now need to, you get no school break, nope. you get no summer holidays, nope. you have to, to get the backpack back on, get the, the swap book out, start taking notes because we will be back in a couple of weeks to do another movie. All I need to ask you is, with what we know is going to be coming up in year two, are you ready, sir? I am ready and I am looking forward to it, my friend. Cannot wait to kick off year two of Horror High. I can't wait to see where we go, what what dark, deep recesses of the horror subgenres that we can get ourselves into. And um, there's going to be a ton of fantastic content. Uh, let me let you guys out there know where to check this show out. On iTunes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, take two seconds to leave us a review. It is literally the best thing you can do for this show. It gives us a bit of profile on the charts. If it's five stars, for example, like all the feedback we've had thus far is, um, the more of them we get, the higher up the charts we get put, the more likely people can check out the show. You can check us out on Stitcher Smart Radio on SoundCloud. We are a proud member of Legion Podcast Network alongside some fantastic other shows go to legionpodcast.com and check out some of those shows or subscribe through iTunes you can follow us on Facebook facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash teapotscast you check out our website teapotscast.com Baz is in charge of our fantastic Twitter Baz let us know 
Yep, our Twitter account is at TputzCast. We now have a marvellous 418 followers on Twitter. Um, I do my best to keep content on it, um, tweeting away. I'm thinking I'm maybe going to try and involve these a bit more, maybe ask some questions and stuff like that via Twitter, because we get a lot of good uh, interaction with our listeners on the Facebook group. Um, I think that's where most of it occurs, and that's fair enough because I think most of these out there have Facebook accounts. But if you've got Twitter and you're not following us, give us a follow on at Cast. Fantastic. Right, ladies and gentlemen, the last thing I want to mention on this show, and this is shameful self-plugging. Um, last week, you may have noticed on this feed, no Teapot Show. Where was that Teapot Show? Um, instead, what I did was I put out the very first debut episode of the the first season of my brand new podcast Chronicle um, Chronicle is going to be running for six episodes in season one it's going to take a couple of months off then it'll come back for season two later on in the year um, and there's only going to be two seasons this year it is a where possible an in-depth and fun look at specific subgenres within European horror cinema. Season one is looking exclusively at vampirism in European horror cinema, and episode number one was looking at Nosferatu, a symphony of horrors from 1922. Um, the next episode will be dropping in just over a week's time. Episode two will be looking at the 1932 movie Vampire. Um, so it's up there. It's out online now. You can listen to it, check it out. It's a different format. They're short sharp punchy shows with a bit of a higher production kind of content uh, and also displaying some great music which I will post the links to within the show notes to some fantastic artists out there on SoundCloud that have authorised the use of the music on the show so you should check them out some great tunes coming up and um, a fantastic uh, <laughs> opening and closing song by the wonderfully talented Von Herzog um, who does some work for the Retro Promenade releases which most horror fans have listened to because they're fucking fantastic so yeah you can go and check that show it has its own um, feed now on iTunes so if you type in Chronicle you will find Chronicle Podcast housed by Legion it's exclusively on Legion Podcast Network so go and show that show some love um, and remember that uh, it's all done for you guys all done free and out there for you so now that I've done all that promotion right at the end uh, all that is left for me to ask is that my colleague the man the myth the legend the Baz says goodbye to our listeners please yep it's been a long journey today folks I'm going to take no more of your time I'm getting my second win so I'm going to go put my feet up have a beer and I'll speak to you all soon goodbye you've been listening to the podcast under the stairs please take care of yourselves wherever you are out there this is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs signing off